Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 443. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's been uh, quite the week in the week of wrestling as we record this. An amazing week, according to Paul Levesque. Well, you would know. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, for those of you that uh, don't know, we're recording this days after the uh, Vince McMahon lawsuit came out. And, of course, we did a, uh hour file on that on the uh, the main feed. Which, it, as and, it turned out, I had miscounted. We could have fit it as a halftime. But. Well, it's, it, it needed to be out immediately. Yeah, I think so. It, it wouldn't need to be out immediately. It did. So it's good. It good. It's good that well, we did that. It but been, it would have been even a little outdated if we had waited till Monday for it to be out. Yes. Um. But also, you know, coming off of that, we decided to um, make the entire Titan Gate series we did for the Patreon a free, uh, f- free deal on the Patreon and on the uh, the main feed. So all four parts are on there for free. So people who haven't listened to it could listen to it to get educated on what the culture was like at Titan Towers and, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. You know, and it is somewhat different, but still the same, you know, even into, you know, a few years ago. I mean, it's just the way it was for, for, for decades. And, you know, now that all this is out, Vince is gone, you know, it's the beginning of a change, but there's still a lot more, a lot more things that can happen depending on who all knew, how much they knew and, you know, where, where they go from here. But, uh, yeah, we want to make sure we put all that out there. Because we didn't want, you know, we wanted it out there, but we didn't want to plug it as something people have to pay for because that's kind of eh. So we want to make sure that we had it out there, put it up for free, so everyone can uh, listen to it and uh, and learn and learn about a dark time in wrestling history, which you know that was some bad shit that was going on with that. But this one, uh, this is on another level bad shit right now where we're standing at so uh i mean we'll see how it goes from from there but uh that's out and we have a new patreon show out i mean well we, which is on we a, the, a lighter I, note i think we did the full plug on that last week didn't we um yeah, well we i mean we yeah, yeah we, we did, did but but still but just re-upping it yeah so yes uh for, finger for lighter yeah finger poke of doom and yes uh <laughs> kind of, you know, embarrassing for me, you know, at one point in the show, at one segment, I was very tired and was falling asleep. And, uh, you know, I made sure to put that disclaimer out there so people know that, no, I was not drunk or was not, you know, anything like that. I just get, I'm getting older and these things happen. And uh, so I just want, you know, make sure that everybody knew that, no, I'm okay. I was just tired. <laughs> And that's a lot of reading and, you know, just tired. So try not to do that again. We're trying to uh, record a little earlier and stuff like that and try to avoid all of that. But uh, but go check that show out. It's still a great show. A lighter show compared to some of this other crap we've been talking about lately. And so, uh, maybe then some of what we're going to be talking about again, although it's not 
the same, but it's I mean it's stuff we need to talk about as well because since we <laughs> it, it's it's definitely gonna be a different d- deal in many ways. So uh, yeah, well, we're talking yeah, about cause... the uh, Missy Hyatt um, sexual harassment stuff with WCW in '94 in, in February, stemming from her being fired. Yeah, it's because thirty years since she was fired, um, and we were planning on doing that anyway. Um, once I realized, yeah, we've been talking like, about that for months. Yeah, because I started like taking some of the stuff down for like the when I was doing the racial discrimination notes in case it could fit together because I wasn't sure how much there would be. Once I realized there was like fifteen pages worth that I could find on my own, I was like, okay, this might need to be its own show. And then I'm looking, okay, we don't have the wrestling perspective that has her big interview about the lawsuit. Reached out to Paul MacArthur. He scanned it for me and sent it to me. So big ups to him and uh, Dave Skolnick for their great work and perspective back in the day, as always. So, yeah. So that's coming up in February. And then I know you'll get mad at me if we say what it is. That March is going to have some more serious stuff and then turn into more palace intrigue as the series we start in March uh, continues. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's get started, shall we? As uh, we're going to a fun time in wrestling compared to 2014 we did last week. We go back to the week that was January 31st and February the 6th, 1988. You know, I cannot believe that we have not done this yet because it's one of the most important uh, moments in the, the business of professional wrestling of all time. As, yes, it's time for the main event. Let's go to the World Wrestling Federation and let's just see how the national broadcasting company was uh, promoting this show, shall we? Friday, it's a knockout night of competition. Fight card number one is the main event, featuring Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. On fight card number two, Crockett and Subs are in tag team competition with a mean herd of Holstein. And on fight card number three, Robert Stack wrestles with the incredible Unsolved Mysteries. The main event, Miami Vice and Unsolved Mysteries, the champions of Friday night. And, yeah, Animotion's still there, Bix, so maybe it was still, uh... On the regular <laughs> the, show, I don't think it's animal. So Vince McMahon has resigned from TKO. And from oh, the thanks, day. Autoplay. <laughs> he sure has. <laughs> okay, I need to make sure. Who, whoever you are. Tennessee Brando. Who the fuck is that? I don't know. How do I turn Autoplay off? It didn't used to be this bad even when I had it on. I don't know. That never happens to me, so I don't know. I never have Autoplay. I like to have it on on my TV sometimes, but... Anyway... Uh, all right but i i okay i know i had like original like at some point vhs or beta copies of the show as it aired i don't think it had obsession i think it did have the later thing when did they change themes it was an 88 for sure definitely an 88 so it was in it was in that year i don't think it was 87 maybe late 87 i don't know Okay, it says in February. Okay, Wikipedia says in February 1988, the songs were replaced with an original WWF created instrumental theme. Maybe this is the first one then. And I mean, it's NBC making the ad. It's not WWE. Yeah, yeah. Well, NBC kind of produced the show anyway, so. But that's another story. Oh, wait, that might be about the. Wait. 
the show featured a cold starting on October fourth, eighty six. Feature started featuring cold open wrestler promos set to a loop to the beginning of Lee Reitnauer's traveling music from the American Flyer soundtrack. So is that is that what that is? I don't think that's Lee Lee Reitnauer's work. We'll find out. Are you playing? No, it is. That it. Holy shit. Lee Rittenauer. Love him. I did not know that was him. So wow. Let me, let me pull up the actual Wikipedia because it was talking about that um, in the info box thing. Okay, so wait. Uh, okay, music. Okay, from 85 to 88, the opening theme song was Obsession. Closing theme song was Take Me Home. Um, and also the beginning of Take On Me was used for bumpers. Yeah. Remember that? Higher Love was used, also used as a closing theme. Steve Winwood, yes. Uh, starting on the October 4th, 86 edition, called Open, like we just said, in February 88, the songs, okay, so that means everything, were replaced with a, an original WF-created instrumental theme. The new instrumental theme was originally used as the theme of the 1987 Slammy Awards. And then a different opening theme was used for February 92 on Fox. I did not realize that, that it was used for the Slammies, did you? Uh, and I'm watching the original, and yes, I found the original intro, and yes, it is the first time they use the song they would use for the rest of the run. Okay. So. Well, yep. shall we go now to the uh, cold open? Yes. Lee Rettenauer. Yeah, so it seems like they because I pulled this up briefly before we start recording, and this did have that, so I guess they're still using that. And also, that's always on the network, so I guess they cleared that. Would have said the Hulk talk, man. I'm the first bus back to Disgraceland, yeah! Cut Ray Elvis one-way ticket, yeah! What a whiner that macho <laughs> man is! He couldn't keep this belt. He can't keep his woman satisfied. You all saw her fall head over heels over me. <laughs> and he was a lousy tuna for my guitar. But you know, he's a very lucky man. How so, Jimmy? He's very lucky you don't play the piano. <laughs> I'm Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. And this is the one and only true heavyweight champion of the world, Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan may wear the belt for now. But after tonight, that belt will fit as easily around Andre's waist as the giant's hands fit around Hogan's neck. <laughs> Hogan, it felt so good. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> and again. And again. <laughs> when that big, nasty giant snuck up behind me and put his filthy hands around my neck. Holy steroids. <laughs> I mean, we've commented before on how huge he is in this era, especially at Mania. He's gigantic. Oh. Uh, Holy shit. Say what you want to say. I mean, <laughs> yes. And this is the era well, where, I mean, and he's I mean, just ma it, massive. No, he's on steroids, yes. He's, ma he's massive. It's just massive. Yeah. He's huge. He is more cut up than before. His head's bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, like oh, Jonathan, yeah. like Jonathan Ross uh, said when he interviewed him a few years later. Actually, I'm on steroids right now, and that's why my forehead is so large. <laughs> so. Also, note which belt he's wearing, and which belt he will be wearing in the pre-match promo, but not during his entrance. Yeah. 
I knew I was fighting for my life thousands of miles away. Hulkamaniacs couldn't breathe either. That's why tonight, when I step in the ring with Andre the Giant, the thoughts and the prayers of all those Hulkamaniacs that stood with me through the hard times are going to go in the ring with me. And Andre the Giant, with all that on my side, Hulkamania will never die. Yes. Just look at how different he looked in that speaking promo to what we just saw on his damn entrance on yeah. the video. Look at yeah, th- yeah. Well, th- okay. So they you okay? Uh, so they actually they transition. Yeah, look at him. Look at that. <laughs> it's just, and that's got to be maybe what a year earlier, eighty seven, probably that one was right there done. Look at just his arms and, and traps. Yes. Also, look Massive at how ridiculous difference. the tan has gotten too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like he still has kind of a normalish tan in the older clip, but he looks like a pretzel. Yeah. In the promo. Yeah. Oh wait, I forget. Wait. Oh wait, no, that wasn't an inset clip of Elizabeth talking. That was just bad editing. Okay. No, th- I think that was you going down there to the t- to the thing. Uh oh. Okay. You- I didn't even. I didn't even see the scrub bar come up. So. I don't know. But yeah. anyway, here we are. The main event. I mean, they, they, use a, they use a picture of a thing of Hogan from like 85. Yeah. He actually looks bigger here than he did in 87. Yeah, more hair. So that's how you know, can date it. Yes. Yeah, and the, and his, his face and his mustache and stuff looked a little different. But. Yeah. Oh, so they went right to a break? Or is there some other thing at the beginning I, of the show that... It probably was. It probably was stuff to edit in. Where, where is the VHS rip that you found online? It just had the intro. It didn't go it past just that. just the intro. Oh, okay. Well, I think so. Sweeten, do you think it is? Very. And why does Vince and Jason look there behind a green screen, in front of a green screen? Well, they're not. I know, but it looks like they are. Wait, let me. Confederation Tag Team Championships. I predict the Honky Tonk Man is going to stop right there. It's. But they're definitely not on in front of a green screen, right? That looks the like back, they're on the green are screen. They? That doesn't mean the way. Just the way they look. It's. It's. <sighs> 
Okay. Wait, here's where... T- but you, they, we, we've seen them do intros in the pre-green screen era. This looks a little less green screen, where they are, like, in this weird spot in the... Cre- like, that started with them genuinely being positioned there. <laughs> so, I don't know. But also, are the fans looking at them? Yeah, the fans are looking at them when we see the fans around them. But are are they just waving at the camera? I don't know. That's weird. I'd never noticed that before. Anyway, I don't. I don't think we need the Hogan workout video, do we? No. I'll just go ahead and start the reading here. Yes, as I and now cue up the finish. I guess. Or are we going to want any or anything? Well, let me continue. Let me read the thing, and then we'll just take it by ear. All right. Okay. This is how Dave started the Observer. There's two Dave Hebner's in that ring. All I can say is I hope whoever came up with that finish got a nice bonus in this week's paycheck. It's been 33 years since pro wrestling had been on network television during prime time. Well, wrestling still hasn't been there, but once again, Titan Sports <laughs> appears to have come out smelling like a rose. They accomplished what they set out to accomplish to present pro wrestling. It was obviously not in their plans. And presenting pro wrestling was obviously not in their plans. They got the title from Hulk Hogan without him having to do a job. Andre wasn't hurt. WrestleMania was set up. And most of all, the end of the show with an angle so bizarre that it diverted everyone's attention from the few weaknesses of the show. Most of all, the sleight of hand finish distracted everyone and stunned them long enough so there was no threat of a riot. And that was a stroke of genius. Because doing a screw job title stealing from a Bay Faces over Hulk Hogan could easily escalate into an out of control situation. For those of you overseas, the blow blah blow detail here is devoted to you. Because they didn't see it. Not yet, at least. Only two matches aired from the February 5th card in Indianapolis Smart Square Arena. The show aired live on NBC TV in the Eastern and Central Time Zones and was shown on a tape delay in the Western half of the country. The result of the beta bit, with Hulk Hogan losing Andre the Giant, was pretty well known within wrestling circles to the point where it was so well known that they figured it was a false plant. As you're in the Bay Area, it was hard not to know the result ahead of time, being that several radio stations already reported the title change starting as early as Monday, and the San Jose Mercury ran a story on Friday morning in the front page of the sports session detailing that Andre was going to beat Hogan to set up WrestleMania. The reason all this became public knowledge was, was that Titan had already sent advertising agencies info on WrestleMania 4 with the slogan, Hogan tries to regain his title. Funny thing is, the folks at Titan weren't concerned at all about this, and they guess in reality they shouldn't have been because all the publicity and giving away the finish had to help the ratings. Dave knows that Dusty would turn over in his grave over something like this. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, yeah, people thought that Hogan was going to lose the title to Andre, and it was out there and it was well known. But no, but I damn sure didn't know how. No. So, I, I think that was kind of a stroke of genius. That it's it's kind of it's kind of the McFoley thing we just we talked about during the Patreon show of him winning the title, mm-hmm. where they put it out there, they spoiled it out there, you know, different circumstances because the internet is way different than what was going on in 1988, but still it was enough that there was the San Jose Mercury and I'm probably sure other newspapers too reporting that yeah Hogan's lose the title on this show tonight, yeah, and. Also, something to think about is clearly their point of view on this is it's influenced by it being on TV and on network TV. 
because when they accidentally give away in advance a mania that Savage is winning the title, they freak out and recall the WWF magazine issues. Yeah. You know? So like that like, you know, that's just that's weeks later. <laughs> Oh, I forget which newspaper it was. I have it safe somewhere. Like, th- there was, like, a surprisingly deep newspaper story about that whole thing. I think in, like, a Wisconsin newspaper. But anyway, yeah, like, there's the... And it was... I always found that particular gaffe so weird. I don't know if it was planned for a later issue or what. But it was just this little thing about Elizabeth that called her the manager of the WWF champion Randy Savage. For an issue that was coming out before Mania. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't it wasn't some big thing. It was like a weird little oversight. Yeah. All right. Uh, for those in the Bay Area, here's a trivia note. San Francisco's most famous jobber, Jerry Monty, made the opening credits. He was a victim of Honky Toss Netbreaker. <laughs> of course, Dave would note that. No, Dave saw it a few TV people over the weekend and pretty well agreed that it wasn't a usual slick production Titan is famous for. Blame down the fact that they were doing it live. And there were noticeable problems. Randy Savage's pre-match interview was partially legible. First, because the interview mic wasn't turned on. Second, because the background Honky Tonk Man music was playing too loud. Interviews was a waste of time, although they were far better than Crockett. We could see problems where cameramen were missing key shots. Although this was only a minor problem. I mean, let's, let's just be clear. This is their first ever live television broadcast. And including pay-per-views and closed circuit, it is, okay, Mania, Wrestling Classic, Mania 2, Mania 3, no, Mania 3, yeah, and Survivor. Well, wait a minute, okay. wait, whoa, 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 This is main event, though, so isn't it Stick Ebersol? It's both of them. I know, but so still, it's still, but... people are involved, but WWF people are involved. I know, but it's not the same as when it's all. It's the not the same crew that was doing the pay-per-views and stuff. On the other hand, though, we've seen the photos and stuff. Dick Abersall was helping produce Mania 3. But well, the different, a, but part a, of the difference is this has commercials and stuff, too. Yes. They, this is the first time they've ever had to produce live TV with commercial timing and everything. Yes. You know, and also in this era... They weren't even that strict on timing the pay-per-views and what windows they were doing. Like, Mania 3 ran, like, three hours, ten minutes. Do we want to hear Punky Tonks? I mean, Savage's promo to see what Dave's talking about? I don't think the version that's on... Well, I was it live, or was it... You said it was live, yeah. So, presumably, the version that's on the network should have the same problems? I would guess. Okay, let's see. Well, because part of it is the mixing. So let's see. I'm curious to see if there's any difference. I mean, it's possible this aired in some form internationally and they fixed it. So let's see. By comparison to the lovely Elizabeth, and I think Hockey Dog Man I forgot Peggy Sue's a thing here. Yep, Sherry's dancing. Macho Man. arena mics in the mix and the music into the feed wow 
Yeah, this is definitely not like them. I mean, that's obvious, though. Like, why would you do this? Although, I guess wow. you did hear... I'm trying to remember, on a regular Saturday Night's main event, main event, do you hear entrance music when they cut away to the second person's in promo? Yeah, but it's not that. It's not not like that. And for you all, we know it's like it, you know, mixed and stuff. So yeah. Elizabeth has got nothing to worry about, but the honky tonk man has got everything to worry about. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the direct feed that they play into the broadcast. That's not the arena. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to keep listening to this because it's giving me a headache. <laughs> also, also Savage it? is turning colors like Lesnar level. <laughs> Look at his eyes. Oh, through the oh, because the lighting we can see through the. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How often did yeah, that Sav happen? That the way the lights were, you could see through the shades too. <laughs> Savage is is turning into Barney the dinosaur here, basically. Goodness gracious. He, well, <laughs> very, very purple. Could kind of guess what's causing that. Well, probably a few things. All right. So, they open up with the Honky Tonk Man Randy Savage in the IC title match. It's usual Honky and Pig, Piggy Soup, like but on a great show for the match. The Sorry. What? I'm trying, to talk, I'm, tr I'm trying to read this. Sorry, it sounded like you had a pause in there, and then you didn't. I do feel like everyone forgets this opened the show. It's, well, there's only two matches on the show. No, but I feel so like people think this was the second match. No. I feel like people remember the main event opening the show. Okay. No. No. Once the bell rang, Honky was his usual dud self. Savage was hard to carry him and succeeded in making it only a bad but watchable match. The scripts called for several instances where Savage tried to lay on his back so Honky could serenade Elizabeth. So you can't fault Randy for ba a bad match since he was limited by the framework of it. They only went H20, more than half of which was serenading and stalling. The cameras missed key interference by Jimmy Hart. The finish saw Savage run Honky's shoulder to the ring post and get back into the ring for the count-out victory. At one point, the camera also missed Jimmy Hart using a megaphone. At that point, we were wondering if not only Vince hired Earl Hebner, but also Jackie Crockett. Savage got hit with the megaphone again after the match. Honky got his guitar and about to hit Randy, but Liz jumped in the way to save the day. Honky stalled some more. With the hit, Liz. Then Randy saved the day, and we ended the show with Randy opening up the roads for Liz and carrying her high above his head. A bunch of sim symbolic bullshit. Dave gives this whole thing two stars, only because of the post-match stuff. Match is no better than a star and a quarter. Well, Honky wasn't known for his working. That's for sure. Well, that's so Honky Tonk Man. No. Now, is there anything, at least in the notes, I'm assuming you did that week and the maybe week or two after is what you checked. Is there anything about the whole Honky Tonk refused to do a plan job thing in here? Uh, yes. Okay, so we will have that later. Yes. Okay, so should we save our yes. thoughts on this until we get there? Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. All right. Nobody expected Andre and Hogan to have a good match. In all honesty, Andre couldn't get, have a good match and win this business. He appears to have lost a good deal of weight since his last appearance on Thanksgiving. He plays the heel role great with his facial expressions, but he has no business wrestling with his current physical condition. The first 90 seconds saw nothing happen. Then Hogan started being on Ted DiBiase and Virgil, which killed the first two minutes, with Andre standing in a stationary position. 
Hogan just started punching Irick and Andre. Andre went down, probably because he had so much trouble trying to get back up. Before a minute, Mark Hogan climbed to the top row. Andre tossed him off the ropes into the mat. David never seen Hogan take the uh, Ric Flair bump before. Andre choked Hogan for a few minutes, even in position with no movement. Andre started to look decidedly pale. Andre tried to kick a face, kick at the face. His other foot couldn't support him, and down he went. Wait, as Andre rather, fell, wouldn't you rather he look pale than look red? As Andre fell, Dave sure Vince probably saw $25 million flying out the window. But Andre went back to choking. One thing which shot Dave was the crowd was more concerned with the mugging and waving, and it appeared a good percentage weren't even paying attention to the match. Holt made a comeback and did the th- leg drop, but Virgil distracted the referee, so there was no cow. Andre then got up and did what he was supposed to, was supposed to be a vertical suplex, but in reality it was a poor hip lock that covered Hogan. Hogan got his shoulder up at the count of one, but the ref counted three anyway. <laughs> and in 905, Hogan dropped the title after a four-year reign. Now, before December 27th, Sumo Hall imitation could begin, <laughs> what Dave's <laughs> noting is uh, that's the uh, Noki Vader Sumo Hall riot. You mean uh, Big Ben uh, Vader? Yeah, where uh, the pillows were thrown into the, the ring. No, that wasn't pillows. I mean, I think there maybe were pillows, but cartons of eggs. Well, pillows were involved. Containers. It. It, was, it got them kicked out of, uh, got kicked New Japan, kicked out of Sumo Hall for a while. Yeah, I mean, for and a just while, the Andre no re- wrestling at Sumo Hall, but because both them and All Japan were both banned. Yeah, and just after Andre gives Ted the belt and twice refers to it as the World Tag Team Championship, the fun of live television. Who shows up? Well, what? Well, maybe not. Dave, maybe Andre was meaning that that him and Ted were the tag team champions of the heavyweight title. So there you go. Yeah. Who shows? Who shows up? A referee, Dave Hebner. Of course, the referee in the match was supposed to be Dave Habner. In reality, the ref who played the heel for the night was Earl Habner, Dave's brother, who up until a few days earlier had worked for the Crocus as a referee. Yes, it was a mere mere days that he was uh, in Crockin. Yes, and, uh, and he, he had been on the Bunkhouse Stampede pay-per-view. Uh, apparently, he told Crockett he had an opportunity in WWF to work with his brother, and he wanted to you know, he wanted to give his notice, but that he wanted it kept confidential, that there were business reasons for keeping confidential. Crockett agreed, and that's how we got here. And there's no way Jimmy would have known what, what this, this was going to be. No. And that, now what ends up happening long term, that was part of this. And really, so uh, the way Bruce Pritchard explains it that led to this, Dave had told Vince that he wanted to move, he wanted, I forget if it was a physical thing or whatever, but he wanted to move away from refereeing to being an agent, and that he would appreciate it if his twin brother, Earl, who works for Crockett, could get his job. And then Vince was like, wait, your twin brother? You have an identical twin brother? And that's how it got rolling. And thing is, too, is Earl was never really on Crockett television. Rarely. As a referee. Yes. It was always Tommy Young or, uh, you know, or Roughhouse Fargo, you know, in the in the, yeah. in the Crockett towns, you know, and then Georgia, of course, you have Teddy Long and, Stephen Gregory. you know, Scrap McGowan, Steve Gregory, occasion. Yeah. you very, I mean, you saw, very rarely saw Earl Hebner 
referring, referring to Crockett, but he did on house shows. And I mean, he, he, he worked for him, but it just wasn't a lot on TV. So as Vince and Jesse explained about there being two Dave Hebner's, the nation stood in stunned silence. The heel Dave Hebner, Earl, then tossed Dave out of the ring. Hogan then picked Earl the, up Earl the Pearl over his head, tossed him over the top rope way out of the ring. DiBiase and Virgil were supposed to catch Earl, but Hogan threw him too far, way over their head, and Earl took a nasty fall outside the ring. Uh, uh, he could have killed him. It's amazing that he got All right. this. All right, so, so where are we let's starting? cover. So I guess we're going to start with the, the promo before the match here. The with uh, yes. Ted, uh, Ted, Andre, and Virgil with Gene and Hogan. Well, gentlemen, tonight you have the chance at the World Wrestling Federation's Heavyweight Championship. You're coming. Chance, Andre already is champion. He beat Hogan at WrestleMania 3 until the referee, <laughs> obviously a hunk of moron, cheated on the three count. But this time, Virgil will keep an eye on the referee. I just realized something. They don't push it hard. But is part of the storyline here that this is kind of a fuck you over them thinking Andre got screwed at Mania by Joey Morella? I mean, I don't know about that. But you get what I'm saying. Like, part of the storyline is that when they do that spot early in the match where Hogan tries to slam him and Andre falls on top, they do this very close, like, oh, was that three deal? And later it's sold as Andre got screwed by Joey Morella. Well, yeah. I don't know why, but I find the way Andre is sizing up Virgil here hilarious. <laughs> All right. Also, I just realized the racial implications of Virgil have gotten a lot worse this week, haven't they? I mean, it was mainly a dusty thing, but whatever. He's still his manservant. and Well... And Hogan won't squirm loose. That coward has run from Andre for a year. Tonight, he meets the Giant. And the rest is history. All right, uh, Ted DiBiase, obviously you are very confident, and obviously the Giant is ready. Of course he's ready. He's had the finest training at the finest facilities that money can buy. Everyone knows that money makes the man. And it takes big money to match up to a big man like this. That's why Andre's with me, the million-dollar man. And that's why Hulk Hogan is always with those nickel and dime Hulkamaniacs. Hulk Hogan is small change compared to Andre the Giant. Your account is overdrawn, Hogan. And Andre's gonna close it. Andre the Giant. Once I go get my hands on you, I'll never stop. Never! <laughs> I'm going to squeeze and twist and squeeze again. And squeeze, and I never stop it. Go That's it, Andre. This is for the money. Let's go. <laughs> sure, it is for the money, Vince. After all, Andre the Giant has millions of reasons to become the heavyweight champ. Let's go back to you. Thank you, mean, Gene, and we are indeed awaiting the presence of one Andre. Okay, real quick. Not that they don't by having him with Gene and stuff, but I feel like with hindsight, especially when you see, like, pictures of andre with like real like normal size people i feel like sometimes they almost did a disservice to showing off his size by having him around so many huge wrestlers especially having dibiase and virgil as his managers yeah you know like when you see him yeah. next to like a, a non-athlete you really get the feel for how huge he was but that doesn't happen that much so anyway let's go now as they go into the hogan interview the giant 
Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest is... Oh, they do it during the Andre entrance. Okay, so let me skip ahead a little bit. Um, okay, so here's Andre's entrance. And, I mean, I'll just say it. Hogan is wearing the old WWF belt here in the promo, and he comes out wearing the winged eagle belt. So, this is obviously a pre-tape. I'm curious if the others were as well. And just, it was bad mixing in the live production. Well, apparently, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant has millions of reasons to become the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion. Well, with all the controversy means Gene from WrestleMania 3, I've tried to keep an open mind, man, but I've viewed the film a thousand and one times. Andre the Giant, you only had me down for a two count. I slammed you and beat you one, two, three. Right- this sweet thing is killing me. <laughs> It's interesting how much more obvious it is when you just hear it during the promos. Like, during the live stuff, they're uh, they're doing a good job of blending it in. Right in the middle! The players, the violence, and the training is small change to you, multi-million dollar man. But I've invested my three assets wisely in a lifelong profit-sharing plan with all my little holsters, brother. That'll never happen. That's cool. All my Hulkamaniacs are going to be watching you, multi-million dollar man. Then Andre the Giant, one-on-one, with the whole world watching, I'm going to prove to you I can beat you, and Hulkamania will live forever. All right, ladies and gentlemen, headed to the ring, Hulk Hogan. And now, introducing from British Okay, we don't need the entrances or anything. So, now I'm curious. Were you watching this live? Mm-hmm. I am trying to remember if I have any recollection or idea of if I did. Uh, you would have been, what, four, three? But I was already watching yeah. wrestling in some form by then. Well. And this is at 8 p.m. on a Friday, so it's possible. you <laughs> You were already breaking down ratings to your, your preschool uh, oh. mates. I forgot Hogan. It's a flying clothesline from the second rope here. Okay, so we'll pick up where Hogan's distracted by uh, Evil Hebner. Give me a break. Come on, referee. Turn around. Hulkster, head on with a giant pin. One, two, three. He had him from behind. Andre now. But maybe Lady Luck riding on his shoulders here tonight. If you're someone who paid close attention to these things, you may have noticed something 
because Earl at this point is, it, I don't want to say noticeably, but you can pick on Earl is skinnier than Dave is at this point. Well, we're going to find out when they show up together with the well, difference. Yes. But there is, I, th- I think there's more than one difference than that. So Okay. Well, the haircut looks a little different, too. That's what I'm. That's what I was getting at. The hair. Uh, I can't hey. believe that. The guy's only human. McMahon no, is just a referee. He's going to present it. He presents it to Andre. Raises his hand. We have a new world champion. Ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so the intent here is that Earl, evil Hebner, reveals himself by resorting to throw a punch and deck real good Dave Hebner. But the fans think it's all around, all the The way around. The fans think it is Dave losing his cool and taking care of the imposter. Yes, that's an amazing twist on this, too. (sighs) It's... 
they should have found a way to make it more overt. Yeah. You can see why the crowd reacted the way he did. And honestly, the <laughs> Earl's facials and body language do not read heel in that exchange. No. Like, he, he comes off like he's firing up like a baby face. So that's, that's why the crowd, I think, reacts that way. That he doesn't... He's not doing enough to read as a heel. No. So, a little bit of a misstep there. I mean, what do you think they could have done? Uh, <laughs> don't know. They probably should have had something to make it more clear, which was the one that was already in the ring, too. They should have found a way to distinguish them and at least show, okay, this is the one that was refereeing the match. Because then that might make it more clear, okay, that's the heel. But... Chicanery going on around here! Has to be something with a million dollar match! I wonder what they did with the real Dave Hebner I don't him out of the match! I don't care what though, but Hogan is not allowed to manhandle referees like this! That, I don't believe that man's a legal official! Dave Hebner! <laughs> what are you talking about? Official. He just did the match. How could he not be an official? Hulk Hogan. And I don't know what... Oh, wait a minute. Coming back. Oh, look at this. Whoever that man is, he's high above the air. The Hulkster knows. Look out. Oh. <laughs> so, we forget this. Andre should have helped, and he didn't. No, you stood there and let him fall right in front of him. Yes. <laughs> he honestly, oh Hogan might not have actually thrown him too far. Ruby! Might have thought Andre was supposed to pick up the slack. Back with more of the main event and more World Wrestling Federation action. Honestly, you watch this too, you kind of realize why Earl took such weird bumps. Because this yeah. probably hurt. Rod Hearts. Okay. All right. So well, people forget this. This doesn't. Does this? Air, that don't even air all the way, does it? No, like a minute airs, and then they go off the yeah. air, and then there's like the, this network version does have the finish, but they go home very quickly, as you can see from yeah. the timestamp. Yeah. So now let's go to Hogan's post-match interview, and it's all of its delightful nonsensical insanity. Is standing by with Mean Gene. Oh. All right, uh, Vince McMahon, Bedlam and Pandemonium. Things in uh, somewhat of a chaotic state here. Hulk Hogan, I'm sure there's going to be a thorough investigation by the World Wrestling Federation into what happened here tonight. And I know what you act? could not be any more disappointed. How much money did they spend on the plastic surgery, man? I had all bases covered. I had the Hulkamaniacs watching DiBiase. I had Virgil in his place. Never in Huh? Virgil in his place, huh? Well, the thing about that... No, the thing is, is, is you got plastic surgery here. Hogan's the first one to bring that up. And then I don't think it's ever brought Vince, up again. Vince and Jesse never brought it up. No. But also, Vir that line hits differently uh, 36 <laughs> years later. What? Whatever. Well, it's because it's Hogan, too. <laughs> but... 
my wildest dreams, Mean Gene, would I think that I would get ripped off by a penny pension two-timing referee? How much money on the plastic surgery? How much money did he spend to pay the referee off when I turned around, Mean Gene? They were identical. Identical. Right, right here, Holt. Identical. <laughs> Here it Look is at the now. shoulder, brother. There. Look at the shoulder. That's the referee is paid off, brother. Look at the $100 bill falling out of his pocket. I know you're disappointed. Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura, back Hulk to you. Hulkamaniacs. 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 <laughs> okay. It's one thing if he makes a wacky Hulk Hogan comment about the $100 bills falling out of his pocket in a way that makes it sound figurative. No. As they are showing the clip, he says, look at the $100 bills falling out of his pocket. <laughs> Which is not a thing that is happening. Well, in Hulk's mind it is. Oh, there's Jack Lanza. Hey, Jack. <laughs> uh, and then they started the match during the break. Yeah, let's, see, let's see how this is on the network. To do it, not a biased man like... Also, oh, I forgot that the hearts are in their uh, WrestleMania 4 gear here. So they did wear that more than once. Huh. I never realized that. Honey. Well, I'm sure that there's going to be some sort of investigation. We certainly have thus far enjoyed ourselves here. We'd have to say goodbye. This match still in progress. So, so long from Indianapolis, Indiana. As you'll see, they just go home right away instead of giving the crowd a match. Oh, Leo Burke's finish. <laughs> Can't give the crowd a well, real match. Did, did it end like that on NBC, though? It aired... No, the, the finish did not air on NBC. Okay, because I don't remember that. No. So, w was this match supposed to have more time left for it? I doubt it. Jesse, we're out of time. <sighs> From the post-match interview with Hogan, it appears the story would be that DiBiase paid somebody to have plastic surgery to look like Dave Hebner and play heel referee instead of Tyler Bellaway. The syndicate TV shows, which aired the next day... And early mentioned that President Jack Tunney had banned the commentators from talking about the previous night's occurrences, as all the Cindy's were taped before the Friday anyway. Although heel commentators tried to talk and were bleeped out. Jesse even did a Dan Rather, storming off the set and crying about censorship. All right, so I have it set up for later in the show. Let's go ahead and do it now, Bix. Yeah, I was surprised uh, you just, didn't have that here, actually. And uh, wasn't thinking. So this will be that the, uh, the fourth clip. Yes. All right, so let's, let's hear Jesse here as uh, he's being held down by the man, Jack Tunney. Well, also, they didn't want to give it away. So, and it went out. This is like the very beginning of them sending stuff out. If it's not the beginning of them sending up, out stuff over satellite, it's right before. But either way, like, even, they just didn't want to give it away. That's why they did the bleeping. But, oh, yeah. But while I'm talking here, I got something that I want to bring up. What is this Jack Honey thing coming out with a referendum or memorandum or whatever you want to talk it, call it, saying that I can't talk about the events that happened? Jesse, he's not singling you out. I mean, we all want to talk about what happened last Friday, but no, I mean, with Jack Honey, I think we have to respect his wishes. Wait a minute. What? We live 
live in a democracy. We live in a place that has something that's called the First Amendment. That's correct. That's called freedom of speech. What gives this guy the right to take away my freedom of speech? Listen, Jesse, I'm saying... I don't care what he says. I'm going to talk about Friday Wait night. Wait a minute now. I'm going to talk about it right now. You know, I... And the word censored on screen. <laughs> what is this? Hey, I can't What is going it. on here? Listen, the World Wrestling Federation censors are right there. What, what do you want from me? This is censorship, McMahon. I don't have to put up with this. You are not no, no, no. allowed to speak. Getting back what to those happened? matches the other night. Listen, you're, Jesse, who can stop me? You're telling me Jet Honey oh. takes away my right to the First Amendment? I'm going to talk about them matches. You know that tag team shit. <laughs> Of course. Well, the best part about the, the the tag team thing is how that would been the thing to talk about since the fans didn't get to see what the finish was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bruno Sanders, doggone it. Oh, doggone it, Jesse. Yeah. Now, what they end up putting in WWF Magazine is that they are tw actual twins and Earl was the evil twin. Now, the other thing I didn't mention earlier is that at least for the first few years, Earl Hebner referees as Dave Hebner. <laughs> yes. It is until, what, like the mid-90s that he's consistently addressed as Earl Hebner? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. So... Yeah, because he was, that's the thing. Remember, he's replacing him as referee. But because of the storyline, you can't say he's Earl Hebner. Not yet. So he has to be Dave Hebner. Amazing. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So let's talk about the uh, number side of things. Don't get me wrong, Dave said. Everything works so well, it's scary. Dave's figuring the $25 million gross for Romania 4 may not be even considered a conservative estimate. Wow. And we'll go ahead and pump the, the numbers up into this spot. Okay. And then uh, move the honky stuff down. All right. Because I was talking about numbers. All right. Um, the Friday Night NBC show drew a 15.1 rating and a 25 share, which translated, translated makes it the most widely watched wrestling match in the history of the United States. However, the Antonio Noki Leon Spinks, uh, Akira Maeda, Don Nakai, and Nielsen card in Japan in late 86 actually had a bigger audience 39, to, 39 million to about 35 million and drew a 28.9 rating. Dave said he'll go into detail about the rating next time, which he did. But basically, it was an average rated primetime show, although it did a lot better than NBC normally does with the bomb rags to riches in that slot. Well, I mean, if they were doing Rags to Riches, they should have had the big rag goo on there uh, singing Rags to Riches from Laverne and Shirley. Maybe that would have got a better rating. But Rags to Riches, let's, let's see, what show was that? Uh, bu -bu -bu -bu. Okay. Rags to Riches was an American musical comedy drama that was broadcast on NBC for two seasons from March 9th, 87 to January 15th, 1988. Set in the pre-British invasion 1960s. The st series tells the story of Nick Foley, a self-made millionaire who adopts six orphan girls. 
Each episode included musical scenes and hit songs from the air performed by the girls integrated into the plot with the lyrics modified to provide commentary on the storyline. There's a plot uh, that you would never have today. A self-made millionaire who adopts six orphan girls. And uh, they were of different races, too. Okay. Because one, one of the girls was Tisha Campbell. And uh, the mi- submarine millionaire was uh, Joe Bologna. You know who Joe Bologna was, Bix? Mm, I'm forgetting. He was uh, Adam Koufax. Adam Koufax. Adam Sandler. Adam, Adam Sandler played Koufax. Adam Sandler's father in Big Daddy. Okay. I've never seen Big Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you've seen him. He's been in yes, all kinds of crap. Yes, yes, yes. But, um, yeah, so that was the show that Dave was talking about. Yeah, uh, it was as, not as you said, the last episode has already aired. Uh, the, the the plot of the last episode on January 15th, Diane agrees to have a late Sweet 16 birthday party until the Cuban Missile Crisis ruins their plans. Oh, no! Fearing the worst <laughs> in relation to the con crisis, Nick installs a fallout shelter. Perish the thought. <laughs> but, but anyway. Oh, and in 2012, Image Entertainment re- released the complete series on DVD. <laughs> Well, that's nice. And Heidi Z so, won a Best Young Actress Under 10 Years of Age in Television or Motion Pictures Young Artist Award. Well, how about that? All right, and uh, it was the 30th, main event was the 31st highest ranked show out of 70 during the week. So in other words, the show was average. Well, that's the TV in that era, though. This has been a major disappointment to both Titan and NBC, both of whom were figuring the show would easily crack the top 10 for the week. Still, it's not a flop by any means. The show did win its time slot, and the ratings better than the 11.6 NBC had been averaging this season with Rags to Riches in that time slot. Think about that. Rags to Riches was doing 11.6 and got canceled. Yes. <laughs> you had a TV show doing 11.6, today it'd be the number one rated show on network television. Yeah. By a, by a, a margin. There were NBC folks who were take, talking top five or top ten for the week, but it was probably in the number 25 range. Again, complete info, unavailable at press time, but we'll have next time, which you didn't. We aren't going to get a weekly series, although Dave sure they'll get another primetime special. Dave expected much better numbers as well, but Dave guesses there aren't as many potential wrestling fans in the United States as he thought there was. Okay. Now, hold well, on. Well, no, I have something to get into before we get go into this stuff. Um... So our friend Corey Gibson recently has gotten a hold of through ratings Ryan uh some of the Nielsen like pocket piece guy things or whatever they're called that have like detailed rating network ratings information and we have like cl- various defin- clear definitive ratings including demos and stuff for all the Saturn night's main events and the main events so it was in 201 stations, 99% of the country, 15.4 rating, 25 share, 13,640,000 households. And the actual viewers number from Nielsen was 26,640,000. Now, Dave said 35 million. Most of you listening who have ever heard a number have probably heard 33 million. There's a reason for that. That's because the numbers that we had at the time, people did the thing, which was the guesswork math, which was 
used in network TV and whatnot to multiply the households by 2.4 viewers for household. And that's what you got. But wrestling never gets 2.4 viewers for household. It's just an average role of TV. So in actuality, it was uh, 1.95 viewers per household. And then there's all sorts of demo ratings, but it doesn't have, like, in terms of numbers of people, it's just the percentages. So we're not going to get into that. But that that is the actual audience, although there was also some other... What was it? What's the note here? I don't know what this is. AGB Television Research said it was 23,700,000 viewers. Still the most watched wrestling match in US TV history. Yeah, in the end, yes. Alright, so... Back to what I was getting at. Alright, so in both the New York Times and USA no, Today... Los Angeles Times. Excuse me, Los Angeles Times. Close enough. It quote Dick Ebersol, co-producer of the show with Vincent Mann, saying that they weren't interested in the weekly primetime show... Because it would hurt the live gates. The truth is they won't get a chance to turn in a, a slot down because they weren't able to sustain competitive numbers in prime time. Well, they wouldn't be able to. Truthfully, Dave was quite surprised at the rating. He mentioned more than this than he didn't see anything in wrestling in a long time because he wondered just how over it would be to the general public. What this shows is that to the general public, the biggest and most hype wrestling match possible, Andre vs. Hogan on primetime, with four weeks of buildup on the network, cable, syndicated shows, and in the news media. Nearly every newspaper ran a feature about the primetime show day of the card or day of the announcement of the special or both. Could only garner mediocre mainstream support. Well, it also shows that wrestling fans are extremely loyal and watch the show no matter wh- how inconvenient the time slot is. The same match on Saturday night, 11.30 would have drawn at least a 12 rating. They had done more in 11s on two occasions. Now the time did they, did they have an Andre Hogan level attraction? In other words, they picked up very few new viewers in prime time. So the question is, is it for how first time casual viewers view the play surgery, evil twin angles to a totally moot point, moot point. Few first time viewers are even watching. And it was simply the same wrestling audience and a few others watching the, from the hype and the hype was still ignored by 85% of the general public. There's nothing wrong with that either because Titan can cross hundreds of millions of dollars off that 12 to 15% of the population that's inter- that is interested. And I ain't worried about the real mainstream, even if they had to claim they are mainstream now. However, Hulk Hogan had been put into perspective. To a cult audience, which numbers in the millions, he is over bigger than any wrestling star has ever been in this country. But he is not a mainstream star capable of making it in prime time on networks or anything more than one or two shot a year basis. He's not nearly as over as Antonio Noki was in his heyday, let alone Larry Holmes, whose style of defense has always scratched the top ten against bums like Randall Tex Cobb when put on free television. At the same time, Titan did prove beyond any doubt that for a special with lots of hype, they can be put into a weak time slot during sweeps and weak competition. They can win the slot, which no disgrace either. David Spitz another special in prime time in the future, but doubt we'll ever get more than one or two a year. Time magazine is going to be banging on Titan's door this month for claiming another wrestling resurgence. The networks aren't going to stumble upon Joe Crocker's group because somebody's looking at wrestling as a hot item. But which could have happened had the show cracked the top five. No, it wouldn't have. At the same time, Titan is no worse than off than they were two weeks ago. And WrestleMania 4 is still going to gross 25 million bucks. And even though Vince McMahon has been more successful in making money from wrestling in promotion history, the level of mainstream interest doesn't even approach New Japan during his heyday of 82 to 85 in TV. And Hogan's TV ratings power, while again more than any wrestler in the modern era, probably isn't as strong as Shigusa Nagayo's right now. One may view the comparisons with Japan as ridiculous because of the differences of culture. But the truth is, if anything, U.S. in the, in the country more TV is in the country more TV oriented. 
Dave's main point out of all this is conversation he had with a Titan employee a few months back when we got to the subject of the style of wrestling. Fast food versus hardcore. And if the style of wrestling, which made Titan number one, if it's the fact that it's the best run promotion that made number one, or it's the fact that they spent most money to make them number one. The conclusion they came to was there was something we couldn't answer. No promotion offering traditional wrestling has ever had the front office professionals in the hundreds behind the company. A $250,000 budget for TV tapings to make them look so major league and glitzy in comparison with opposition, etc. Unless opposition was equal to Titan. It's every way except in every way except they had different wrestling product, more action-oriented. And Titan was still number one. Did we really know the answer? That we have found that out recently, haven't we? No. On the other hand, would Antonio Nokia choose the guy or Carlos Colon or Ricky Choshu be as over if there were a dozen different wrestling promotions on television in their country? Just you wait, Dave. But here's the thing, though. I mean, opposition is equal to Titan in in way in very many ways. You know, as far as money and all that stuff, and has a different wrestling product, more action oriented. Yeah. But Titan stills, but he's still number one because it's just the way it is. <laughs> so, all right. Um, WWE was never going to get a, a in this era was never no. was never never going to get a weekly slot on network television. That was not going to happen. It just wasn't. The fact that it ever did happen with SmackDown getting off Fox is still amazing to me. Could talk about how I mean, because of how wrestling was perceived and is perceived yeah. by people in television. You cannot compare. Hulk Hogan with Larry Holmes. And Larry Holmes was a guy who was very disrespected by a lot of the people in boxing. You know, he was underrated. I mean, he was the guy that dominated the heavyweights between Ali and Tyson. Was an amazing heavyweight champion. But just because he wasn't as charismatic, so to speak, as Ali or Tyson, he was never, you know fully beloved by the media, but he was still going out there and, and doing great business because boxing is still one of the top sports in the, in the world this time and was, would always draw big money, big ratings, especially heavyweight champion of the world. When, I mean, that actually, when we still very much in this era was, was a huge deal, you know, right. and they, and they think about that. Well, if they, you know, had this great rating, that maybe the networks could look at Crockett. Come on with that shit. No. He said that numerous times in the Observer, in the lead up to this show. No, no. that was not going to happen. <laughs> it just wasn't. All right, go ahead. Oh, um, did I lose my train of thought here? Oh, I can't find, I can't find any of these Eversol quotes on newspapers.com or ProQuest. And both of those should have the LA Times. And ProQuest also has Sub USA Today, so I don't know why I can't find anything. Unless they unless they misspelled his name and I didn't check yet, with no E at the end. Well, his name is does not have an E. That's the way it's spelled it, in the Observer. <laughs> I know. What, what's wrong? Oh, so that's the wrong one. Okay, there we go. I can never remember which one's Dick Ebersol, which one's Christine Ebersol. Well, she's Ebersol. I mean, that's what I'm saying, with the spelling. Uh... Oh, this is before it airs. This is New York Daily News on the 5th. 
Old time wrestling was wrestling, explained main event co-producer Dick Ebersole the other day. This World Wrestling Federation is not a couple of old guys grappling with each other. This really is an entertainment. Yeah, they they dominated the news that week, man. I mean, it was just dominating. So There's so many articles about this show. Um, so at this point, it's 886,000 households per rating point, according to this article. Um, so Ebersole is also executive producer of Friday Night Videos, added that a recent wrestling show on USA Network, Royal Rumble, was the highest rated program ever on cable, and that the five hours of syndicated TV produced weekly by WWF is topped in syndicated ratings only by Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and certain wanking motion. But five hours of syndication? Well, you got uh, Superstars. You Challenge, got Challenge. Spotlight. Spotlight that's three. Um, Those were they syndicating All-American? No. Primetime Wrestling, does that, no. does that count? No. That'd be two hours. That's not it, well, case. who knows? And if they're talking about the syndicated package, that's more than five hours anyway. Um, weird. But anyway. Um, oh, and I said this, this article has a photo they did of Hogan and Andres facing off by the NBC logo and the WWF logo. Um, and this was a big deal. Yeah. It really was. So what did he actually say to the LA Times? Uh, oh, so they say, unlike producers who hope their specials evolve into weekly series, Ebersole said that neither he nor McMahon has plans to make main event a weekly show. Wrestling is an arena business, Ebersole said backstage after the match. That's where the money is drawn and too much primetime television would weaken the live business. Uh, at present, business is booming in the arenas, according to Mike Weber, director of media relations for the Wrestling Federation, which stages about 1,000 wrestling nights a year in the United States. About 85 wrestlers are under contract to the Federation, he said, and most of them step into the ring as much as 250 to 300 times a year. Yeah. All right. So let's let's take the, uh, the let's take another story that came out at the, about this show afterwards. Probably the most bizarre story revolves around last Friday CNBC special. Apparently, an intercontinental title change was in the script, and the match was supposed to be shorter as well. However, Honky Tonk Man vetoed the script. And there was lots of backstage commotion about it. But the bottom line was he held out and refused to do the job, and he's still the champion today. If you wonder why they just have Randy beat him anyway, which is something that gets threatened from time to time, especially in the old days of wrestling, it's simply because Honky must have realized there was no chance whatsoever McMahon would take any chances on a bad situation occurring on live television, and the last thing he ever wants is real violence. That probably explains why Honky Tonk Man, as IC champion, isn't in the tournament. And uh, all right, so let's talk about this. So the the story that was around, and numerous people have said this is true. Was Honky was threatening to go to Crockett with, with the IC title with the belt? Um, they did definitely didn't want that, yeah. and he knew he had leverage because of the live television situation and all that stuff. But here's the thing in all of it, though. Savage was going to win the IC title back on this. So, obviously, he wasn't going to win the world title at Mania. So, Savage came out in a whole better situation. Yes. Because of Honky's power play. Yes. <laughs> and so, for those who don't know, 
the first week they show the tournament bracket on TV, it's a completely different bracket. Where, as laid out, you like, DiBiase Hogan, I think, is the only possible finals, something like that. DiBiase was going to end up as a champion. Regardless, DiBiase was going to end up as a champion. He's the only person who makes sense as a champion based so on Hogan, So Honky screwed DiBiase more than anybody else. Yes. And then they changed the bracket, though, like a week later to the one that they use on the show. So the, th- the question is, how do you think they have DiBiase win? Now, we're only a few pay-per-views in. There's no huge tradition of baby faces standing tall at the end. And I mean, even at Survivor Series, it was a heel win that closed the show. So do you have DiBiase cheat to win over Hogan? Do you have the draws happen in different spots and DiBiase wins by default? Like, what do you do? What is the best way to have DiBiase win the title? Um... That's tough because, I mean, do you do another version of the, the, the Hebner angle again? I mean, where you, you have the the Heb the the real Hebner, and but this time he is working for DiBiase. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough call. How do you how do you do that on that show where it won't be? A major problem. So the two sides of the bracket, you know, and remember Hogan and Andre had buys in the second to the second round. Were so one side is Hogan, Andre, Jake, Rude, Bravo, Morocco, the original bracket. The other side is Steamboat, Valentine, Reed, Savage, Duggan, Bigelow, Andre, not Andre, uh, one man gang, DiBiase. The way that is set up, assuming DiBiase is winning, either he's facing Hogan in the finals. He's facing Andre, and Andre lays down for him. Oh, that would have been horrible. It would have been. I agree. Oh, or, my God. Or they do something with draws in him winning by default. So if we're assuming... That'd been bad, too. No, it is. So if we're assuming he beats Hogan, how does he beat Hogan? They would have no choice but to have him pin Hogan, but probably with Andre's help or somebody else's help. And also, I wonder if part of the idea is if doing it in Atlantic City with the high rollers and stuff is that you're not risking a bad crowd situation. However, you have DiBiase screw Logan. Yeah. Well, it worked out way better than they ever could have planned it. Thanks to Honky Tonk Man. Yes. <laughs> wow. But yeah, imagine imagine him walking out on Turner Television with that belt. Mm-hmm. Good lord. Talk about changing the wrestling business forever. No. Now, uh, All right, full results. Yes. What? I was going to say, meanwhile, full yes, re- we have the full results. Full results of the show. Demolition beat Billy Jack Hans Kim Patera. Jake Snake over King Holly Race. Ron Bass over Coco Beware. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, a one-man game by disqualification. You skipped that. Uh, Bruce Bulldogs over the Yeah, Bruce Bulldogs over the Islanders, yes. Uh, the Rock, Don Morocco over Hacksaw Butchery. Ultimate Warrior over Sika. And Savage over Honky. Andre over Hogan. And Strike Force over the Heart Foundation in the tag time match. So, yeah. The only thing taped was the, uh, the main event on this show. 
Or the only thing that aired anywhere. They never... I mean, I'm assuming they taped everything, but they never aired it. Well, I mean, yeah. In the dark, of course. From the dark matches. Yeah. So... Yeah, none of these show up on yeah. a video, nothing. Oh, no. no. Oh, History of WWE says it's Axe over Patera originally advertised as the tag match. That's odd. Because I have my results uh, say differently. Hmm. And it came from there. Partly, partly. Okay. Well. So. Anyway. I don't know. The next day, on Titan Cards about Boston and Philadelphia, DiBiase appeared billed as WF champion. On a weekend of syndicated shows, an announcement will be made. But apparently, that title will be held up. Dave's not sure of this. It just seems to be working in that direction. Actually, got several ways to go. Bearing in mind, they have to come up with a hot main event for the only many of four, but also for the August 29th pay per view event. They can hold the title up, put DiBiase versus Hogan, and then stuff Andre Hogan for August. They can make DiBiase the champion, have Hogan win it in at Mania and defend against Andre. Or have Hogan fail to win it and have another rematch in August, at which time he regains it. They could make DBI's champion having decreed that Hogan must first beat Andre at Mania before he gets a shot at him in August. More, most likely it won't be that complicated. Days against the title will be held up. Hogan and Andre at, in the cage at Mania with Hogan walking out the door to win. Nope. No, no, no. Yeah. All right. It, it really so, is something, though, that DiBiase got screwed out of all these different world title reigns, though. Yeah. You know, for those who don't know, in 81, the original idea with the NWA title was it was going to rotate between Dusty Flair and DiBiase with less long title reigns. Dusty gets his reign, drops it to Flair. Flair does so well that he has a long run and DiBiase never gets the belt. We just talked about what happened here. And in UWF, it seems like towards the end, he was being set up to win the title from Woman Gang. And then the promotion sold, and he leaves for the WWF. Yeah. But at least he got to be announced as champion. That's right. Let's go to Boston. We got two clips. We get a backstage promo with him as champion, and then him coming to the ring as champion. So let's watch that, shall we? Oh, great liney popo uh, thumbnail here. Yes. Well, this building's certainly no stranger to champions. The Boston Bruins over the years, the Boston Celtics, the Beanpot winners, and now the latest to hit Boston Garden. He said he would do it, and by golly, he did. He's wearing the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship, certainly in a controversial manner, but Ted DiBiase, you do have the belt. I'm surrounded by controversy all the time, and I've told you people ever since I came here that everybody and everything has a price. And I also said that by hook or by crook, I would get what I want because I always do. And there it is. Take a good, long, hard look at it. Get a close-up of that cameraman. The World Wrestling Federation heavyweight title firmly around the million-dollar man's waist. And I didn't break a sweat to do it. That's right. Andre the Giant did the dirty work for me. That's not to say that I couldn't have done it myself. I did it to prove that it could be done. And here today... Let's get to this issue right here on New England Sports Network. In the Boston Garden... We are going to add injury to insult because Hogan, you got to know that Hogan is out of his mind right now. He's going crazy and he's got Bam Bam Bigelow and I know what to expect. He's going to come out to that ring like a madman. Well, what's he going to run into? He's going to run into the new world champion and Andre the Giant, who he knows more than once has already defeated him. So like I said, 
This is just pouring a little salt into the wound that's already freshly opened. All right, thank you. Hogan, Coming up next, history. Hulk Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow against Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant next on Nesson. Southeastern uh, uh, basketball. All right, so let's watch Ted come to the ring. Let's see how the fans react to him coming out as a champion. As yes, uh, the match was Hogan and Bam and Bigelow against Ted and Andre. And this is the matinee, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's main event time. Oh, he's doing commentary and Interesting note, by the way, Mel Phillips is at most a few weeks away from getting fired at this point. This is when he got fired because people had complained to Vince about Mel Phillips things. And several weeks later, at least according to Vince's limo driver, Pat Patterson suggested he bring him back if he stay away from kids and he hired him back. But the, so this is one of his last appearances, actually, during before his brief hiatus. about that crowd oh they were hot and we'll talk about that as we do the results here so drew 15,534 $190,000 gate sellout with lots turned away as Lanny Poffo Pinteri Gibbs half star the Rougeos over Steve Lombardi and Barry Horowitz star and a half Danny Davis over Brady Boone star and a half Sam Houston who worked better than anyone else on the card Ben Iron Mike Sharp, two and a half stars. Hogan and Bigelow over DBS and Andre with super heat when Hogan pinned Ted at their leg drop. Andre worked 20 seconds total, three and a quarter stars. Ricky Dragon Steamboat went double count out with Dino Bravo, one star. Sherry Martell over Rock and Robin, one star. Crowd was asleep during this one. Anders over British Bulldogs by DQ, three and two quarter stars. Ratings by John McAdam. Oh, who's that? <laughs> Don't know. 
next show, March 5th, for Honkies and Hearts against uh, Savage Strike Force in the Cage. And David San Martino is scheduled against Dino Bravo in a prelim. Okay. <laughs> well, he did have a, another comeback in 88 for a very, very short time. I know, but as far as why is that mentioned here? Because they read up? out the next, they read up the next card. Oh, so he's mentioning because of David San Martino being back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Philly. That night drew thirteen thousand one twelve hundred six three six zero eight. As Poffo pin Gibbs in a slow mo match, and they got a one star. One man gang over George Amasteel, one star. Steamboat double count out with Bravo in a bad match, only out of the ring for six seconds, one star. Dan Davis or Sam Houston using the trunks in a match where Sam looked good and Dave Davis was worse than usual, one star. Hogan and Bigelow over DiBiase and Andre when Hogan pinned DiBiase at nine thirty. Andre got his stamina up where he worked thirty seconds this time, two and three quarter stars. Rougeau's over Lombardi and Horowitz dud. Share of a Robin half a star. Iron Master over Brady Boone with a loaded arm pad, half star. And Honors over Bulldogs by DQ in the best match on the card, two and three quarter stars. All right, so let's look at uh, DiBiase and Philly and how that was handled on Prism, shall we? With Lord Alfred Hayes and the non stop action, which is a key word of the Rail World Wrestling Federation, is never more true than at this point the in time World because. It's Dick Graham. The point that is so important in the World Wrestling Federation, the whole world of wrestling is buzzing over the turn of events recently. And, in gigantic and you can see in the ring now why this is one half of that controversy, Lord Alfred. Well, some time ago, Ted DiBiase said he was going to buy that championship. Um, my belly looks as if he hurt. Well, let's Where's get the bell. Let's get the announcement. Champion on, on they have the babyfaces take over a little quicker here. But. 
And, and Hogan's wearing a red shirt here when he was running a yellow shirt in Boston. Yes. So. And and on the on main event, he was wearing one of those kind of weird like mustard colored Hogan shirts they were selling at this time. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a WWF champion, million dollar man Ted DiBiase. Or as Mel Phillips said, the million dollar man and the new world, uh, the new uh, heavyweight champion. Yes. All right, Dave was wrong about WrestleMania Live tickets in Atlantic City. As of February the 8th, there are only 5,000 tickets sold and about 4,000 remaining. They're actually giving away 8,800 tickets, not 2,000, as he originally been told. And the place will seat 17,800 when full. Dave figures when tickets will be gone within a week or so. Hey, Titans saw the promotions ever been in this country, but they're been quicker sellouts. Last year, they sold something like 20,000 tickets the first week as compared to 5,000 this year. So they probably won't be able to fill up one of those huge stadiums this time around. Atlantic City was still sell out more than a month in advance, of course. And, and speaking of, Titan is now, <laughs> well, Titan is now claiming that Mania 3 grows $20.4 million, not $17.1 million, as he wrote in the yearbook. This year, the very worst case scenario, Dave and Kamut would, would say they'll grow $23.5 million, most likely $25 million. Mania will be close-circuited to 161 locations in North America. The Mania, Mania main event will be Andre and Hogan. Cage in the cage with a title held up. Both probable, both probable, but we'll know for sure next time out. Nope. But but here but here's Dave saying that's the main event. We're not talking about DiBiase at all in that. Mm-hmm. Also, Islanders, Bulldogs, and Valentine Beefcake, probably hair versus hair. Etched in stone while judging from the Friday night show. Dave's guests will have Honky defend the title against Savage. And Savage puts up Elizabeth, similar to the summer Ric Flair, Jimmy Garvin angle. Although Dave doesn't think we'll be seeing Honky with any mannequins. Boy, imagine Mania 4 with that whole deal. Hogan, Andre in the cage, Honky, Savage with Elizabeth on the line. And Valentine Peacock, Herbert's there. That's a show. <laughs> Titan won't make Mania 4 available to the satellite dish owners because they claim some bars and hotels picked up Survivor Series and were charging money to view it. <laughs> Diamond Kid collapsed this past week in the San Francisco airport prior to last Saturday's card. Apparently, this one radio station reported the kid had a heart attack, and in fact, that is the first word that Dave received as well. In reality, he had some sort of seizure caused by stress and overactivity and was hospitalized, but in fact, has already returned to the rig. Because, of course, he has. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if he talks about this in his book, but he, he had a lot of issues. Bam Bam Bula didn't have arthroscopic knee surgery, as Dave re- originally reported. Titan told everyone in this area this excuse for his missing the main event here on January 3rd against DiBiase. Apparently, Bigelow took the week off to rest the knee, but he won't get it operated on until just after WrestleMania when Titan is taking a month-long break. Can't miss them checks. And that game miss Mania payoff. And to close, Roddy Piper is doing great in Hollywood. Reports Dave gets in the case Piper will never have to wrestle again unless he wants to. Because they got him pegged as a hot commodity. And he's in demand out there. There was lots of thought that Piper would wrestle on Dominic Danucci's tour of Italy. But that didn't materialize. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say about you know Piper in Hollywood this time. But we know what happened, so. Yeah. Huh? He wasn't a hot commodity. But I can see why you think that would be possible coming off of They Live. Or that he might be. Well, they live. It's not out yet, is it? So they live comes out. 
when or that that's what I mean though that you have high hopes for they live uh that doesn't come out till November <laughs> yeah we're almost a year away but it's been months. Sh- shot by this point and it's I know the but performance of his acting career well that's not saying much but oh, I mean now, guys <laughs> yeah I, we just we we know what happens. He's not a hot commodity, believe me. So. Well, hell, hell comes to Frogtown is out already. Well, with its uh, sure one point it six million. Oh, excuse me, one point five million. I oh, know that was the budget, not the gross. I don't think we have box office. Where of course he plays Sam Hell. Of course he does. Yes. Lance Russell's uh, favorite Roddy Piper character. <laughs> what in the Sam Hell? All right, let's go international now. Then we start in Japan with New Japan Pro Wrestling. The TV tapings on February 1st in Soka drew 3150. That's when Fujinami King Kimura down Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer and Owen Hart in the main event with Fujinami pinned Owen in a good match. The other TV matches saw Antonio Noki and Seisha Gucci go to a WDQ with Big Van Bader and Masa Saito. While Ricky Cho shoot down Bob Orton Jr. by his qualification. When Orton hit the referee, although Choshi gave him the lariat after the match. So uh, my results have it backwards, but yes, Choshi did win. All right, full results in front of 3150 at the City Soka City Sports Health City Memorial Gym. We have Osama Matsuda over Shigeo Miyato, featuring El Samurai with the win. Tasto Shigoto and Shinji Kasugi over Black Cat and Masaru Fanaki. Yoji Anjo, Osamu Kido, and Kazu Yamazaki. Over Kunia Kobayashi, Kensuke Sasaki, and Super Strong Machine. Kantoro Hoshino over Johnny K9. Sure. Well, they were both short. It gets better. Nobiko Takata over Steve Blackman. Sure. Top of the Super Juniors tournament matches Hiroshi Hase over Shiro Koshinaka. Hirosaito over Tony St. Clair. Then Choshu over Orton. Fujinami Kango over Buzz and Owen. And then Oki and Sakuchi over Vader and Saito. And yes, this is the first top of the Super Juniors, and then it doesn't happen again until 91? Yeah, 91. And this one is, I think, single elimination. Or, oh, no, it is a league. Right. Oh, it's league. Oh, yeah. So, pull it up on Wikipedia. Uh, hell, uh, I mean, hell of a fucking tournament. Oh, yeah. Hell so, of a fucking tournament. So, wait, the winner was Koshinaka. Mm-hmm. Him and Hase. I don't know what the point structure is. Him and Hase both had 41 points. <laughs> I think it was like four for a win or something like that. Okay, so your field. Hiroshi Hase, Shiro Koshinaka, Nomiko Takada, Owen Hart, Kazuo Yamazaki, Kichi Yamada, Kuniaki Kobayashi, Hiro Saito, Tony St. Clair, Tatsutoshi Goto, Masakatsu Funaki, and Norio Hanaga. <laughs> I mean, I've, I watched all that stuff, you know, in the recent year, two years, and just fantastic stuff and hanaga got hurt like right at the beginning so yeah everything. lots of forfeits yeah lots of forfeits because of that even though there are plenty of screws this group did some good business at the end of the recent series the february 4th show in osaka dress out of 66 20 to be 68 20 keep in mind even the finals of the tag tournament didn't sell that building out as i told you keep it ricky choshu with the octopus hold in 1358 the key that title and putting it into choshu mania this greatly hurts any chance Choshu had of regaining the popularity he's dropped over the past six months. Uh, no. <laughs> also, both Sawyer and Bob Orton Jr. beat Tessimu Fujinami and King Kimura by disqualification. 
Big Van Bader and Masahito won a handicap match beating Osama Kido, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, and Kazuya Yamazaki when Vader squashed Yamazaki. Shiroko Shinaka went to double countout with Nobu Takada. No, double minutes. knockout. Double knockout. Hiroshi Hase over Keiichi Yamada. Owen Hart, Tony St. Clair over Kunako Biyashi and Hiro Saito. Masaru Fanaki over Kensuke Sasaki. And Tashito Shigoto and Black Cat over Johnny K-9 and Steve Blackman. Sure. Dane, this has been wrestling pretty bad of late. Like, he just doesn't want to be in the ring anymore. I uh, the no. match. <laughs> no. I don't know where Dave's getting this from. No. <laughs> also, doesn't he travel to Vegas poster in hand a few months later to see Choshu live? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sawyer stole the spotlight from Owen in tag matches. He would start barking and howling and playing to the crowd while Owen was doing his fancy moves. We subtracted from Owen's moves or took the crowd's attention away from Owen. Wah, 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 wah. Orton's doing very well on this tour, and his bout with Choshi was a hot match. I thought Choshi wasn't wrestling very good. But he had a hot match. I guess so. And that match is really, really good while it lasts. Just to show you how much the, of a, the riot in Sumo Hall hurt Tokyo, the Antonio Noki Ricky Choshi rematch, well, first time they were in Tokyo, on February 5th, had to be held at Cork and Hall. We're sure it needs to sell out 2,000 or so range with Anoki winning by count out. Also in the corner, Roshi Hase went to double count out with Nomi Takata and Shiroko Shinaka Penkuna Kobayashi in the junior league. Uh, we had Anoki Fujinami uh, going to the no contest with Choshu and Saito when the match stopped because of blood. Anoki was bleeding badly when Choshu went with a chair. Vader over Sakuchi and Hoshino in a handicap match. Orton over Fujiwara. Hase double count out with Takata. Koshinaka over Kobayashi and uh, King Okamura both sorry about his qualification. Dr. Steve Williams remarked during an interview one of the magazines basically said that uh, he was tired of touring all over the United States and wanted to spend more time with his wife. He said the NWA broke promises they made to him when they did the takeover. He appeared most upset that he had been promised a big unification match with Ric Flair by Dusty Rhodes, but he never came through with it and was mad because he felt the NWA no longer wanted to build him as UWF champion and wanted all mentions of UWF to disappear. He said, I don't go back to NWA Crocker promotions anymore. I like the wrestle for promotions which set a high value on ability. New Japan is good because they use Vader, Buzz, Orton, and Owen, who can do hard wrestling. Hard wrestling. Isn't that the name of one of Chris Colt's uh, special videos? <laughs> um, I'm sure that Dusty told Doc that. I'm definitely sure he probably told him that. Yeah. But the change in plans. And... Yeah, by the by the end of Starcade, UWF's pretty much dead. But in '87, it's over. It's done. Although, I mean, they still have TV labeled as Universal Wrestling Federation. No, wrong. It's Power Pro Wrestling and CWF. So in they got the Power Pro yes. name. Yes. In '88, yes. But it's it's over. And I mean, Doc's back in in there in just a couple months anyway. He's back. Mm. So, yeah. So, hard wrestling. <laughs> Owen returns in May. We should put any, rest, any rumors of him being WF bound at, at least for a few months. Well, at least for a few months is a good way to put it. Even though Hase is getting a big push, Dave's told that Takata and Yamazaki are still the most over the junior heavyweights. Well, they do the most hard wrestling. <laughs> the junior Hase is getting there, though. Um... 80, as 88 goes on, he definitely gets way more over. Yes. 
Also, like, low-key, this is one of the best periods in the history of that division. Oh, God. Amazing matches, yes. It's not as flashy as other periods. No, but, but you, you the, got Koshinaka, you got Takata, Yamazaki, Yamada, Hase. Owen. Owen's in, you know, Hodaga when he's healthy. Even Tashitoshi Goto was really good at this time, you know, as a junior yes. heavyweight. So, yeah, they're, I mean, they're stacked. Tony St. Clair's coming in. I mean, they're stacked. Great, great class. And, yeah, they're not doing all these dynamic spots, but it's just great professional wrestling. Yes. And another one that's uh, not there at this point, but will be coming soon back, New Japan wrestler Noki Sano. A prelim guy working in Mexico in the name of the Mass Bushido, which in Spanish and Samurai Spirit won the UWA International Lightweight title from Astro de Oro. While at the same time, without his mask, Sano, Hirokozu Hata, and Yoshiro Asai hold the six-man tag titles. I did not know about this, about him being both Mast Bushido and, and uh, Naoki Sano. I thought he was just mm-hmm. Naoki Sano. No, he, he did a mask gimmick, yep. Okay. But at the same time? Mm-hmm. Huh. It appears Sambo wrestling champion Chris Dolman, remember, not the football player, but the... Sambo champion. I will have a match against Anoki this summer, possibly in the big Tokyo Dome card in July. Well, there's no Tokyo Dome card in 1988. So. Uh, when, when in 89? Is it April? Yeah. And does Dolman ever wrestle for New Japan or just EWF? Yeah, he never wrestled for New Japan, as far as I remember. I'm going to double check. Definitely not against Anoki. No, 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 no. But I believe, he de- I believe his debut is EWF. Uh, as I double check... Uh, yes. Yeah, he starts in UWF. He only has a couple matches in UWF in 89. Um, and working, uh, Maeda at Osaka Stadium, and then Yamazaki at Tokyo Dome in different style fights. And then when Ring starts up in 91, he's there, which... Do you remember who his first Rings match is against? No. Someone who I also completely forgot worked Rings at the beginning? Bill Kazmaier. There you go. I have no recollection of him working rings. Yep, he did. All right, let's go to Canada now. Stampede Wrestling. Wrestler Jeff Ports Jr., who wrestled in Stampede Wrestling as Garfield Ports, and best known around the United States under the ring name of Scott McGee, suffered a stroke late last week. Apparently, Ports, a 30-year-old native of England, whose father, Jeff Sr., was a big name in the British match scene in the 60s and were in North America in the early 70s, collapsed while pumping gas. The original prognosis for Ports wasn't good, but he's taken a turn for the better in the last week. For the first two days, it was touch and go when he would make it. It was thought that he would be paralyzed for life. It turns out he's already able to speak, albeit with impairment. And he's already showing some movement. Still, it's tough. There's any kind of chance for him to return to the ring. And he never returns to wrestling, but he makes a, a pretty good recovery as far as like a normal life. Otherwise, yes. And Pumping gas. Has he ever talked about what caused it? Uh, not that I know of. Whether it was drug-related or whatever? Yeah, he did his fair share. I mean, he talks about that in the Dynamite Kid Dark Side. Yeah. He's open about it. So, I mean, we'll see, but, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Fantastic performer. 
I mean, not the most charismatic man in the world, but still. I'm in my early days of uh, buying wrestling magazines. I was always intrigued with him because he would be pushed hard in Florida, hmm. Florida heavyweight champion and shit like that. Beat Flair on TV. Yeah. And by the way, Garfield Ports is his real name. Yes, it is. But everyone calls him Gary. Yeah. February 5th in Calgary, another near cell that was a late arriving crowd. It's mean he stayed home to watch Vince's show. But by the main event, the place was just about full. Featured what Dave was told was the best match in the city of several butts. The main event sent bad company. Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman defended the international titles against the Cuban, no, not Cuban, Karachi Vice, Great Gama Singh, and Jerry Morrow, Champagne Jerry Morrow. Three people showed up as assigned referees. Wayne Hart, Jurgen Herman, who plays the heel ref, and Akim Singh, a guy with a turban brought over by Karachi Vice, also be a heel ref. I think that ends up being Akam or Akam Singh, right? Akam Singh, yeah. Akam Singh, yes. And it that's Gama's shoot brother, I think? Yes. Yeah. I'll double check. But... Herman wound up as a referee. But he ended up being knocked out by Gama. Soon after, Pillman was on top row doing the snooker-like dive on Gama. However, Occam threw powder in Pillman's face, and Gama put the cobra hold on him. He also threw powder in Bruce Hart's face. When Herman revived, he saw Pillman asleep from the cobra and awarded the match and the titles to the heels. The heels celebrated by popping champagne bottles, called the Champagne Jerry Morrow. When Wayne Hart returned and told Herman what happened, and Herman reversed the decision and DQ'd the heels. The heels then all beat up on Wayne Hart. However, Hart made a comeback and did a series of standing drop kicks on all the heels. Really good ones, Dave was told. And people heel manager Abdul was all as well. So this was set up Bruce Hart and Pillman Dean Wayne against uh, Moro Gamanakim on the 12th. Who Dave's told is in reality Gama's brother who just finished being trained by the Hearts. Also, February 12th has uh, Rip Rogers and Carrie Brown, the Midnight Cowboys, against Johnny Smith, Chris Benoit, and Steve DeSalvo against Jason the Terrible. Now, the remainder of the card had Muckus Singh and Bad News Island against Jason Terrible and Steve DeSalvo in a match where DeSalvo turned heel on Jason, with the official verdict being that the heels were DQ'd. Rip Rogers over Christmas Wild by disqualification will mention interference from both Johnny Smith and Carrie Brown. Leo Burke over Hashif Khan, Shinyashimoto with a sleeper hole. Bad News over Mr. Hito. Um, Johnny Smith over Goldie Rogers. And Pip Wellington over Jonathan Holiday. They've got a real good top-to-bottom crew at this point. Well, this uh, last night for Bad News. Well, yes. Bad News didn't do any jobs on the way out because Vince didn't want him to do anything to bolster Stampede. Well, here's Amazing. maybe a reason for that. They're still hoping for a Ric Flair-Owen Hart match for the spring, although the folks at JCP seem pretty inaccessible to such a proposal. I mean, that's not really a thing they do anymore, although they do book him into Portland. <sighs> In an eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Here's the thing, though. If they get, if they would have got Flair, do you think that changes Stu's allegiance? Maybe. I mean, he's already the local promoter, so I don't know. I mean, how, how you wouldn't you think that the, that Vince would be pissed off, though? Yes. And yeah, and Stu wouldn't be local promoter anymore. Yes. And then how's that? How's that affect Brett and Jim and Davey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would been something. Would been something to see Flair and Owen Hart nineteen eighty eight too. But that's holding the store. I can imagine. Did they, that did they ever have a match in WWF? Nope. Far as I know, they never wrestled. 
Huh. Far as I know, they never wrestle. Um, if they did, it would have been a probably cage, a cage, a tag match. Um, but I don't know who Flair's partner would have been. Only time they were in a ring together was, and they may not have been in the ring together, was the '93 Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah, what well, about a big what if match that could have been, huh? Yeah. All right, let's go to British Columbia. Timothy Flowers, ran, Diamond Timothy Flowers, ran a show on February 6th at Douglas College in New Westminster, British Columbia, drawing 400 fans in opposition to Al Tomko, who ran the same night 150 for a mixed battle royal, where all the guys and girls juiced. Flowers has shows booked the 26th, 27th in BC with Ole Olsen, Jared Bundy, Moon Moretti, Playboy Woody Rose, Dynamite Pat Brady, Wanda Flowers, Neil Drummond, who Dave knows used to do a fan scene, and Joe Cagle. Ed Wiskowski may also work for this group called New West Wrestling. Did Joe Cagle homestead Vancouver? Oh, yes. Because mm-hmm. he was originally a Pittsburgh guy, right? He was, yeah, because he, he was a Northwest guy, but yeah. But I mean, him, him and Rocky Sorter were North originally Northeast guy. Like yes. Pittsburgh, Ohio, West Virginia guys. Yeah. And then they had that very short run in Memphis where they were I tag they champions were, for a very brief time. Good. I thought they looked good in that run. Like, I thought they were pretty solid. It's Like, I always thought it was weird that that's their only, like, notable territory run. I thought they were a good tag team. Yeah, you, you could see them being somewhere like uh, Central States or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they or even be, Portland. They wouldn't be the heartbreakers anywhere else. But No. All right. Uh, Mexico. This is interesting. Because Dave very rarely ever covered Mexico in the Observer, so he wants to give a brief rundown of the scene here. Really, dozens of promotions in the country, and wrestling draws huge crowds, although the gates aren't high by U.S. standards because of the weak peso. So there are very few Americans working here, and Dave doesn't believe there are any working here on a regular basis. Tickets usually range from $1.50 to $3 in U.S. money. And even the main eventers earn something like 25 to 30 bucks on cards, which draws several thousand fans. In the Mexico City area alone, metro area, there are five cards every Wednesday, seven cards every Friday, ten shows every Sunday, and even so big cards in Mexico City often draw in excess of 15,000 fans. Tijuana has two shows per week, generally drawing 5,000 to 6,000 per show. Top drawn cards in Mexico City include Paraguayo, Supercolt, Supermuñeco, the Japanese trio, which we just talked about, with Sano. And, of course, veterans like Milmascaros, Toscados, and Kanek. One of the top heels in Mexico City is a honky-tonk man ripoff build this beautiful Elvis. Is there really a top heel in Mexico City at this time named beautiful Elvis? No. No, not in the EMLL. And Negro Casas, who some thinks the best work in the world, has resurfaced working out Tijuana. Resurfaced? I guess he had mean? been... I guess he had been off the radar for a while. I don't know. And there is no beautiful Elvis on Lucha Wiki. And Other the Casa. Oh, I was going to say, they didn't have the, whatchamacallit, um, they didn't have that mask gimmick for Sano either. Now, the only the only Elvis Elvis is Ricky Boy is Elvis in AAA. Well, um, Casas is already, you know, he has that worker ref from the, from the Santo match, which had made the rounds among the Tay Trading yeah. community. Oh, so yeah, when he says resurfaced, he doesn't mean. Yeah, that's probably where they, they did. He, yeah, he means to Americans, I guess. Yes. Oh wow, there was a La Momia de, de Elvis in uh, Z- Zodiaco in uh, 
I know. Wait, I'm sorry. I read this. I read a family member as his location. What am I doing? Oh, what are you have doing? A <laughs> I'm sorry. He comes from a wrestling family. Okay, it doesn't say. So you're saying he was inside his family member? Oh, stop it. A technical from what's Gladiadori's Del Ring? Uh, that's a magazine. No, a promotion, though. Um, I mean, maybe. I don't know, but that was a mag- magazine. It was a Gladiadori's Del Ring. But yes, an Elvis mummy, which I'm sure Kurt Brown would love. Well. And we have one little minor thing for Puerto Rico. As WC is uh, in a hot stretch at this point in time. They had a show in Guaynabo on February 6th. No results, but Orduca Castillo Jr. defended WC Jr. title against El Profe. Invader 3 and Miguelito, Miguelito Perez went against Kenan Nagasaki and Mr. Pogo, the Ninja Express. Caribbean tag titles. The new uh, Texas Kansas, kid, Kansas, Kansas Jayhawks. Jay Texas Jayhawks. Kansas Jayhawks. Bobby Jaggers and Dan Crawford. Uh, won the titles from uh, the Renegade Warriors, Mark Chris Youngblood. Cheeky Star went up against TNT, Sabia Vega. And Invader won, defended his TV title against Super Black Ninja, Keiji Muto, inside of a steel cage. Now, that reminds me, Chris. Did you see who, as of a few days ago, the new, uh, as we're recording this, the new Double Double C TV champion is? Isn't it Dolph Ziggler? Oh, no. Nick. Nick Nemeth. No. no. Who? Brian Idol, the former Earl Cooter. Oh. That's something I'm sure you never expected to happen. Well, he'd probably pay for it. But anyway, I mean, hey, whatever. Double Double C still running, though. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, Nem- Nemeth was on the show. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's all I really saw from the show was that. He 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 tweeted that he's the first person from the mainland to hold the title since uh, Chris Candido, 20 plus years ago. Good. All right. Well, that is it for the first half. The show is halftime. So have some great 1988 commercials. We'll pivot to the halftime seven of the show where we'll, again, talk about Patreon. We'll to plug our streaming friends. We'll have other random discussion. As uh, who knows what we'll be getting into on this sh- on the halftime side, but you never know. And then we'll come back where we'll go back to the United States, to the Indies, and what's left of the territories where we got a show in, well, near where Bix lives these days. So we'll talk about that. A hot time in the state of Georgia, global wrestling in Florida, Bix. And we have a, a very special announcement from Ron Fuller. Oh, boy. And Brother Ernest. All that and more after the break. Champagne is now being served on the after deck. Lobster is now being served on the promenade deck. Colombian coffee is now being served in the Starwood Side Lounge. No wonder so many people's preferences lean toward 100% Colombian coffee. It's the richest coffee in the world. And picked by Juan Valdez. Jimmy, Jack, Jack, Joe! They're so tasty. Chef Boyardee! A good hot meal. And when you get three X's or O's on your spoon, you win. Jack, From Chef Boyardee. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Comedy on NBC that's real satisfying. Oh, that reminds me, I've got a movie coming out. Well, yeah, I got a movie coming out too. Moving Target, Monday on NBC. I'll watch yours if you watch mine. But let me get back to you on that. Ah. Uh, first on our house, will rock fame cost David his girlfriend? Then on family ties, Jennifer's flunky. No key has ever failed English. Well, and on Mighty Dads, Meet the Monkeys, Davy Jones. It's our house, Family Ties, My Two Dads, Sunday. Get ready. Get going. It won't stay long. Get that bold new taste before it's gone. Head for that beef. A quarter pound on a light ride bun. Nothing like it around. With cheddar cheese sauce, grilled onions too. A bold new taste for McDonald's to you. Take along for the ride. Super size fries. It's a good time for the great taste. Cheddar milk. Of McDonald's for a limited time. The sport is ice boating, and at speeds up to 60 miles an hour and temperatures down to 30 below, you don't take chances, you take Chapstick. Chapstick is heavy-duty lip balm, made to help lips stop chapping and start healing. Don't take chances, take Chapstick. La France vous a apporté la mode, le parfum, le champagne. C'est à votre tour maintenant avec Permasoft. C'est le seul shampoing pour ma permanente. Permasoft, shampoo, conditioner, mousse, hairspray. S'il vous plaît, envoyez-moi du Permasoft. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 1988 commercials. As we pivot to the halftime segment of the show, we're begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And of course, our most recent show looks at the 25 years of uh, Finger Poke Doom. Hardly it's been 25 years since that happened. And how it affected uh, World Championship Wrestling in the aftermath, uh, immediate aftermath, so to speak. As we go uh, basically to the end of February, and uh, it, it took a toll on it quick. So we'll have new, uh, that. We'll have news on uh, when fish when did this really get started? This idea, and we'll look at Starcade '98 and how that started the ball rolling. The night itself, of course, the night famous for. Uh, Mick Foley winning the WF title too, and which which bitched all Nitro, and we have a little narrative breaking on that regarding the ratings that night. Maybe surprised and uh, all kind of other stuff. 
as we discussed, the NWO Elite, which didn't last very long, and uh, all kinds of other stuff. A very, very fun show, light show, different show than what we've been doing. And uh, Fight also going to get you access to that. Plus all the other audio that we've done in our seven-plus years of the Patreon now. And yes, for the month of February, we will be discussing Missy Hyatt and 30 years since her firing by WCW, which would spawn a sexual harassment lawsuit, which is now very timely in uh, our discussions today about wrestling. So uh, you definitely want to listen to that. Yeah, kind of the second time uh, this has happened with us and uh, Patreon shows lining up like that, but it is what it is. And she does not allege anything nearly as criminal as what's in that lawsuit, but well, uh, obviously there are a lot of similar themes that will be covered regardless. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's just, I mean, the stuff that's in the, the Vince lawsuit <laughs> is a uh, next level. Yes. So there's that too. Yes. But, and, uh, uh, so yeah, so, you know, the, the, the meat, the main event, whatever you want to call it, that one is, uh, cause it's, about half, just under half the notes, is her interview and wrestling perspective after filing the lawsuit, which is very detailed and gets into a lot and names names and all sorts of stuff and goes into a lot of stuff that she has not talked about since the lawsuit was settled a couple of years, or I guess it was about a little over a year later. So that'll be coming up later in February. And also, as a reminder, we did... Uh, I think we talked about it a little at the beginning of the show, but we did make all of the Titan Gate shows available for free, both unlocking them on the Patreon and adding them to the free feed that you're listening to this show on. Yeah. So, patreon.com slash between the sheets, and uh, time to thank the new and returning patrons. Well, we ain't done all that stuff yet. Oh, I, I mean, you did do this. I, I was feeling like you did, but so, yes, tears. Go ahead. But yeah, so we got your dollar tier, which gets you thanks uh, in this segment and gets you access to the Discord. Five dollars. Five dollars. Yeah, five dollars gets you show for the month. Then the uh, $25 gets you access to uh, that, plus opportunity to pick a show for the week, which what we had last week, where Sean Doherty wanted to talk about CM Punk's uh, 2014 uh, uh, week in the Royal Rumble and all that stuff going on there. So, uh, you can do that, and when you do that, you have two shows on your mind, just because the show that you may want us to do originally could be something that we've already done, or it could be something that uh, somebody else has already got picked out on the calendar. So let us know why you want to do the show, and uh, we'll let you know if that's a, a go, and all that good stuff. And $50, let's just send it for 7 of the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, now it's time, Biggs. So, who who got to thank this week as our new and/or returning patrons? Well, we got two weeks worth, and we've got uh, twenty-one people here. Awesome. Yes. So, we would like to thank Moody Street Stud Muffin. Thank you, Moody Street Stud Muffin. Then we've got our dear friend uh, Nick Manawa. Ah, yes. Thank you, Nick Manawa. Then we have Brian Jones. Not that one. <laughs> There's one quite a few Brian Joneses, of course. But yes, thank you, Brian Jones. We get Jordan Bragg. Thanks, Jordan. Rev Ray Duffy. 
Thank you, Rev Ray, DVR legend. Yes. Uh, Steve Harris, presumably not the actor. Oh, yeah, well, thank you, Steve Harris. Never well, know. They, they, they paid in pounds, so I, I, it's definitely someone else, because uh, the, the actor from The Practice is not uh, British, I don't think. So then we've got uh, Gary Cronin. Thanks, Gary. Chris Jones. Thanks, Chris. Joe Tucker. Thanks, Joe. J.D. Bruce. Thanks, J.D. Yo, Chill. Thanks, Yo, Chill. Carlos Fuentes. Thanks, Carlos. Austin Smith. Thanks, Austin. Colby Sikalski. Thanks, Colby. Matt Stokes. Thanks, Matt. Andrew Barker. Thanks, Andrew. William Lanham. Thank you, William. Uh, Tomas Konef... Co uh, how am I pronouncing this? Konefre, I think. Thanks, Tomas. Dwayne Jones. A lot of Joneses. Thanks, Dwayne. Kevin Miller. Thanks, Kevin. And finally, Brian Stewart. Thanks, Brian. So we thank all you old patrons, new patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, patrons that have come back. We thank everyone for their patronage at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix. Who got, who got thing? Let's talk about our streaming friends. As uh, What's going on in the world of uh, IWTV and Fight TV by Trailer Plus or whatever the hell it is. Trailer TV Plus by powered by Fight, yes. Um uh, Yes, we'd like to thank them for the tens of dollars we earn each quarter. Um, and also, I do want to say, I do want to say, by the way, because I checked it recently. Thank, thank you, everyone, who also with our patrons who has made us the six hundred forty-sixth, the most popular podcast on Patreon. Out of how many? A lot more than that. Well, good because we are. I mean, we are a lot higher on the podcast list than we are overall. Overall, we're four thousand eight hundred fifty-seven. All right, so, so we yes. thank you. Yes. All right, so IWTV, I guess the main thing to talk about to start with, two shows on demand, and then we're going to be talking about two, uh, excuse me, one coming up on live stream this week, but our dear friends uh, at Action Wrestling, Matt Griffin, you know, with assists from Dylan Hales and others, uh, two uh, non-live stream shows that went up on demand in the last few days. Well, what, one of them, uh, what's, what's the show from Noonan? The Noonan show was the one, as we're recording this, this past weekend. They drew 700 fans. And, I mean, that's that's great. That is a great achievement for independent rest promotion these days, especially down here. I mean, uh, 700, uh, they deserve a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. I, don't think, I mean, in general, I don't think Matt gets nearly enough credit for how well those high school and middle school shows he's been doing draw. It, I mean... <sighs> There's a, a great support system there um, as far as, you know, people getting the word out, people doing the work. I mean, yeah, I mean, they they uh, they they have a great setup there to uh, be successful in that general area. And uh, they are. And, uh, yeah, again, not many indie promoters can do that. So uh, props to, to Matt and his crew for uh, – for being uh, successful. 
Yes. So first we go back to the show in Fayetteville, which I think was a brewery show. Uh, and that was on uh, January 19th. We meet again. Uh, includes Manders versus Braden Toon. Uh, Moses, I'm not sure who that is, versus Rico Gonzalez. Uh, Did he part the Red Sea before he uh, wrestled that night? Sure. Uh, I'm not reading Let it. Let my much. people go. The Good Hand uh, against Matt Sells and Jaden Newman for the tag titles. Uh, I, plus IWTV title match, no DQ. Cruel defending against Adam Priest. So that's up on demand as I scroll to the other one. Which was January twenty sixth, the noon show, uh, K N I G H T Nightmare, and that show includes a scramble match in the opener with Braden Tune, Jaden Newman, Aaron Wade, and others. Uh, Shug D and Casey Owens against Teriyaki and Jay Lucas, uh, Caitlin Marie versus Kai McKenna. I enjoy and, his sauce. Who? Teriyaki. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin Marie versus Kaya McKenna, Vinny Pacifico versus Matt Sells, Bobby Flacco versus Lash Estrella, the Skulk of Adrian Alanis and Liam Ray uh, in action. And Liam Anna Gray, Bay. not Liam Ray. Sorry. No, it is. It says Liam Ray here. That, but it's it, supposed it, to be right. Gray. <laughs> Dylan That's is it. very overworked. Uh, and, and the main Let's event. not put all the blame on him. If somebody else could, one of his flunkies could have done that. I'm pretty sure it's him. Anyway, uh, main event, Alice Kane defends the action title against Cody Fluffman. So Cody who? Fluffman. Fluffman? Yeah. That's an interesting last name. I've never heard of that guy. I, I've heard his name a little bit, but I haven't seen him wrestle. So that's that. And we do want to mention real quick, um, forget if we mentioned in passing or what, but that... Uh, Action does have a show in Jersey Mania Week, uh, Thursday night, 8 p.m. at the H2O Wrestling Center in Williamstown, New Jersey. Dean Tilde Bang, a co-production with Segunda Kaida as a tribute to our dearly departed friend, Dean Rasmussen. Yeah, and there's a lot of great talent on that show that normally would never work an action wrestling show. But uh, being, you know, what's in that area and what's going on, I mean, they got... Aries is working the show. Grigo Loco's working the show. Um, Matt Mikowski, uh, as I remember him, his name being on there. Um, trying to remember who else. Hell, they got a lot of a lot of great talent on that show so far, and uh, plenty more to come. Yeah, plenty more to come. So uh, it should be a great tribute show. In the honor of Dean, who uh, had left us uh, last year and uh, just a, a true legend in our community. And I'm just glad that uh, he's going to have a tribute show in his honor that he would definitely be proud of. Yes. Although the, I, it is too bad with the time slot that uh, Bahari and O'Connor can't be there. Since uh, it is, well, it's just so much competition, you know. That's uh, so many shows. Because what, what, what else are they going up against? Are DDT? Yes. It's just, <laughs> it's it, it's uh, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy out there with uh, all that competition. But that's Mania Weekend, you know. I mean, that's that's how it goes. And 
if you're going to be a part of that and run shows, you got to take that risk, you know, and Philadelphia, I think the location of Philadelphia this year, I think is, this is going to be one of the, you know, better attended ones than we've had recently. As far as many weekend indie shows. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think of all together. Yeah. Oh, okay. Slim J's on there. Da- Daniel Maccabe's on there. RAs. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I mentioned RAs. Uh, Mad Dog Connolly. I think he's going. I think he's going against Bestia Say Say Says. No, he's going up against uh, Demas. But close. Uh, Demas three sixteen. So. Or well, now he's Demus El uh, Demonio. Yeah. So uh, a, a heavy lucha influence, and yeah, it's uh. Again, I'm, I'm I'm definitely uh, pumped to see how this goes. I will be watching that show. Yes, and I, I have offered to Matt that I will DM Survival Tobita if he wants to try to find a way to book him. <laughs> if he's still able to work. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I guess we could try to get uh, get them to book Naoshi Sano too. He still works. Well, this is, they need to bring in Ken, Ken the Box. I, I've always wondered if the one that was in Chikara was like the original box, because it looked identical. Identical! Well, we're doing that show this week, so I had to. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, H2O has a show on Monday, uh, February 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern, f- titled Full House. And yes, the logo is what you would expect it to be. Uh, Austin Luke defending the H2O title against Leroy Robinson. Uh, Killdozer match Rivon takes on Rocket and more. It's yeah, it's it's the Dreamon kids as the main group for this show. So that's that. Uh, action is running with a live stream as we uh, we're starting to talk about Friday at seven thirty Eastern. Dead or alive with a lineup that includes Ella Envy against Rachel Armstrong. And the main event for the Action World title where Alex Kane defends against uh, the one called Manders. So, busy a month or two for uh, action here. Meanwhile, Freelance has a show on Friday as well at uh, 9 Eastern. From Freelance with Love, that includes Storm Grayson defending the world title against Leo Rush. Uh, Darren Corbin defending legacy title against Davey Bang. Uh, tag titles, GPA and Laney Luck against Joey Avalon and Sierra. Uh, Dan the Dad against Craig Mitchell and and more. So, Freelance always puts on an interesting show and they have different people from other promotions. So, always worth checking out there. Uh, oh wait, I forgot to check if the SOS show had Bakabe on it. And it doesn't, so I'm just skipping that. And that's it for IWTV this week. So if you're not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign out, sign up at independentwrestling.tv and we'll get a referral fee for each month you uh, stay a paid subscriber. So there you go. Now on uh, Trailer TV, powered by Fight, um, main thing coming up this weekend is uh, GCW slash JCW doing the uh, second annual of the renewed uh, Jersey J-Cup. Second annual version, I should say. With the... Okay, so who's the lineup they have listed here? Uh, Jordan Oliver, Nick Wayne, Masha Slamovich, Alec Price, uh, Men Like Therese, Jonathan Gresham, Speedball Mike Bla- Bailey, Billy Starks, Rina Yamashita, Jack, Carwe- Jack Cartwheel, Myron Reed, Kerry Morden, Cole Radrick, Marcus Mathers, Matt Mikowski, Charles Masso, The Great Sasuke, and more to be announced. I know they've announced uh, 
Sasuke against Speedball for the first round in uh, Jersey City. When does that show start? That is Friday at 8. That really snuck up. I didn't even get tickets yet. I'm going to probably try to go to at least night one. But loaded lineup. And uh, I'm trying to remember, is this the first time Sasuke's worked the States since the pandemic? Uh, Probably. Because it's usually GCW that was bringing him in. Although I think, I think first, I think Eric Cannon brought him in a little bit too. But it, that might be his first time since the pandemic. If it's not, it's still the first in uh, in a while as I pull up the GCW account just to make sure if there were any other matches that have been announced uh, yet. Uh, okay, they have announced a few. So let's see what we've got uh, in this first round. We got Masha Slamovich versus Man Like Derice, Joey Janela versus Kerry Morton, Jonathan Gresham versus Alec Price, Nick Wayne versus Marcus Mathers in that's Nick's for Nick's first GCW match in a while, right? Because I yeah. don't think he's wrestled anything there since the heel turn AEW, if I remember yeah. right. So he'll be there. I'm guessing he'll still be a babyface in GCW, but. That looks to be the main things announced for the first round so far. And also in uh, non-tournament action of our dear friends Violence is Forever, Dominic Greeny and Kevin Koo defend the GCW Tag Team titles against astronauts uh, Fuminori Abe and uh, Takuya Nomura of uh, beat the shit out of each other in the main event of the Battle Arts Reunion show last year, fam. And uh, the... the uh... Dave Meltzer thinking they shouldn't be in the top ten match of the year list, fame, because he felt but, he felt it was too uh, he felt it was dangerously stiff. No, oh, I thought I, I thought he said something like that. I mean, that man. I mean, basically, I guess that's the the reason. But he was saying, "Here's a Will Osprey match that should have been in this place." <laughs> that's basically what it was. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that match shouldn't have been on there, but uh, this Will Ospreay match should have. Well, what was he going over the Voices of Wrestling list or? Something? Yeah, it came up. It came up, I guess, on one of the the audio shows, and uh, yeah, I, I mean I, that match got a lot more support for match of the year type stuff than Japanese indie matches usually do. Yeah, it was on Wrestle Universe, uh, but <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah. I, I... <laughs> Dom and Koo against the two of them is definitely going to be some, uh, in the words of Yuki Ishikawa, not a trained monkey show uh, wrestling. Yes, yeah, it should be very, very uh, hard hitting and all kind of that great stuff. Yes, and then uh, night two of the Jersey J Cup, they are not doing uh, day and night sessions this time. They're doing back to back nights, Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern for the rest of the tournament. Again, live from the. Uh, White Eagle Hall in Jersey City, side of last year's tournament, as well as the uh, first collective in 2019. And is there anything else we really need to mention? Or No. Okay. So tinyurl.com slash BTS Triller, if you have not already signed up, or if you want to buy any Fight TV slash Triller iPay-per-views. So again, that's tinyurl.com slash BTS Triller. Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. 
private internet access encrypts reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes to easy to use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranking the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. And if you sign up private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? We offer you uh, three different plans. You can go with the monthly plan at $11.95 a month. You can go yearly, which gets you down to $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year. Or you can go with the number one plan, three years plus four free months at $1.98 a month. $79 for the first three years, usually thereafter. 83% off the best damn deal in the business. Why is that? Because it's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access 30 day risk free challenge. Try it for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for full refund. So, how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1995, where we'll talk about WCW adding more pay-per-views to their schedule and how that's going to affect the business. We'll have uh, news on the Cruiserweight title tournament that's coming up. The Steiner Brothers, are they coming back in? We'll have news on that. TV tapings. We got um, some great video packages on WCW Saturday Night. WCW and Hulk Hogan at the Toy Fair in New York. Rick Rude a very interesting little uh, deal that we'll talk about where he tossed the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And Gene Oakland apologized on the hotline for a report he did the previous week about a former dead pro wrestler. Well, not former dead, a dead former pro wrestler. So there is that. All right. In Japan, we got all kind of stuff there with all the indie scum. We'll talk about that. Uh, we got uh, stuff from Mexico, including an interesting article on Redalisco Sr., in the AP, Victor Coyotes runs an IWA show in the Dominican Republic. We'll have uh, ECW news in, regarding Japan, which is interesting. Uh, Smoking Mountain Wrestling, we got uh, uh, the Gangsters and Bob Armstrong really getting their feud hot and heavy, getting going. Sid Vicious returns to the USWA as a babyface. We'll talk about that. The National Wrestling Council runs a show in Las Vegas featuring Terry Funk against Virgil. And World Wrestling Federation has a couple of interesting house shows during our week. Uh, just why did Shawn Michaels leave uh, the co-host spot on Monday Night Raw? Bam Bam Bigelow sounds off on Lawrence Taylor. Lex Luger and Tatanka have an interesting match on the combat zone. Combat zone? On the action zone? Good lord. Uh, and uh, one of the, the, the thing that, that drew me to this week, which... I mean, this week was something that, you know, went in the timeline anyway. But this is the week featuring one of my favorite all-time wrestling television shows. New Japan taped uh, their TV during our week as part of a double shot of Cork and Hall. Daytime show was a high and gun show, and the nighttime show was a New Japan show. And the TV regarding this was like New Japan bringing the Attitude Era 
to wrestling years before WWF did. Their, their version of a Raw is War show because it is fully insane. Featuring the heel turner Hiroshi Tenzon, featuring Shiro Koshinaka and Riki Choshu just going off on each other, and Masa Saito being the bullet of woods as he body slams every single member of High Gun in succession, both inside and outside the ring. And we could have a better guest to talk about this than the man who wrote an eloquent review of this TV show in the Death Valley Driver video review. In issue 100. Issue 100, uh, who hasn't been on the show in years, but we're glad to have him back for this moment. Pogo Pete Stein is back next week to discuss that and other things on Between the Sheets. So it should be a very, very fun show. And we'll read Pete's review probably as uh, we do the, do the segment. Yeah. Uh, so that's next week. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Grizzelner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix said David Bix. And Bix, real quick, bef- uh, before we get to – I know something that you did. I got to mention something that I did as well where I was a guest on uh, Alan Farrell's Pro Wrestling Paradise podcast on the – the PW Torch uh, Network, as we uh, did another episode in his 34L30 series where Alan and myself discussed uh, the career of Minoru Tanaka. And uh, extremely fun show. And um, we talked about great matches in his career, how undervalued he has been in recent years. For, I wouldn't say forgotten, but a guy who... You know, if if he was around today in his prime, would just be a a complete darling among everybody. And I got to talk about uh, Scott Mailman uh, along the show because uh, Scott Mailman, who was a videotape dealer pre 9/11, came out with the Minoru Tanaka Priority Comp, one of the best comp deals I've I've ever seen. So I'll talk about that and a whole lot more. So if you uh, are interested in that. You can go to uh, pwtorch.com, and it should be up there. Or go to mine or Alan's Twitter feeds, and we have uh, have had the link there. So check that out. For, and by the uh, way, just to be clear, so people understand what you're saying, Scott Scott did not die in the 9/11 attacks. No, so when I say pre 9/11, I mean what what happened was because I didn't tell this story on the show. Was Scott got big time behind on on uh, orders because he was based on New Jersey and the post office in that era was just a, a complete mess. No, he wasn't in Jersey. He was in, uh, he was in the city. Okay. Well, I'm well close enough. Well, no, no, but, no, uh, it's, uh, no, I remember what it was. He, he, the post office that he was using and Scott mailman, by the way, it was a real name. That was not a, it's yeah, real. Yeah. Real name. Yeah. Um, he, if yeah, I anthrax, what, it, well, there were, it was a it got hit bad by one of the anthrax deals, and he had already sent out the orders, but they basically got jumped because of the anthrax deal, yeah, or lost it, or whatever. And he had already spent a lot of the money and started getting stalked online by some strange Europeans, if I remember right. Yes, I forgot what country <laughs> was the guy from Ireland. Yes. Oh. Lots of ribbing, lots of ribbing on uh, about that in the in the old Death Valley Driver <laughs> chat room on Scott on Scott, and then Scott just disappeared. 
he re- he would reappear later, but only among certain people. I which did I find was him one... on Facebook just now. Oh, oh, like I was one of those because hmm. Scott was in uh, fan- some fantasy sports leagues with us for a while, but um, but yeah, he just he, he left altogether. Uh, but yeah, one of the one of the best wrestling tape dealers of that time. Uh, so. Yeah, so I mean, I was watching the priority comp as we were recording the show. So, uh, so yeah, a really fun show. Now, you had something going on that I uh, saw that you were part of uh, this week as we record this. Uh, you were on a, what Matt Bender's deal yeah, on Doom, yeah, which I've been on you know several times in the past in the last several years, and we went over the Vince stuff in detail. Uh, so I mean, it's the only podcast I've gone over it in that depth and that length because we end up going like two and a half hours. So, you know, it's geared more towards non-fans, but there's still a lot that we cover. So people, you know, people still might want to check that out. And we're recording this on Thursday evening. I don't think we want to go too long because we want to uh, get started on the Patreon show. But today's the day that... Uh, Speaking of friends of ours, uh, Tim Marchman, advice, you know, former editor-in-chief of Deadspin back in the day. Uh, he broke a big story today. Uh, he was working on some stuff, determined who John Laurinaitis' lawyer is, reached out, and uh, John Laurinaitis basically is turning on Vince, and let me read the actual quote, because <laughs> I don't want to get this wrong. Um... Right? Because I think it, the, just the weirdness of what he said, I think I do not. Well, because people, people, well, people are kind of misconstruing what he said. Go ahead and read it, and I'll, t- and I'll tell you what I've seen some people think he actually said, which is not what he said, but go ahead. Okay. So I'll just start with the, the lead oh, at that Tim Rowe. So a lawyer for John Laurinaitis, a co-defendant in an explosive civil sex trafficking lawsuit brought last week against WWE founder Vince McMahon and WWE itself, appeared to corroborate central claims in the suit in a statement to Vice News today while disputing Laurinaitis' role as described in the complaint. Edward Brennan, the lawyer, said that his client is himself a victim, just like plaintiff Janelle Grant, a former WWE Of course. The truth will come out, Brennan added. Uh... You know, just summarizing the suit. Earlier today, Vice News reached out to Brennan, an attorney in the Tampa area, to confirm that he represents Laurinaitis. He did so, adding, as an aside, Mr. Laurinaitis denies the allegations in the misguided complaint and will vigorously def- will be vigorously defending these charges in court, not the media. Like the plaintiff, Mr. Laurinaitis is a victim in this case, not a predator. The truth will come out. In response to a follow-up question, seeking to clarify that he was indeed saying that McMahon was the predator and that Laurinaitis, like Grant, was a victim, Brennan wrote, Read the allegations. Read the federal statute. Power. Control. Employment supervisory capacity. Dictatorial sexual demands with repercussions if not meant. Count how many times in the complaint Vince exerts control over both of them. <laughs> yeah, Vince McMahon was behind John Laurinaitis pushing him so he could uh, penetrate her. Yes. Yes, he was forcing him to do that. Ridiculous. I mean, I see some people actually think that Vince was 
<laughs> this was screwing John Laurinaitis and that he was abusing him. Wait, no, what? he was. Not. I actually saw some of that on Twitter. People was reading that because it said John Laurinaitis was a victim too. That Vince was sexually assaulting him. That's de- that's definitely not what they're. No, but the right. but the way the thing read, the people were taking that as he was being because it, it said that him and Janelle Grant were the same, thinking that John Laurinaitis was was being sexually assaulted too. Let me. Let me read what Tim wrote on Twitter. I want to be very reserved here, but I think it's fair to say that longtime observers of pro wrestling believe Laurinaitis would be in position to share a great deal of damaging information about McMahon. Then he adds, you can reach me or my colleague, Anna Merlin, with whom I've been reporting on sex trafficking for years, securely via the Signal app. And he gives the number in their emails. Confidentiality insured. Or I think it was assured. And then um, quote tweeted someone who replied saying, are there any plans to investigate who in WWE, especially on the executive level, knew about these allegations prior to going public? Tim says, this is just a few minutes ago as we're recording, we're actively investigating this as other outlets are. I have no interest in sharing our reporting before it's ready, but obviously there's no reason to think this problem started and stopped with Vince McMahon. Contact information is here. We've been reporting on trafficking for years, and I have more than a passing familiarity with pro wrestling. If you have a story to share, we're listening on our experienced and trauma-informed reporting and protecting sources. Okay. Um, this is, it's going to get ugly. I mean, it's just it's to be expected. I mean, it's to be expected that John Laurinaitis is going to try to save his ass. You know, but it's not going to work. And then another thing, too, is that I don't know if him and his lawyer even think about this. If they do this, then all this stuff that uh, that's on John Laurinaitis' uh, track record is going to come out, and it's not going to be pretty for him. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty for him at all. So, it's <laughs> it's just it's just going to get crazier and crazier. But I mean, we'll see how insulated this gets because I mean. Th- the way it looks and from what you have told me that this, you know, the question that we asked and I asked specifically is, you know, how will this be covered? And from what you've been hearing that this could be the one that gets covered the most of any of the, the wrestling, you know, uh, situations, controversy, scandals. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, is that, if the mindset of the, you know, what the, was she, the Netflix CEO or CFO or what, what was uh, that deal? I have the article open. Uh, I mean, I mean, when she was asked about, she said, you know, the, about the WWE Netflix relationship, said Vince is gone. Uh, Netflix content chief. Uh, content chief. Yeah, she said Vince is gone. So it has no bearing. And they're and they're still going ahead with their Vince th- documentary. Which we should note, the WWE does not have edit control over. No, but I'm saying they're still going to go ahead with that. So, you know, that's going to be another interesting thing, especially with Vince being interviewed for it. So he was. <laughs> so, I mean, it seems like they're going to go full force with, with Vince McMahon-related content. Um, I mean, also, who knows how much Bill Simmons and company are having to re-edit at least the later, the last episode of this and whatever. But uh-huh. but but again, though, I mean, even though this will this will get the the heavy a heavier version of press coverage, 
I still am skeptical how it's going to land among the general public. Well, also, did you see? Uh, I so I had missed this. Um, and Callis, uh, Janelle Grant's lawyer, did a second interview with News Nation. Yeah. And was talking about how basically her email inbox has been overflowing with other women who have stories. Well, good. I, hope, uh, I mean, it, they need more people to come out. They've been needing more people to come out. I've been saying that. That, that you know, you, you got to have some type of solidarity among all of these different women that have been assaulted by Vince. I think that's the one thing that all that, that really helped, you know, get the Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, uh, and Harvey Weinstein happened. Yeah. Is you have all of these different cases coming out to add it up and, you know, well, also made behind it. the scenes. I mean, we know because there are, you know, two different books by the reporters who, you know, did the Weinstein coverage. We know that that strength in numbers also was what led a lot of women to who previously maybe were helping off the record, you know, like Ashley Judd or Gwyneth Paltrow to, you know, decide to speak on the record. And but see, you know, that was the thing with Weinstein that that really took him down more than else is the high profile nature. Of his. Cosby was just the sheer numbers and, and all that stuff. Well, not necessarily, because the most damning thing about Harvey Weinstein was the Amber Gutierrez thing with the recording of him admitting to groping her. That's yeah, that damning, yes, but I'm talking about newsworthy. I'm talking about getting in the, getting the public eye. When you have those ne bigger names out there attached to this, yeah. that's what's going to get the attention. Yeah. And see, so that's that's where I'm kind of on the on the Janelle Grant thing is if it's just Janelle Grant that's, or, or even other office staff or office staff. I don't know how it's going to resonate compared to, say, someone who was a television performer. Now, what if we also get more stories as far as Vince, like abusing spa workers and stuff, you know, because it seemed it. We're assuming there are more stories like that. I, I feel like, to some degree, the almost the insanity of that might also get people paying attention more. Well, here's that, the thing. To, here's the thing, though. With that, though, you know, mentioned spa workers. I mean, we're in a situation where Deshaun Watson, who was an NFL quarterback, had twenty something women come out with allegations on him. And he's still able to play in the NFL after he served a, a long suspension, and I, I had a big fine. They were all but he got a, therapists, it, right? Yeah, yeah. But he got a fat contract, and uh, he signed a five-year contract worth two hundred thirty million dollars. Hmm. You know, and se he settled twenty. But the thing, he settled them. He settled twenty claims of mis of sexual misconduct. I mean, that's a big question. In all this. I mean, it doesn't seem like. And Callis and Janelle Grant are going to go that route. Oh, but absolutely does not seem like they have any intention of settling. It, it doesn't, but I mean, I mean, Endeavor is obviously <laughs> going to try to settle. Exactly. There will be a price. And will, will they prove Ted DiBiase's character's theory right? Everybody has a price. You know, 
If they, well, I mean, we'll see. Well, so remember, this is not just a lawsuit for financial damages. This is also a lawsuit to get injunctive relief to rule that the NDA is not valid. Yeah. So there's also so that, I've, and we'll see. I mean, it's, it's a definitely we'll see thing, but I mean, it's only going to get more and more salacious as we go along. You know, there's going to be more and more stuff coming out. You know, who who knew what and all this other stuff. And, hey, Shawn Michaels, you know, had to deal with it on his conference call. You know, Paul Levesque dealt with it on the, the Royal Rumble presser. And, boy, Shawn Michaels handled his a whole lot better than Paul Levesque did. Despite being asked specifically about rape allegations against him. Yeah. Although I did, I did not actually get to hear that part of the call yet as we're recording this. But, yeah, Nick Hausman, I mean, he has it more tactfully than that. But he asked about things Brutus Beefcake had said in interviews, which, yeah. and Sean mentioned, which, it, I mean, is kind of, it is true, Beef, Brutus Beefcake at Leslie did walk that back in a tweet a couple of years ago. But he's uh, not the only one, that. because look at all the shoot interviews that have comments and stuff about uh, right, right, uh, uh, Sean and Mark. Ed, Ed Leslie's the only one, and I think that's the reason his gets spread around and people think of his as the most credible, is that he's the one who's like not saying it to cast aspersions on Sean and Marty. He's the one that brings it up as like, oh, what a hilarious rib. Yeah. So that's why I think people always go to him as opposed to I know Shane Douglas has made comments about it. I'm trying to remember who else. You know, there's the stuff Marty said that wasn't exactly the same, but related. Lou, Way Lou Williams you know, talked about stuff. You know, I mean, and this is stuff, uh, just, you know, stuff that, that was seen as like normal in that era. I mean, there was a name for drugging people's drinks in wrestling. Yeah. You know, H-bombing, putting Halcyon in someone's drink. So, I mean, that shows you just how widespread it was. Um, So, we'll see what happens, but it's like, there's, there's a lot more scrutiny right now from mainstream reporters and particularly, like, investigative reporters on that company than maybe there's ever been. But it's but here's the thing though is is it gonna be again if if the heat's directly on Vince, Vince is gone. It's not just on Vince. I know, but I'm saying if it I mean if it ends up being in the court of public opinion, which is the most important court sometimes, especially if it doesn't go to a criminal trial. If they're like, well, Vince isn't there no more, you know. I mean, Vince is gone. Like the this. The content chief at Netflix said he's gone. Well, that's where all this reporting comes in. I know, but is it going to resonate? Is it going to resonate to the general public? We also that's don't know the, everyone the, who's looking into it. Like it depends on which outlets, and you know, is there any you know TV, I mean, TV news? I mean, the the only, but here's the thing: the only sponsor that made any noise about it was Slim Jim, and then they returned. That right after Vince got removed and, ma and made a joke about it. Yeah. So you haven't, you, you, so you've got your new top television partner, basically, and one of your top sponsors basically saying, oh, what's over with? But you know what? Like with potentially our Emanuel, I'm not, these people are off in their own ivory towers. I don't, I, who knows how much they've read, who much, they, how much they know just about what's in the ether. May, these people might genuinely also think it's just a Vince problem. So, we'll but that, again, but again, though, is if it's framed in that way, then 
is that's what it's going to be. You know, wh- whatever we think and and know. But you know what? But that's why I think one of the uh, that's a big reason why so many reporters are jumping on this because they know that it's not just a Vince thing. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I just I don't have any. I don't, I don't have the faith that it's going to do much of any difference. Okay, I just don't. You, well, but yeah, but there's more court corporate pressure and stuff. But let me ask you this before you know we've gone fairly long and we want to record some Patreon stuff. Let me ask you this: if the stuff that comes out, or if excuse me, if stuff comes out about people who are still in the company, if it's not criminal in nature, if it is. More along the lines of civil sexual harassment, of affairs with subordinates, that kind of thing. How much do you think that moves the needle for both the general public and for sponsors and other business partners? What was it consensual? In the criminal legal sense, that's my question. If something was in the criminal legal sense consensual. If somebody had an affair with somebody else and it was not against their will, and if it's a consensual affair, because God knows... In, in my 27 years in the workforce, I've seen a lot of that. But of course, I there's mean, the argument you can't consent to a relationship with your boss either. Oh, Bix. <laughs> Bix. I mean, I, I, in my in my profession, every time Not that a boss, every time that one of my bosses has had an affair with one of my colleagues. The colleague was the one that was pushing the boss to do it. Okay. Well, that's a every single time <laughs> because well, the they were trying to, right. they were trying to move up, move up in the chain in those cases. Yes. But I mean, then a bit also like, okay, now what if it's, if it's, I, if it's not, well, no, no, no. I'm asking something else. If it's not criminal in nature, but it is of the civil sexual harassment variety and there was no consenting involved. Sending pictures, comments, etc. How much of a dent do you think that would make? I don't. I don't think so. Because again, if it's not against their will, no, 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 no. I'm talking about if they are not consenting to it at all, but it's not criminal. If it's not criminal, I mean, that's the key. You think stuff that, that's not criminal is not going to move the needle for most people and most no, partners? Okay, that's no. my question. Yeah. You know what? I mean, here's the thing. What what moved the needle the most in all this? The descriptiveness and the specifics. Exactly. The exactly. That's the that's what move that's what people focus more on anything else when it first came out. Of well, your and, common people. And that we have the texts too, so that it's more than just her word that su- the general you know, thing that was going on. I mean, but that but that's the thing that struck the nerd the most is this man did that? Yes. Yes. No, I, I mean, th- completely. Th- that's uh, the thing. That's the thing. Um, it would take more stories of that, I think, to really move it. Anything else about other people, about something that happened to other people. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's uh, go to the indie territory scene here in the United States. And we start with uh, a show in Brooklyn at Canarsie High School on February the 6th, which drew a thousand fans, which featured uh, the Power Twins from Kansas City. Real names are John and Tony Stores. Wait a second. Are those the Power Twins? Yes. 
So Dave, Dave just has their real names completely, utterly wrong. Obviously, yes. Uh, Larry Misty... and David Power, real names Larry and David Sontag, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's them. Uh, Misty Blue, which he gets her real name out, Diane Sims. Ted Arcidi went double count out with Luke Graham, and the main event saw the Power Twins and Johnny Rods beat Abdul the Butcher, Luke Graham, and Mad Russian number one. How far are you away from uh, Kadarasi High School, Bix? I don't know. I don't have a good feel for where Kadarasi is ever. It's like people <laughs> people who've been in New York and on the subway. I guess they would know best. Like Kadarasi is the like uh, the last stop. Rockaway Parkway and Kadarasi is the last stop on the L train. It's off of Rockaway Parkway. Okay, so it's it's near there, presumably. Yeah, they closed in 2011. The high school? It's a defunct high school, yes. Oh, okay. Canarsie is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, yeah. Let me see. If I look up directions, like, from somewhere else in along that train line. Uh, I mean, if I put in Canarsie High School, would it come up on Google Maps? It doesn't exist anymore. I mean, okay, it's yeah, there. Okay. Um, oh, no. Okay. It's, a little, it's not right off the subway. Um... This says to take the bus. Yeah, it's not right off the subway, actually. Okay. So, so... Okay, so looking at the map, this is like on like the like eastern side, like middle, like southeastern side of Brooklyn, like towards the northern part of the southeastern side of Brooklyn. Hmm. So there you go. Well, I mean. You, a lot of in, indie shows in this era drew, drew good, really good. Yes. I, th- I think people don't always realize that. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting to go back and look at some of the uh, numbers some of these shows do, especially Northeast. So, all right. Um, let's go to my neck of the woods, the state of Georgia. And uh, we start with Jerry Blackwell's Southern Championship Wrestling. From Georgia, this turned into a pretty hot promotion in Atlanta area. They had a turnaway crowd of 620 fans in Marietta on February the sixth. This is at uh, Miss Kitty's uh, Country Bar. Me and them Miss came Kitty's? to see Ricky Morton. Big? It was a concert hall. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was. Um, and there's a few of them. Cowboys in Kennesaw, which I don't think they they ever uh, they ran there, which is right up the road. But uh, yeah, these were big places where country, big country artists would come and play, and they, you know, they had nice size setups where you get a whole bunch of fans in there. Uh, Me and Casey Ricky Morton first hour of TV tape and saw Sugar Ray Lloyd, a white guy, fairly green, glacier, beat Sandy Beach. Randy Rose, managed by Paulie Dangerously, beat Dino Manelli, the Deatons. The Dirty Deatons, Joel and David, Vernon Deaton, beat John Michaels, who turned babyface at the last taping, which explains why Steve the Brawler Lawler and the Nightmare, Ted Allen and her mask, are together as a heel team. Also, and Chick I Donovan, think one Deaton is uh, dirtier than the other, by the way. Well, and Chick Donovan about where Joel looked really good carrying things. John Michaels, the bug man, because his job outside of uh, wrestling was an exterminator. Then you had Mr. Wrestling 2 beating the Hitman, a fat mass man, 
<laughs> uh, Nick Busick over Steve Pritchard, who was one half of Deep South's tag team champions, the Rock and Roll Rebels. He jumped over. And then Tommy, Johnny Rich, and Ricky Morton beat Steve the Brawler Lawler, Nightmare, Ted Allen under the mask, and Dirty White Boy, well, not Dirty White Boy, Jimmy Bryan here in the, in the finale. Bruiser Birdie also had a match with a mannequin that he referred to as Dick Slater. And he tore the mannequin literally limb from limb. The second hour of the taping saw Lloyd and Pritchard be Easy Rider, the hitman the first hour without his mask, <laughs> and Jimmy Bryant. Mr. Atlanta, Tony Zane, Crockett job guy Tony Zane, under a, a version of the mask, Superstar Mask, and was really good in this character. Beat Chuck McCall. Nick Busick over Mighty Igor by disqualification, not the original Mighty Igor. Uh, with Jerry Blackwell doing a run-in. Actually, that isn't an appropriate term. Maybe a roll-in would be a better description. Oh, come on. And then Mr. Wrestling, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Ranger Ross be Artie Swain and Steve the Brawler Lawler. Bruiser Brody destroys Steve Bennett with the highlight being when Brody shoved Bennett's face into a plate of chicken. Yes, Dave notes that the show were held in a country bar slash restaurant. And then Dick Slater showed up and they brawled for a while to set up their upcoming feud. When Grizzly Boone beat Sandy Beach, and then the final match saw Tommy and Johnny Rich go to a time limit draw with the Deatons. They announced that duel to Butcher. Robert Gibson, who will team Ricky Morton, of course, will show up on the February 21st tapings with the probable Bruiser Brody Dick Slater main event. I've seen the clip of him beating up the dummy, I think, from Purposing. Well, I originally got it from you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> because you had you had a tape. Of this stuff. It was that two-hour SEW tape I had. Yeah, and uh, I hadn't seen it in years before I got it from you. And I was just so happy to have that. Now I've gotten a whole lot more since then. But this was a fun promotion, fun TV. I mean, you got... This is a promotion that would have been a Smart Mark favorite. If it was if it more had widely the, available. Yeah. Yes. Because, yeah, I mean, look who you had at the time there. Brody, Heyman. Um, you know, you had good workers in there like, uh, you know, Tommy Rich, Rock and Rolls are here. You know, Jeff Jarrett comes in and works eventually. And Eddie Gilbert's going to be around a lot as well. So, I mean, yes, it is a definite promotion. Because it's Pedicino. Pedicino's involved with Blackwell. So, of course, Pedicino's got his finger on the pulse of the newsletter community. So he's going to bring those guys in. Um, Brody's booking at this time. And then Robley will take over, you know, later on, of course, which is basically why I have Brody booking. But he did a much better job here than he did in Dallas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's an it's an up kind of an upstart promotion and he's not he's not married to the von erics and stuff like that you know and yeah and but yeah, and but, blackwell blackwell's not fritz <laughs> yeah. you know and yet also around this time he uh has in, his interactions with Heyman. Mm-hmm. that i think aired on pro wrestling this week including kissing Heyman on the mouth and then uh, <laughs> the next week, being like, you have real soft lips. <laughs> In fact, 
Paul Lee's got women's lips. <laughs> yeah, Brody was great here in, in this promotion. This is some of my favorite Brody stuff, honestly. Oh, yeah. And he's a babyface. He's on heel. And yeah, he's great. Um, They'll be hosting a well, Atlanta will be hosting a World of Wheels Auto Convention this coming weekend with guest appearances by some of the Powell girls. Which reminds me of a story, Bix. I, and this has really nothing to do with what we're talking about at the moment. But so I was doing some research on newspapers.com recently. And did you know that Powell booked a show at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia in 1988? No. And the state athletic commission canceled the show. Why did the commission cancel the show? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, they were like gonna poor enough run... advance that they felt the yes, wouldn't yes. get paid. Basically, yeah, uh, yes, that's it. That's exactly it. Okay, they put Federer Stadium. I guess it was during baseball season. It was during baseball season, so maybe I think they were gonna piggyback off a Phillies game, but. Oh, so it wasn't Veteran necessarily Stadium. going to be a standalone wrestling show. Well, no, but still, Veteran Stadium, pal. Where do you find this on newspapers.com? Yeah, I'm searching I for. Can't. I tried pal and then powerful moon of wrestling with Veteran Stadium, and I'm not seeing anything other than TV listings. Um, hold on, let me see here. Now you got me off off the topic here. All right, uh, all right. So I think I I think I have it here. I uh, it's got to be this one or this other one. Uh, all right, it's not that one. Yeah, I'm pulling up your clippings page. Well, I didn't clip it. Oh, okay. Oh, here it is. So it's September '87. I uh, okay. I searched '88. That's why. Were you among the fans who showed up at Veterans Stadium on the evening of the Tuesday, September first, hoping to see three hours of matches featuring the powerful women of wrestling? If so, you agreed. You were greeted by a cryptic sign taped to the window of a blue van. The handwritten message said bluntly, wrestling show canceled. What happened? The Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission, which regulates all Boston wrestling matches in the state, is trying to find out. Okay. Maybe it wasn't the Athletic Commission. After conducting a final hearing on October 14th, the commission will decide whether any fine suspensions are in order. The local promoters, PTPS Promotions, Paul Torin and partner Paul's Cowboy Swanger, an ex-wrestler, and the Pow People, Festival Venture Sports, and David McLean blame each other for the cancellation. Charges of unsigned contracts, unpaid fees, and more are flying between the parties. According to the commission's chief deputy commissioner, Frank Talent, it seems like it was a comedy of errors on both sides, but our main interest is for the fans. We make sure everyone who paid tickets got a refund. Talent said the commission, as I scroll up, could find either party and, if warranted, issue statewide suspensions. Whatever the results, it's the wrestlers themselves who already have gotten the short end of the stick. The Powell ladies have been scarred with a TNA image, and the word is that they're trying to discard that side of the business and concentrate instead on the wrestling. Let's hope Philadelphia fans get, will get a chance to find out. I'm reading an article promoting it in the Philadelphia Daily News from August 28th. Yeah, yeah this was September 18th. McLean, McLean was only 26 at this point, by the way. New young guy. So when he's putting glue together, he's like 23, 24. Yeah, he's a young cat. 
I didn't realize he was that young. You know, he tells the story we've seen him told tell other times about how when he was working for Bruiser, he booked a Candy Divine um, Princess Jasmine match. And as a ring announcer, he asked the fans if they want a rematch and it got a huge reaction. And that was the germ of the idea. And they don't, I mean, they kind of explain the glow pow split, but not really. Um, Veteran so Stadium. Wait, this has to, so wait, this has, it was coming on Tuesday night. So this is on a Friday. So it's Saturday, 29th, 30th. So this says it was September 1st. Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh, I thought you said 8th or, or something. No, 1st. Oh. No, no. It was going to be a TV taping. I'm, I'm sure. 15 matches are scheduled, including a no DQ title match fitting power champion Nina Ivory against Hot Rod Andy. Tag team battle between Foreign Destruction of Sasha the Russian, which is, uh, what's her face, right? Nanochka from Glow. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, Palia Czar Russia Diarophic the Terrorist against Shannon O'Brien and the Polynesian Princess. Queen Kong versus a new power recruit named Paisley. Former WWF Ladies Heavyweight Champion. Wendy Richter versus Davila. The bombshell blondes of Malibu and Brandy May. Brandy May was one of the Glow Farmer's Daughters, right? Yes. Malibu, I don't remember who she was other than that she looked a lot like Nancy Sullivan. Yeah. Um, against Destiny and Hot Rod Andy, who's wrestling twice in one night. And Jeannie Beret versus Little Ninja through the magic of videotape, all 15... The 15 matches will be turned to three separate nationally syndicated POW shows. And aired in the Philadelphia area during October, McLean says he plans to bring POW matches Philadelphia on a monthly schedule. <laughs> and on October 10th, we'll present the first all-female wrestling card at Madison Square Garden in New York, in which it was at the... <laughs> well, no, it was at the Felt Four. At least now we have a date for that show. Um, Veteran Stadium, Tuesday at 7 p.m., 15th schedule match. Okay. Ten dollars for the five hundred six hundred level, fifteen for the two hundred three hundred level, twenty five dollars for reserved field seats. Available at the stadium, Ticketron, and Teletron. Veterans Stadium. I mean, here's the thing: there's never anything about Glow and Pow in the Observer, so we like anything substantive. So if we want to talk about it, it has to be stuff like this. Well, it just came up because Pow came up, and I just saw that. I was like, it's fresh in my mind. Uh, and I just didn't know if you knew about this. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I had <laughs> Better no in stadium. But there's more stuff for... Okay, wait. Uh, what's this from the Baltimore Evening Sun in November? Oh, the, with the... Wait. Something with the St. Louis Cardinals? Wait, what is this? Why are they in Philly? I'm good. They probably played a game. No, but why is Powerful Women of Wrestling... Coming up as part of the... Oh, no, P-O-W-W, sorry. This is one where I did do P-O-W-W and not Powerful Women of Wrestling. Okay. Um, what a weird story. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to the world of wheels. Yeah, start re start reading that, that blurb again. All right, so Atlanta be, Atlanta be hosting a World of Wheels auto convention this weekend with guest appearances by some of the Power Girls on the February 12th, Paulie Dangerously, Bruce Brody, and Paul Andor on February 13th, and Carrie Von Eric Fantastics on February 14th. Fantastic were at least one or two shows here next weekend, although they won't be on the taping. And I've seen the clipping for this. Yeah, well, they, 
on that Saturday night saw right for fighting video of uh, Superstars of Wrestling, the you know video that was on YouTube, clips of this is on there. Oh, okay, that's Bonnie's YouTube channel, right? That is. On yes, there. yeah, yeah, yes. Because Brody, they show, I mean, there's a picture. I mean, it's a video of Brody signing an autograph, and there's like a brawl on the stage with the Powell Girls. You can see the Fantastics. But yeah, I remember this. I didn't go to this, but I remember this. I went to a deal. It was a year or two later that it was at the Omni. They had a whole bunch of people there from Atlanta Sports, and Pedicino was involved and all that stuff. I remember that. I went to that, but I didn't go to this. All right, so Dave saw the first four TV shows from January. And says, pretty live independent, which is fun to watch. has a better caliber of wrestling than most indies. So Dave did get it. Of course he did, considering who's involved. So, <laughs> but yeah, this would have been a darling promotion among the, uh, the smart fans if they got to see more of it. Absolutely. There's some of Dennis Condry coming into and Randy Rose once again and feud with Morton and Gibson. Michael Hayes may work a few days here as well. Um, Hayes didn't, especially on TV. Uh, Condry, I don't remember him with Randy here. It was just Randy. Now, this group and the other independent in Georgia, Deep South, are involved in a pretty major war of words of late. On, D- on a recent Deep South show, they made tons of fun of Joe Petticino, the TV announcer for this promotion, also for this week fame, and pro wrestler this week host Bonnie Blackstone. They began a segment saying they had two of the most important wrestling personalities on their show. Then have one enormous guy in the easy chair pretend to be Pedicino and Which, get stuck. Which, by the way, was Jody Hamilton. Yes, and get stuck and need three people to get him out of his chair. And we had a would-be Blackstone play a bimbo type. This group had basically been quiet about the whole thing. Although they recently showed the same Puerto Rico match with the Invader against the Assassin. And Pedicino countered, this is the Puerto Rican Assassin. Because there's nobody named the assassin in the United States that can wrestle. Of course, the head of the Deep South is Jody Hamilton, who happens to wrestle as the assassin and as the group's headliner. Yes, I have this on video. Yeah, how have you still not uploaded this, especially since we're covering the week it's happening? (laughs) The quality is very, very subpar. I know, but come on. (laughs) <laughs> i've wanted to see this ever since i read about it in hamilton's book i'll uh i'll try to it get it up so I'll fucking fi- mean spirit i'll try to find it because bonnie yeah the whoever's playing bonnie blackstone is uh like wearing like the most obnoxious powder cake makeup right that's the joke is yes yeah and rock hunter is the, is the, the straight man for all this him and nick patrick it's wild, but yeah, I'll try. Maybe I can find it and put it up there. So yeah, yeah it's pretty. It's, I mean, it was nasty. This is a nasty thing, man. And and for the time period, because Pedicino and all of them, you know, they had a big falling out with the Hamiltons, and left to go with Blackwell, and just. And Deep South lost their television because of it and had to get a new TV. Because of Pedicino or because of the segment? No, because Pedicino. Because, because he, pulled him off, he pulled him off the block. Yeah. So what was the actual falling out there? What happened? I really don't know. I don't know the actual story. So much of that, well, Nick Patrick, I don't know if Nick Patrick would 
I guess he would probably remember him. I bet and he stuff. would. He'd be somebody to ask about that. Ask him but, on one of his ad-free shows, gimmicks or whatever. I guess. Those inside quotes are fun at the times, Dave said. Also, in the last show this weekend, Michael Hayes was odd. This is on during the Pettacino block in studio. Talking about the NWA saying it may be the major league, but their checks are minor league. It could be safely soon. Hayes went back with JCP anytime in the near future. How about try uh, less than one calendar year? <laughs> well, he's not in JCP, though. You're right. You are right. Good good call, Bix. You're right. I didn't think about it like that. The checks aren't an issue when he comes back. Uh, No, far from it. God, I wish I had all this stuff on tape. This, the Pettacino stuff. Oh. There's, There's so be... much shit. There's so much shit get... to happen in that studio, man. They've got some of the Atlanta boys, or someone's got to have some stuff, some of this. Who knows? I doubt it. All right, Global Wrestling in Florida is already showing the old tapes of their TV show. That's not good. Because that's. It... They just started. Yeah. They had a house show on February 6th about Dora. In Mondora High School, where Ken Berto, yes, the uh, the uh, what the brother of Andre Berto. So wait, is Ken Dussel or a different brother? Uh, it's Dussel, yeah, against Steve Kid Collins. Because Dussel was the pro wrestler, yeah. So I'm assuming yeah. Ken is Dussel. Yeah. Corporal Kirshner against Doctor Red Roberts. Doctor uh, Michael Brannon, yes. Ox Baker against Cousin Junior in a sodbuster match. Whatever that was. Does that mean Kenny J is the referee? <laughs> and a 12-man battle royal. Does does that mean yeah. they're fighting to uh, raise money to fight? Wow, what's the Kenny J benefit for? Cysticosis or something? <laughs> yes. Didn't he wrestle in WCW in the 90s? Well, that was psychosis. Okay. Well, psychosis. But psychosis, psychosis. in WCW. Yes. Yes. Continental, we ain't got no news from the Wii, but we got a couple of stuff from TV. Oh, it's Continental before Eddie Gilbert's booking and there's no news from the observer? <laughs> I'm shocked. Well, there's no results either for, that I have for the week. This is a time period where it, it, you get very shaky for results. All right, uh, so TV, Wendell Cooley, of course, is an enemy of the stud stable since he's left them and turned back babyface. So let's uh, watch a clip here of... Uh, a not so uh, good meeting between the two, at least for Wendell Cooley's side. Who's that in the uh, thumbnail here with Gordon? That would be Tom Owens, the big that strong man that had the children's ranch. Okay, That's yeah, a very jacked young man. He was huge, and he tried to wrestle, but he he, he was failed. worse than he was way worse than Bill Casmeyer. You mean Bill Casmeyer, uh, a rings veteran from Auburn, Alabama? Yes. This time, and Charlie Platt for this special profile. The relatively young career of Wildcat Wendell Cooley can be termed of nothing short of sensational. But Wendell, is in professional wrestling as in anything in life, it has its downfalls. And it seems in the past year you have had more than your share of downfalls in professional pause, wrestling. Pause, Most pause, of pause, it pause. comes at the hands of... Look how much better the production is here compared to what it's going to become when, uh, <laughs> when David Woods... You know, in the when the Fullers leave and David Woods fully takes over, but David Woods already owns it. I know, but he's not in charge of production here yet. It's okay, still uh, that's what it is. Okay, it's still Sherry. Wait, who? Sherry Fuller Well. I mean, what? what oh, what's her name? This is Ron's wife, or at the time. Yeah, 
What was her damn name? She was in charge of production. Look at read, watch the credits. (laughs) She put together a good TV show. Yeah, hold on. I I noticed that though, right? Even before you said it, like the lighting and everything. But they're also still saving about well. Uh, well, yes. I'm trying to remember. Are there any about well tapings after the shift? Uh, yeah, uh, like one. And what does it look like? Uh, I can't remember. All right, so I'm looking now. Okay, so I found a cutting episode from the, a late '87, and I'm reading the credits here as uh, well, it's like the uh, I so Sherry Lee Welch. Yeah, that's what I thought. She was the uh, executive producer. Spruce McGee. Spruce McGee was director. Don Roberts, assistant director. This is uh, Cross Creek, a Cross Creek television production. Okay, so they were farming it out to some degree. Or yeah. Was Cross Creek his company, or was Cross Creek an outside production company? Cross Creek was Birmingham. They were a production company out of Birmingham. So they were farming it out to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Whereas David Woods was just using whatever equipment he had lying around at WCOV. Yes. The stud stable. And recently, what's on the minds of all wrestling fans here in the Continental Wrestling area is the injury that was uh, inflicted upon you by Dirty Dutch Mantel, but he had some help. We want to know tonight what the situation is with the leg and what did the doctors say? Well, Charlie, it's, it, it's been a long uphill climb for the last year, but the last six months has really been hell for me. And I'd be the first to admit that it's been a hard struggle. About six months ago, I made the worst mistake I ever made in my life. I signed with the stud stable, and ever since that has happened, and I walked out on him, and I retired from wrestling, it's been three guys coming after me, Charlie, and I'm getting sick and tired of having to look over my back when I go to the shopping mall or when I go to the grocery store or when I show up to the arenas. Every time I get Dutch Mantel alone, Jimmy Golden and Robert Fuller shows up. And in Jackson, Mississippi, two weeks ago, I had Dutch Mantel beat. Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden showed up at ringside. When I got down, Dutch Mantel hooked the figure four and would not relinquish the hold until he snapped the knee. He tore the cartilage in my knee, and it's going to be at least four weeks before I'll be able to compete again, if then. And that's with the physical therapy. What are you doing out here? I know that you was down here doing a profile. I got your profile, Wendell Cooney, because all these people around here know you used to be stable, but you couldn't cut it, son. And now look at you. You're broke down in a sweatsuit. You're not wearing diamond rings, baby, and thousand dollar watches, baby. You ain't got it all going for you. I got it going for me, baby. Back to you, boy. Wait, is that a lighting ring or is there a scaffold match on this side? Uh, probably a scaffold match. Uh-uh, Cooley caught from behind. And now, Fuller and Golden, and there's a Dirty Dutch Mantel. And they're all three on Wildcat Wendell Cooley. And they're Furry boots with street clothes. at that leg <laughs> with that crutch. And uh, Cooley has got to be in horrible pain right now. The three of them. Continue yeah, to this ain't bad, but it's fair ground. Oh, okay. And now they're leaving him deserted like a dog struck by a car on the road. Wildcat what? Wendell Cooley. <laughs> leaving like a dog struck <laughs> by a car on the road. <laughs> well, that's true. 
<laughs> I mean, that happens. But what what does it mean to leave like one though? It means you hit a dog and you leave and you leave the oh, scene. Oh, it means they left him like he's a dog stuck on. The, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. They left Cooley like he's a dog stuck on the side of the road. Yeah, Which, they that's had, not exactly like, what Gordon said. Like they hit a dog and he's they let them de- laying on the side of the road. Okay. In serious trouble, we've got to get a stretcher out here. Get help to him immediately. We'll be back as quickly as we can get things restored here. All right. So, ah, yes, the good old stud stable. Now, in other news in Continental, Ron Fuller, who hasn't been seen in a while, has a major announcement that's going to rock the core of Continental Championship Wrestling. So uh, let's go to Gordon Sully. I have a quick question, actually. Yes. Is there anyone that was ever presented as like the overarching promoter of Continental Championship Wrestling? Uh, no. They would only mention the local promoters, so like Bob Polk uh, on the Knoxville side, and I guess well, someone nope. else on Alabama. Or? Nobody. Nobody in Nobody. Alabama, just Bob Polk on Knoxville. And, and uh, well, David Woods would get mentioned in the David Woods era. Right, but I mean, when it's Ron Fuller. There no. was nobody oh, no, that no, was no, mentioned no, as a promoter or matchmaker no, 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 or anything. Okay. No. Ron's not done that till he go till USA. Yeah. Well that I knew. But find me on one side, downtown Bruno on the other. And I Alright, pause. There was a match going on uh with Detroit Demolition. Who I and forgot they... was already there at that point. And there's a screen that pops up. We interrupt this match for this very special message. Normally, I wouldn't dare interrupt a match in progress, but I'll tell you what, I have an announcement to make right now that I consider extremely critical to all of you who are viewing right now. If you remember just about two months ago, the original, the one, the only, Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller said he was retiring from the sport of professional wrestling. I'd like to go back and relive that moment and then tell you some very, very exciting news. Let's go back to that day and time when Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, said he was retiring. First of all, I want to thank Gordon for the opportunity to make what I consider a special announcement here on the program today. As uh, certainly the fans in the continental area know, and actually wrestling fans all over the world are very acquainted with the feud that's been going on within my family. It's uh, been a situation that I've tried to live with for the last couple of months. I've tried to compete inside the ring against my brother and my cousin. Uh, it's caused a tremendous amount of problems uh, everywhere I go all over the world to wrestle. The first thing people want to know is what's happening with my family and what's going wrong with my family. Uh, uh, as I said before, it's caused a lot of problems not only with me, but I'm sure with my brother and my cousin's feelings as well. Uh, my dad, for instance, uh, he, he's, he's torn as to exactly what to do here and how to solve this problem. and. Uh, and needless to say, my mother's really torn up about this whole situation. And I've given it a heck of a lot of thought here in the last couple of weeks. And I've made a decision that there seems to be only one answer to this problem. And that answer is for me to get out of wrestling. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's what I'm here for today. I appreciate the opportunity, Gordon, to speak with the wrestling fans and let them know that, this, that I've already had my last wrestling match, and I will not wrestle again anywhere in the United States or anywhere outside the United States, that I am officially retiring from wrestling, and it's due 
to the situation between myself, my brother, and my cousin. Uh, before I go, though, I would like to say one thing. I would like to thank, more so than anybody else, the fans, the wrestling fans throughout the country and throughout the world that have supported me over the years. And I want to let the fans know that it's been my honor and my pleasure to go in the ring and to represent people from all over this country and all over the world. And the greatest and the most fantastic moments that I've ever had in my life, I had inside the ring with the fans cheering and bringing goosebumps on my body from just listening and feeling what those fans and the support they gave me. And those are the moments that I will never forget as long as I live. And the great moments that I've had in this sport are all due to the fans that have supported me over the years. And this is my official retirement. You'll never see me in the ring wrestling again. And I just wanted to thank you once again, Gordon, for the opportunity to speak with the fans. And to everybody out there that's ever cheered for Ron Fuller, I want to say a big thank you very much. And I'll see you somewhere down the road. All right. Now, that was the statement that really rocked the wrestling world. Here is a man who is a third-generation wrestler who retired rather than to create any more family problems. And he was not the creator of these problems. It was his, indeed his brother. Now, from that point on, uh, for those of you who are watching right now, USA Championship Wrestling is on its way. It's my pleasure to announce that I will be hosting this program. And after serious and long negotiations, I'm going to have on the program with me the original, the one, the only, Tennessee stud as the color commentator. Let me bring him in right now, Ron Fuller, the gentleman that I am so very, very proud of. Uh, I think we should say, even though it presumably goes without saying, this only aired in the East Tennessee version of the show, right? Um, I guess, yeah. I don't know. Why I would, would this have so. aired in Alabama? Yeah, I, uh, I guess. I mean, maybe Northern Alabama. I mean, you uh, didn't see it on, you have no recollection of seeing this as it happened, do you? I, I don't, rec you know, I don't recall. It could have. I don't know. Uh, I mean, we got USA Wrestling, so. Well, do we have local promos on this thing anyway? On this episode? I'm not sure. I mean, it, it looks full length, so. I didn't check. Yeah, there's local promos. You just passed them. Yeah, so we would, I mean, we'll check after to make sure. But... Uh, yeah. The better part of common sense when he did retire, not because he was worrying about injury to himself, but what further damage he could do to the fuller name in the sport of wrestling. But boy, it's a real pleasure to have you on board. Well, Gordon, uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, I've always been a wrestler in the ring, and this is going to give me an opportunity to, to lend my expertise if I've got some. And I assume I have after many years in the wrestling profession uh, as a color commentator. And, uh, and, and there's a list. You've got a list here yeah. of wrestlers that are going to be seen on this program. And this is, a this is a who's who in professional wrestling as far as I'm concerned. I think it's going to be one of the best wrestling programs, probably the best wrestling program in the world. Well, I would certainly have to agree with that, and uh, it's not without a small measure of pride that we announce that you will be seeing such people as the uh, Australian champion, uh, the superstar Bill Dundee, nature boy Buddy Landell, from Mexico, the former world junior heavyweight champion Hector Guerrero, uh, the universal heartthrob Austin Idol, the freebird uh, Terry Bam Bam Gordy from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Bruiser Brody, we're talking about Johnny and Davey Rich, Abdullah the Butcher, Stan the Lariat Hanson. This is the man that put uh, the legendary Bruno San Martino out of wrestling. 
from Uganda, the uh, giant Kamala, Scott Armstrong, the moon dog. And I could go on and on and on. Uh, I mean, uh, Mongolian Stomper and managed by Ron Wright. If that's not a combination to kill, I've never heard one in my life. Uh, and like I say, that, like you say, this list goes on and on. The people are going to be treated, in my opinion, to the finest wrestling that they've ever seen. And uh, in just two weeks' time, this program will be on the air. In fact, next Sunday afternoon in Knoxville, Tennessee, they'll be making the initial program. Right. We will be doing that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And by the way, for you folks living outside of Knoxville, if you'd like tickets to the uh, matches in Knoxville on Sunday afternoon, the 14th at 3 p.m., mail your money orders. No checks, no cash, please. Just money orders to uh, <laughs> U.S. Championship Wrestling, USA Championship Wrestling TV tickets. And that's the second time we've seen something like this recently, where they're basically yeah. like, no checks, no cash, just money orders. Yeah. Post Office Box 51408. That's P.O. Box 51408, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37919. That's 37919. Please remember, a $3 money order. No checks, no cash, please. Uh, that money order will do it for you. So if you're living outside... Uh, the city of Knoxville, you'll have an opportunity to get those tickets back in the mail. Yeah, that, as I understand it, that's $3 per ticket, Gordon, right. to see from 8 to 12 matches with world-class wrestlers. And if that's not a deal, I've never heard one in my life. In the Coliseum Ballroom, I've seen it. It's a beautiful room. I think it's going to be an exciting event for anybody that comes and sits there in that audience, and it's going to be an exciting event for those people out there at home to watch it. And, uh, and I think they said something about a self-address, sending a self-address stamped envelope with the money order, and they can pick up a money order at a bank or a post office. Or... <laughs> so you have to pay for the money order. And then you also have to pay for the stamp and the envelope. <laughs> they're they're not going to pay for the stamp and the envelope. They ain't paying for shit. Convenience <laughs> store, there's a lot right. of places you can get a money order, and this is a great opportunity for those people like I know say, where you can get one at. area that may want to come in, uh, and this is not just for what, the television on the 14th. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll be doing it like every other week. They'll be doing the program. Wait, do you have a Wednesday? 14th, the 28th, 14th, and 28th, and on like that. So if they don't get into the 14th taping, the tickets will be good for the following time. All right, and there you have it. USA Championship Wrestling coming your way from Knoxville, Tennessee beginning on the 14th of February at the Knoxville Coliseum Ballroom, and it'll be yours truly along with my good friend, the original, the only Tennessee stud, bringing you all the action. Now, let's get back to the action in this program. Knees are uh, really turning to rubber now. All right. Oh, it's Doug Furness in Detroit Demolition. Yeah, so let's see where this is from. So I'm guessing it's Knoxville. Yep. yep, it is. So this is not. So this would have come from Bo, more often than not. Oh, so wait, did look at this earlier in the show. For the next three weeks, Championship Wrestling will be seen at midnight on Sundays. Right? And it says USA Championship Wrestling in the graphic. Even Yep. Right here on Channel 6 due to the Olympics. I'd also like to remind you that next Saturday, Morristown, Tennessee. Huh. Such an, it, it, like, they don't even really explain what USA Championship Wrestling is. No, they don't. And obviously they haven't decided on being up front that he's the promoter yet. No, they haven't. Because they've entered negotiations with him, and finally he's agreed to be the color commentator. <clears throat> yeah. Uh -huh. You know, and then for, for a while there, Gordon is the host of both shows. Until uh, not long after Eddie Gilbert takes over booking. Yeah. But that's why Charlie Platt was brought in 
to be Gordon's replacement. So when basically. did Charlie first come back? Early 88. So had he just been completely outside of wrestling for a while? Yes. Since, yeah, since 85. He was a radio, just doing radio. And so when Con- I thought him and Gordon worked well together. Because when they go, when Continental becomes Continental, uh, that's when uh, Charlie Platt's gone. And it's just Gordon Solo. It's Gordon Solo, yes. By the way, why do you think Gordon's work was so much better here than in other promotions in this era? Um, Just the style of TV? Yeah. Like, he still has his Gordon moments where it seems well, like another he's thing, vibing. Uh, but... another, another thing, too, is Gordon is better when he's doing commentary live. Yes. Gordon, the difference between Gordon on a pre-tape and Gordon live was something. Well, also in because, studio, too. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, that's what I mean, studio. Because, um, what was it the other day? It was the uh, 30th anniversary of Bobby Heenan joining WCW. And on this day, in WWE tweeted out the video of The Clash where Gordon and Bobby did a match together on that clash um, where they announced the Regal Dustin Rose match. And Gordon was so into that. He was, he was definitely motivated and into, into doing that because it was live in the building at ringside. He's on play by play. He ain't done it forever in a live setting on play by play. So, yeah. All right. So, so there you go. So, Continental Wrestling soon to end, and USA Wrestling soon to begin, at least on the northern part of uh, the territory. All right, let's go to uh, Western Tennessee now, and to the CWA. Gary Young and Max Payne won the tournament on February 1st to, cra- to capture the CWA tag titles. Although Dave's not sure who they beat in the finals. We'll talk about that in a minute. That means they would have wrestled the Midnight Rockers at a rare heel versus heel bait of it later on in the show. Well... We don't have that result because it didn't happen. What we have is the tournament. <laughs> so in the tournament in quarter quarterfinal matches, we had Max Payne and Gary Young over Memphis Vice, Jerry Bryant, Lou Winston, the Doctors of Rock over King Cobra and Skip Young. Who are the Doctors of Rock? Uh, mask guys. Then Manny Fernandez and Jeff Jarrett over Jimmy Jeff Funk and T. Joe Khan. Don Bass and Carl Fergie over Bill and Jerry Lawler by disqualification. Then you get the semifinals where we had a bye. Max Payne and Gary Young beat the Bruise Brothers, Ron and Don, who got a bye out of the first round. And at this and then point, lost they the first are still uh, Ron and Don Bruise and not Ron and Don. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, no facial hair. Yeah. Well, like maybe mustaches at most. Then you got Manny and Jeff over the Doctors of Rock. And then Manny and Jeff over Don Bass and Carl Fergie. And then Max Payne and Gary Young win the finals, beating Manny and Jeff. I have no recollection of how Manny turned babyface. It was um, Jimmy Jeff Funkin' T. Joe Khan was doing a beatdown or something, and Manny got hit by mistake, if I remember correctly. Mm. And that's one of those deals. It was something like that. All right, Scott Hall and T. Joe Khan have left the area, nowhere in their whereabouts. Where does Both Scott Hall go? Germany? Uh, he doesn't really... There's points in 88 where he's not... We don't have any really results of him hmm. for a while. 
uh, newcomers this week are the Cuban Choir Boys with manager Ernest Angel. The babyface tag team of Bad Company, Petanaka and Paul Diamond, who just in for a few weeks for returning to the WOW promotion, and a rookie tag team called the Zebra Warriors. Now, this promotion's already had some negative response to the Choir Boys and manager Ernest Angel, who are doing a preacher gimmick. Um, they're getting nasty phone calls from religious groups already. Angel City's on a mission to create Wrestling Village USA as a Jimmy, Jimmy Tamifei Baker takeoff. Dave's told his tag team has no physical credibility, which hurts the gimmick. Well, I think at this time, the choir boys are just choir boys. They're not Cuban choir boys yet. I think it's just like two mask guys. Yeah. Uh, Angel's already saved the soul of Max Payne and Gary Young on television. Well, let's watch uh, a couple of clips of uh, Brother Ernest here from our TV. Oh, real quick. I did look. Scott Hall shows up in Continental for a few weeks. Uh, yeah, I do remember that, but it's that that's also very short. Yes, then he goes to New Japan mainly for a few tours, and I guess that's his main job is New Japan. And then, yeah, I guess his main job is New Japan and Otto Vons for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, I forget. I had forgotten. Yeah, he's he's a New Japan regular in '88. Yeah, but, he doesn't wrestle much in the United States. It was a weird territory for him to be in, though, too. With how much he dwarfed everyone. Yeah. They're willing him at like 6'7 here, aren't they? He's pretty tall. Six, eight. Yeah. Title match. We've got another match prior to that, right, Dave? Right. Max Payne will be coming in. Max Payne! The pain inflicted. Boy, I am still shaking my head at that earnest angel. Yeah. Where is this guy coming from? Look out. Dressing room. Another one. That's all I can say to hey. you, Brother Russell. You know, I can't believe it. Lance, I was back there, and all of a sudden, deep down inside, something started to dig. And I said, Yeah, Brother Angel and I have a common goal, a common calling, and that's to destroy one thing the king, Jerry Lawler. Because you know why? There's a new boy in town. He's one of the strongest halves of a tag team already. Roller, get ready. This is my calling. My destiny has been assumed, and the overlord is about to reign. Take it, brother. Oh, nothing warms me any more than to hear that. Yeah, I can. I, I, I can I see you. I got a friend that you and I are not going to be friends. That's all I can tell you. When you go out and sign up. I got one favor to ask of Brother Angel. You know, Lawler, he's, he's a low-down, scumbelly beatnik, and I want to know if Brother Angel and his boys will stand in my corner and take care of me. Watch after me, because Lawler will do anything. A low-down, scumbelly beatnik. <laughs> well, Lawler sometimes had that uh, Maynard G. Krebs facial hair. Hmm. To cheat, to steal, to take away something that ain't his and something he hasn't earned. The more the merry. I know well, what you're thinking is on it. You know that anybody that joins our cause, we're going to be behind them. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you what. One half of the Southern Tag Team uh, champions, Max Payne and Gorgeous Gary. Well, Daryl's doing a good job here with the promo. Oh, yeah. Well, let's go to our next clip, shall we? Preaching I, Brother I, Ernest. I have, I have a question real quick. Yes? At this point, 
is Daryl Peterson considered to be on New J- New Japan Excursion? Uh, no. So is he just done with New Japan after his initial tour, or after he leaves the dojo? Uh, pretty much, yeah. But Adams went back a little bit, right? Uh, Brian Adams, or did he? <sighs> or was it just Benoit? Benoit's the one that made it a regular thing. Okay. All right. I wonder what his friends back in Utah think of him becoming an evangelical. <laughs> Our time's running out. Gorgeous Gary Young coming out here. And he is with uh, Brother Ernest. What an exciting day last Yeah, thrill. I've already had my day, man. exciting day in professional wrestling history because the coalition of all the coalitions, the greatest wrestling coalition in the world, Brother Ernest. Him, baby. <laughs> what I want to know, brother Lance, did you hear brother Lawler threaten me? Yes, I heard him. Did you hear him threaten me? Yeah. All I can tell you, when I walk around death, I fear nothing, because I've got my coalition. You've got the strength, and you've got the brains, and you've got the Southern Tag Team Champions. Max Payne and Gorgeous Gary. We also have a match, and we're running short on time, so let's get at it, gentlemen. We'll see if we can get it underway. Dave? It's going to be a match to the expiration of time here. Uh, Alan Reynolds. Out of- <laughs> I love Bernard Ernest. <laughs> Very controversial at the time. Very controversial. The thing is, the thing is, uh, we we don't have these WMC versions of of this stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff cut out. Yeah, yeah, their stuff's cut out. The supposedly the really stuff, the stuff that got the people pissed, uh, it's cut out of the syndicated TV. <laughs> the stuff that's on the McAdam compilations and yeah, uh, whatnot. All right, the Zebra Warriors are pretty, are pretty, pre two very small, whatever the hell that means. Pre, or I guess R, supposed to be R, not pre, are two very small guys. He was smaller than Kenny Wayne, who are completely green, but bump, okay. Skip Young's also gone, having lasted less than a week. You know the story behind that, right? Mm-mm. Brickhouse Brown told that in one of his junior interviews oh that, uh, that Skip Young w- went to Louisville. And uh, he worked the shot, and then he disappeared. And they found him like a few days later or something. He was in a crack house or something. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, the big news here is they wound up turning Bill Dundee heel after all. They had a battle royal with the winner to get a shot at the CWA title on the, on the February 6th television show. It came down to Jeff Jarrett and Bill Dundee. Dundee tossed Jarrett over the top rope, but Jarrett held on and flipped himself back in the ring. As Dundee was strutting, Jared hit him from behind with two drop kicks, and Dundee went over the top rope. Let's watch that, shall we? Let's see how he turns after they've been teasing it for a whole month. Dundee snaps him over the shoulder. Knee right down the side of the face is Dundee. Oh, I just realized, is he turning because this airs in parts of East Tennessee, and he's going to be... No, he's turning because he's about to leave. He's turning because he's leaving. Yeah, he's leaving. Oh, so it's just to set up to have an excuse on the way out to do gimmick matches and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Bound and determined he's going to get that title shot, and we had a one-two. Jeff kicks out before the three count. Dundee not letting up. He knows how to finish, and he's got Jeff started. 
hounds him with a right hand. I mean, just glommed him. Come on, Bill. Made no mistake. Look at referee Jerry Calhoun. He's saying, hey, 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 don't use the fist. Dundee's saying, okay, okay, okay. Enough that he jumped in from behind with a suplex. Calhoun counting away. Come on, there you go. At least help him in. Bill holding the rope. He's uh, telling Jeff to call. title match with Jeff Jarrett. All I can tell you, Lance, is I'm not gonna have any I'm not gonna have any sympathy on Dundee in this title match after what he's done to Jeff to win this thing. Boy, he sure pulled them all out when he snapped that rope on him in the air and dumps him over. Jeff Jarrett, who had a rugged go with Gary Young first, and now Dundee just kicking a stew out. Count of one, count of two, and he didn't make it. Dundee thought he had him. He got a count of two. He picks him up, slugs him with a fist. The referee gets on Dundee by using the, the fist. And over the top rope, Jared goes. No, he's not. But he pulled himself right back up. the floor, Bill. He grabbed the rope. He never touched the floor. True, you threw him out, but he never touched the floor and he wasn't out of it. Now, you lose it and that's all there is to it. He's over talking to the cameraman, trying to tell him. No, he did not touch the floor and the official winner of the Battle Royal. Okay, all right, Billy. He just didn't. You're the, if you'd have been the winner, he'd have wrestled you, but you didn't win it. said that Bill uh, was even-tempered. Okay, we got to get on with our action, Bill. You didn't win it. I'm sorry. He didn't touch the floor. He is the official winner of the Battle Royal, and he will wrestle Jerry Lawler for the CWA title. We're going to take time out. We'll be back in a moment. <laughs> So, yeah, this, so this is done to set up Lawler and Jarrett on television for the title. And that's a pretty big deal there. Lawler against Jeff in a singles match. Wait, is that the whole term? Is there more I mean, that's there? the thing. No, there's more coming. Okay. Oh, wait, I see. So, so later well, in the show. We should, we should give the context real quick. They had done, after it just being bullshit round robin for months. Well, no, no, I'm confusing that with Renegade's Rampage, sorry. 
They yeah, did this the Lord is of the, the Ring tournament. Lord of the Rings, yes. For the championship ring. And it came down to Jeff, Scott Hall, Lawler, and Dundee. All baby faces. And you read the observers for weeks. It's like, clearly someone's going to turn. No one turned. Clearly someone's going to turn. No one turned. For a month until this happens. Yeah. And they probably weren't going to do a turn until Dundee's like, I'm going to work. You know, for Fuller. Be, and it's be his, baby face be his, can be face his each other. They can feud or they can hate each other without turning. Yeah. So he's going to go, he's going to work for, and he used the booker for Ron. Yes. He's, he's the Ron's, booker for the whole run, right? Yeah. He's Ron's booker. Yes. Bring so, be with him. Yeah. Well, that's the first time that Jamie's really a thing is, uh, yeah. is there. So anyway, later in the show, we get our, uh, Lawler Jared deal. So, um, Lawler for the title at the rip bump. Dundee came back, hit Jarrett with a chair to hit Lawler with a chair. Pretty well thrashed both of them. Well, let's see how bad he thrashed them, shall we? Jared gave it back to it. Right at it. One more problem in the air. At the same time, Lawler caught him. Jeff. I don't remember ever seeing this set of Lawler gear before. Black with gray it, trim. He wore it in that era. Okay. He wore it in Dallas. On him, and they both went up at the same time and hit that mat hard. You know, Davey, I've watched the face of wrestling fans at matches, and they'll go by the ring. Jeff Garrett up on the rope, coming right off and piles in the Lawler. And to the referee, Cal Holdenstein Lawler. What is Dundee doing out there? He just nailed Jeff, and he's got Look. something around his chest. He's Look got like a chain or something like that. And Lawler is coming to his knees. The referee's still on his back. Lawler covers Jeff. The last move that Lawler saw was the drop kick. And he covers Jeff Jarrett. Jerry Calhoun. Dundee now brought out by the referee. 
still got the chain. Is he still? Yeah, see it under his shirt there. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah, it's around his head. Now, look out. And John Dave howled. Jeff Jarrett with a chain. Hey, come on, Billy. Now, that kind of attitude is not necessary. Yeah, but what kind of a fair fight is that when you come in there? Him. He's like, he's not got it, is he? And then he did. I gotta see. Let's see that again. His hands up, but barely. And it doesn't seem like it matters anyway with the sound it makes. He caught Lawler in the elbow. <laughs> Which is why it made that sound. Sure didn't feel good. But it still appeared to legitimately knock Lawler over. It did. Dundee slamming Jeff down right here on the ball. telling you one thing to have a desire to have a title uh, even the ring but to pull that kind of a stuff they're trying to get Dundee back come on Billy I don't want no boy for a partner. I want a man like me. Yeah. 
take a punch. Right. He gets up no, a chair and starts swinging at him with a chair. Dundee. such a temper he is he just and the son of a gun when he gets his mind set on something he'll do it hey come on bill come just on, get bill. on out of here let's go i'll tell you on. what we'll do we'll just take a break and get on out of here when <laughs> dinner when Dun when Dundee turns heel, he turns heel. That's for sure. What a hot studio crowd. <laughs> well, Dundee uh, Dundee was a guy who knew if he's a heel or face. Even especially when he's a heel, the fa his fans are behind him. Yeah. No matter what. Also, he's a heel, so we should call him by his proper name now, Dundee. Dundee. Yeah. Well, that's how you know he's heel. Yeah. All right, Evansville on the third. We saw Gary Young over Ron Bruce, Terry Adonis over Ken Wayne, Max Payne over Don Bruce, Manny and Jeff over uh, Jimmy Jeff Funk and Gary Young. And then in your main event for the AWA World Tag Titles, Bill and Dan Jerry Lawler beat the Midnight Rockers. Morning, Sean, by disqualification. Who got Lawler to work Evansville? <laughs> Lawler will work Evansville a decent amount in this era. We even got some Arkansas results. 200 at Blyful. February the 5th. So uh, Jeff pinned Don Bass, one star. Max Payne over Ricky Nelson, star and a half. Dundee over Gary Young, two stars. Dundee and Nelson over Payne and Young by DQ, two and a half stars. And Manny and Jeff over Don and Jimmy Jack Font, star and a half. And then Jonesboro, Arkansas on the 6th, front 250. Saw Billy Travis over Don Bass, one star. Kim Wayne over Zebra Warrior, number one, star and a half. Tim Hall, a protege of Jerry Bryant, making his pro debut. And Jerry Bryant beat rookie Pat Patera and Don <sighs> Bass. Then Kim Wayne and Billy Travis over Zebra Warriors. And the main event was a barbed wire match where Jerry Lola beat Max Payne by DQ, three stars. Ratings by Brian Trammell. Huh. Pat so, Patera. Pat Patera. Any relation to the more famous Dave Patera? <laughs> Pat Patera's even better than Dave. I'm sorry. Well, you got the alliteration, like Don DiBiase. Yes. All right, world-class championship wrestling. Uh, Ken Mantel's hoping to put together a Ric Flair vs. Caravine Eric match for May. Doing so would, of course, spell the end of the world-class belt as a supposed world title. Come on, Dave. You got to... Keep up with your own jokes. Isn't that the worth last world title? <laughs> well, it's not as worth last anymore. This is our uh, early eighty world class. They're getting back together, getting it back together again, Bix. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, <laughs> but well, yeah, tell Jeff. Go ahead. Everyone wants to book a flyer match all of a sudden. Yeah, well, they want to get back get back in good graces. Well, why does everyone think they can do it all of a sudden? I don't know. I'm sure Crockett would have loved to have that buddy. I mean, who in North America has had an outdate on Flair since since the uh, the Samu match? Anyone? It's just been Crockett in all Japan, hasn't it? 
does Florida count? I don't know. Because he I does really do don't... Florida stuff before they before they go into Florida. But I think it's no, I think well, maybe not. I don't know. But anyway. Cherry Gordon actually had knee surgery about two weeks back on both knees, but it's almost back. Remember that story we did on the uh eighty seven show? About how he was putting it off. We just did, you know, the uh, uh, la- a, uh, a few weeks ago. It took a year, but he got a surgery. He needed it. Bad. And it turned out to be a minor surgery. It it did. Or I guess he did get scoped and was okay. Remember we talked about Dr. Death earlier, talking to the Japanese press? Well, he told me he was coming to work a world class. Although it hasn't been announced here as of yet, Doc said he would wrestle for world class as UWF champion and would defend the title against Savon Eriks. Well... If Ken was able to bring over the UWF training center. You know what? That would have been a very interesting deal. It, it would have been interesting to see how that would have went over because, of course, UWF was so insurance with Dallas. I mean, this would have been an interesting situation. And as long as the wrestling school existed, it never stopped being called the UWF training center, right? No, no. They just I wonder, let him use the name the whole time. Well, I wonder, Dick Crockett, by the UWF trademark. That's a good question. Well, we know they didn't buy the video library. Nope. So what assets did they actually buy? What IP did they buy? If any, I mean, wouldn't it be best to assume then, since they didn't buy the video library, that they did not buy any IP? I'm guessing, yeah. Hmm. So Doc coming in as UWF champion, feuding with the Von Erics would have been a cool little deal. Didn't happen, though, because he goes back to JCB. What do you think of the theory, by the way, that some of the stuff that happens in World Class in 88, I know a lot of it is haze, but still, or at least late 87 or early 88, is stuff maybe that Mantell had planned for UWF. Yeah. Like, like the Adams-Taylor stuff, especially. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can believe that. No doubt, Kim Mantell sure has been up an impressive roster of talent. Oh, the 88 World Class is night and day from 87. I mean, just a total 180. Total 180. Much better talent. Much better booking. Again, that's mostly Hayes. And Mantell disappears before long. It's Hayes and Atbar. Yes. Yeah. Because Mantell Mantell disappears around the same time that Alex Simpson disappears, right? And Gary Hart leaves. Well, they allegedly they left in part because of the role they may have played in uh, missing link attacking Gary. Yeah. Right before he decided to quit. Yeah. Which of course uh, led to Link getting cut up by Gary Streeter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which he uh, flushed down the toilet apparently. Um, and it, it, he attacked him on his blind side too. Uncle Gary didn't play around, Bix. No. <laughs> also, it was not a secret in wrestling that he carried a straight razor. Uncle Gary was, uh, he was legit. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's go to Kansas City. Such State's title was held up after February 3rd match between Dave Peterson and Cuban Assassin. Crowds here are lower than before. Oh, actually, well, I just realized, just point something out. Since Gary Hart is still technically the booker of record, um, according to his book, Grain of Salt, I know, uh, because he did not want to do it himself, he had his two young children book Wild West TV. <laughs> well, I mean, Wild West 
was taped at the Sportatorium. Well, a lot of time it was the same, on, just from a different camera angle. Yeah. No, they had separate tapings. Oh, they did. Was it the same night? Or? They, no, they alternated Friday nights. Because it used to be a day, Friday night was TV house, TV house. Then it became TV, 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 TV. But it was Wild West TV on the other other night. So how long? And they, they would tape original. Shows? And they would tape it. And they would tape it from a different angle to make you think it wasn't. <laughs> I guess to try, I guess making people think they were in the sportatorium, but that's pretty it's hard to do. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. So what how they were long doing. did they do original shows for? Uh, a few months. Because and then they also had the mesquite taping as well. Yeah. For Wild West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it wasn't long. It ends up turning into a mix of world class recaps and championship sports stuff. And the Wild West wrestling name and theme would last deep in the 89 so and it gets replaced by a uswa main event yeah all right uh february 4th kansas city drew less than 150 fans as ken tense beat prince tapu david power beat curtis hughes mike george beat larry power bulldog bob brown went to a draw with rick patterson then Rip Patterson, Mike George, Curtis Hughes, and Tapu won an eight-man limit tag over the Power Twins, Ken Timms, and Bulldog Bob Brown. Masahiro Chono kept TV title painting Vinny Valentino, who somehow left to a tour in New Japan starting a few weeks. A Cuban assassin, Alan Acevedo, with no contest with Steve Ray in a boxing match. And DJ Peterson beat Mr. Kareem Mohammed. And in February... Uh... Cuban is presumably here because of his issues with bad news in Calgary, right? Because doesn't he return to Calgary not long after this because of bad news leaving? Yes. February 5th of St. Joe, Missouri, drew 442 as Larry Power BTC Carter, Ken Timms over Curtis Hughes, Chono managed by Russell Sapp Esquire, then Vinny Valentino. David Power was awarded a win over DJ Patterson. However, the twins switched and the wrong guy no, got no, pinned. No, Patterson, because it's not DJ Peterson. You said DJ Patterson. It's not DJ Peterson. What? Whatever. And uh, Mike George over Kareem Muhammad in a real bad match. And a tag team boxing match saw DJ Peterson and Steve Ray be Bulldog Bob Brown and the Cuban Assassin. Tag team boxing match. Well, well, DJ Peterson worked as David the Hitman Patterson in uh, Texas All-Star. That's right. Um, I know this territory was never a big draw. I never understood why Geigel kept it going for so long after the bottom. And this is... And this is not even Central States anymore. This is the it's uh, WWA Association. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Or uh, appa- apparently Mike George called it. I forget where I heard this originally. He would tell people he was the worst wrestling association world heavyweight champion. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's, uh, you're you're drawing uh, less than 150 people to Memorial Hall, yeah. and it gets worse as the year goes on. And you're trying to run a territory. Yeah. Don't they get down to well under 100 when Tommy Gilbert's booking? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not good. Wait, and the, and this promotion's still running well into 89. Somehow. In the no- 90. Oh, it's that late? Mm-hmm. As a full-time office? Uh, I mean, I would, they mainly just ran Kansas City, as far as I know, but yeah. So after a certain point, they're only running Memorial Hall. Pretty much, yeah. As, like, an indie. But at this point, they're still trying to run a circuit. Yeah. But you see, it's mainly green guys trying to get a break in the Power Twins. 
uh, locals in uh, Steve Ray and whatnot. Uh, Curtis Hughes. Vinny Valentino, I guess, at homesteaded, right? Yeah, but he's going to bounce around. You know, he'll go to Calgary uh, late in the, in the year. He does need your fan tours, but yeah. T.C. Carter, was was he local or was he green? Guy he was local. Okay, he, yeah. he was local. So really, it is mostly locals with some others mixed in. Chodo on excursion. Couple green guys, and that's about it. I mean, look, I mean, they're doing like, they're doing like a spot show level crew. I mean, look at what that Kansas shitty, Kansas shitty. Well, yeah, lineup was. I mean, look at how few people are there. I mean, on the card, not just in the arena. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. I'm tired of talking about this. Oh yes, let's go to the promotion. Yes. The final card of the Minneapolis Auditorium took place on February the fourth before a disappointing crowd of seventeen hundred fans for Nostalgia Night. Well, part of the problem was that Titan decided to one-up the AWA once again with a similar gimmick in the Twin Cities for next week called Mad Dog Vashad Night, as they're doing around the Midwest, and bringing in their own version of old-timers like the Crusher, Nip Botwinkle, and Black Chad Lanza, which has slightly more name value among those fans who can't remember football with no face masks and leather helmets. Anyway, Vern trotted out Red Bastine, Burt Smith, better known as the Big K, Stan Kowalski, Carl Eller, who never wrestled, it was a member of the famous Minnesota Vikings Purple People Eaters front for the early 70s. Butch Levy, Leo Domolini, Harbord Haggerty, Dick the Bruiser, who they actually put into the ring against Sheikha Nano Casey, Billy Robinson, and the biggest cheer for anyone probably was for perennial jobber, Kenny DeSodbuster J. Oh, yes, Vern and Stanley Blackburn were there as well. Results for the show saw Ricky Rice and Andy Sharkey student who worked as a member of the Top Guns tag team for Personal America gain a win over J.T. Thomas. Then Ray, the Crippler Stevens subbing for Billy Jack Strong. Yes, Steve DeSalvo and his uh, Native American gimmick. Let Sold Out Houston off beat on him for an entire match for Ray pinning them using the ropes. Billy Robinson went to a 20-minute draw with Tom Zink. While Medellin Baron Von Rasky beat the Nasty Boys, while Harbord Haggerty, who appeared a lot more live as a referee in comparison to his t- two stationary wrestlers, Bruiser and, and Sheik Adana Casey, went up DQ and the Sheik in three minutes, went used enough to the run in. All these matches were varying degrees of terrible. Robinson and Zink had some mission overtones, being that it makes a little promotional sense, since Zink's the only viable contender they've got for Kurt Henning, and he was held to a draw by a 50 year old retired wrestler. And Dave knows Billy was a legend his day. Ashley Robinson controlled the entire match, which was an ultra-slow motion, and Zink had no opportunity to do anything to get himself over. Last two matches were better. With the Midnight Rockers retaining their tag titles being Kevin Kelly, Mr. Magnificent Kevin Kelly, and Mr. Go. Steve Osanowski and his ninja get up, subbing for the departed Nick Kaneski in a 20-minute match, which was decent. And the finale saw Greg Gagne pin Kurt Henning in a steel cage match, which was never really advertised as being for the title or non-title match. Both guys juice. They went 14 minutes with Leo Domolini as the ref. Finished saw Kurt shove Leo, then 60-year-old Leo, which is actually a few years older than Bruiser, Sheik Adnan and Ray Stevens, got down in the three-point stance and gave Kurt a football tackle. Hey, at least Leo looked better than Andre. And Greg got the pin. So now we've got our world champion doing a job for a 60-year-old man. Since day, but majority of readers don't know who Leo was. He was an All-American football player at the University of Minnesota in late. Played alongside Vern, and he later wrestled pro during the pro wrestling offseason. He's an NFL Hall of Fame in the 1950s before retiring in ni- around 1962 or so. 
real quick, um, just because you broke up for a split second, you said late 40s. Yeah, late 40s. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, okay, so the, what venue is the Minneapolis Auditorium? That's the old building. And it gets smaller and cheaper, so that's where they ran once they stopped running at the uh, St. Paul Civic Center? It was their building for a long time, yeah. Before the Civic Center opened, too, yeah. Yeah. So... What is actually the most modern building in the market? Is it the Saint the Met Center? Center. Or is it the Met? It's the Met Center in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, in Bloomington. No return date was announced, nor is a ven- new venue for the Twin Cities live matches ironed out. And ends up eventually being Mayo Civic Center in Rochester, Minnesota. Yes, yes. But that's for in '89. '88, '88, they they do shows. <sighs> I think they, they do St. Paul Civic Center maybe once or twice. I think they do, yes. I mean, they run St. Paul Civic Center on and off into 90, because isn't uh, Super Clash 4 at St. Paul? Yeah. Yeah. Stanley Blackburn was on TV explaining that a cage match can't be a title match. So Kurt's still the champion. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's their rules. Understood. How did a local Amarillo businessman become the AWA figurehead president? I don't know. I always thought that was strange. They're really putting heat on Blackburn regarding that match. They've been billing about apparently as a title match. Dave said, and Greg won it, presented with the title. But Blackburn refused to allow the title change, saying because the match in the cage is not title match. At least they give them something to talk about for a month when they don't run any shows. <laughs> Dave guesses in reality, Nick Kaniski may have quit rather than been fired, as, although in most of these cases, uses a combination of both. Kaniski was unhappy at his last weekly paycheck. $170. And we're back home to Canada. And by the way, if you're wondering why Kurt Hennig is working here, given all this, it's because they are trying desperately to keep him and paying him a fairly sizable guarantee, right? I forget exactly and- what. And the other, like the younger talents, getting shorted because of that. Yes, like Nick Kaniski. Yeah, because yeah, it was, I forget what it, it. It's in the Observer when he's work when they basically send him to work for Memphis full time in the spring. But it's over a thousand. It was, if I remember, it was a good bit over a thousand a week. Man, I don't think it was two thousand. But it's enough that with the light schedule, it makes sense. Yeah. But anyway, Norton Barbarian's no longer working here as well, even though he's over in a big way in the Twin Cities due to his car commercials. Vern never wanted to push him because he knew the relations would never last. Well, Vern probably made the right decision there. Well, yeah, he hated Brody, and that's Brody's guy. But Nord, Nord's a flaky dude. He was a very flaky dude. And eventually because back. He, he was a Brody protege. Yeah. Well, yeah. Adrian Donald's way back to March at the earliest. The bout where he broke his ankle was at TV taping against Ricky Rice, in case you're looking for it. I forgot he got hurt here. That's, that's what made him lose. That's one of the main things that made him lose weight. Oh, that he felt like he was not able to have good body control or whatever, and that caused the injury? Or... Yeah, basically. No word one way or the other on Paulie Dangerously, other than he hasn't been around of late. But last word had it's negotiations between himself and the guy who hasn't been broken off either, although the Midnight Express won't be coming back. They do. Yeah, they all do. Chopper Godetto's now working in the catering business in Southern California, so apparently he's retired from wrestling. 
Well, not necessarily, but yeah, I mean, Chavo is definitely inactive. He just comes back so often. Yeah, he's not yeah, really yeah. A, anything resembling a full-time wrestler again until he's working Mexico City regularly at 90, right? Yeah, yeah. Alexis Smirnoff is looking to run a more independence in Northern California in the upcoming months and talking with Abdul the Butcher about coming in. His first show is February 13th in Modesto. He's got a few hundred tickets sold already. So there's that. A few hundred tickets for- advance for an indie show in 1988 is pretty impressive. Yeah. And we got Portland. February 6th of Portland saw Brian Adams beat the Avalanche. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. PN News by DQ. When Abadouba Dabian interfered and whipped Brian Adams with a belt. Mike Miller beat C.W. Bergstrom. Revolver beat Art Barr. Southern Rocker, Scott Peterson, Steve Dahl beat Avalanche and Abadouba Dabian. And the finale was a penalty boss match with the grappler, Joey Jackson, and the Avalanche. Women against uh, Coco Samoa, the Assassin, Dave Sierra, and Billy Two Eagles. Rolampico R- R- Leon doing his uh, Native American gimmick here. I don't think I realized Billy Two Eagles was Rolampico Leon. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. the original Santo Negro. That's right, yes. That guy was a hell of a worker. Yes, he was. If He he was just too small for that era to get much of a run anywhere. Yeah. Um, I like how Dave has Abuda Dean's name as D- Dean, like it's Abuda Dean. <laughs> yes. As his last name. Well, no, it's Abuda Dean, one word. Yeah. Or Abaduba Davian, if you're a man. Don Owens' Oregon group returned to Seattle area on January 31st with a show in Tonwater, Washington, which drew only 40 fans. That's not good. No, and that's why they basically let Washington alone. How long have they been out of Seattle at this point? Um, uh, quite a while. I mean, it wasn't going all the way back to when Dutch Savage left, is it? They ran Seattle after he left for uh, at least 85 and 86. Okay, so they've only been gone a couple of years yeah. All right, let's close that with Jim Crow Promotions. There's a slow week here. The biggest story is that Ted Turner is now in bed with these guys and is trying to help them get their pay-per-view back on track. As we mentioned here before, JCP announced four pay-per-view events originally for this year. Bunkhouse Stampede, the Croc Cup, Great American Bash, Starcade. Mr. Man, now the undisputed king of wrestling, and especially wrestling on pay-per-view, they counter-announced his own show for Thanksgiving, plus a summer show and WrestleMania 4 on pay-per-view. And with a 60 before and 21 day after exclusivity clause, basically canceled out any hope JCP had of getting on with the majority of systems in order to make the potential big pay-per-view bucks. As we noted, the future of this business on major league level is definitely not in the house shows, but in pay-per-view and outside merchandising. And when a man blocking Croc from pay review, then no matter what else may happen or how much Croc can turn things around, he won't be able to compete on a major league basis. Anyway, Turner's trying to put his muscle in and help Croc get an early July bash, probably, probably more games of pay review. At this point, plans for Crockett Cup and Starcade pay review have already been canned. Uh, interesting. After the bash, they don't plan for another pay review until January '89 with the Buckhouse Stampede final. I guess the big difference between these guys and McMahon is that at least McMahon learns from his mistakes. Well, they get Crockett Cup and Starcade on pay-per-view. No, they don't. Crockett Cup's not on pay-per-view. That's right. You're right. You're right. But Starcade. Starcade an idiot. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing he says no Starcade because the assumption is it's still going to be on Thanksgiving. Yes. That it's not about anything other than that. 
But it's less than 60 days after. Or excuse me. No, it's le- 21 days. That's right. It's 60 before, 21 after. That's right. Right. So that's why they end up picking Christmas week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is them getting a lot more into bed with Turner Broadcasting because this is Turner Home Entertainment being the distributor of the pay-per-views. Yeah. Which doesn't go away after the purchase and is the beginning of all the Turner self-dealing with WCW and the mm-hmm. weird accounting. Yeah. Because this never stops, really. Nope. Yeah. You know? And it's again, it's like, I, I'm i not convinced that WCW may have been a lot closer to profitable in the lean years than we thought in real terms. You know, like there's now that we know there was so much weird accounting, but, you know, this was needed at this time. If they were going to get on pay-per-view, they had to do this. Yeah. They, they tried on their own. Vince completely fucked them over, you know, fucked over cable company, you know, and cable companies that had agreed to carry Starcade fucked them over. Yeah. That's the part we don't always talk about. A lot of those cable companies were already committed to Starcade when Vince announced Survivor Series. It was the threat that anyone who had Starcade would not get WrestleMania was what led to all but five systems dumping Starcade. Hey, that's the way wars go, man. And remember, too, like initially, and it stayed like this, Crockett moved the show to the afternoon with the idea being, okay, you know, we, that way they're not head to head. And the, and then the cable companies loved it because they could do a package deal. But Vince was not happy and made his ultimatum and nobody lost out on Mania anyway. You know, the, the five that carried Sarkade. So, yeah. And then the rest is history, I guess. And, it also just brings them closer to Turner. Now they're the TV partner, the home video distributor, and the pay-per-view distributor. That would be beneficial in the end. Yes. And so, of course, they're the obvious buyer uh, once the problems start mounting in a few months. Yeah. So, anyway, let's continue on here. So I go to the tab. All right. So as a week of January 17th, the JCP Syndicate Network remained with a 6.5 national rating in the number 12 spot, while Titans at number three with a 10.6. So they're still ranked at this point, but that's not for long. If I yeah. remember right, it's later in 88, if I remember right, that they're not allowed to be ranked anymore. But yeah. the shows like they had been they had been I don't know if it was neck and neck. They had been close, though. Um. And then it was Dusty changing the format of the TV in late 87. You know, the short squashes, long interviews. that re- It just killed the syndicated ratings. Brown Armstrong and Tim Horner appeared right for a push with a few of those sheep herders taking the place of Rock and Roll Express. Dave thinks one of them is going to also take Ricky Morton's place to get a haircut courtesy of the sheep herders. Well, that doesn't happen. The haircut part. I mean, they do get programmed with the sheep herders again. And uh, that's a house show feud. And they, they did some stuff on TV, but it wasn't anything big time for them, you know, push-wise. So. When does Horner leave? Oh, that's later. Later 88. Am I imagining this? Or has Sting totally surpassed Lex Luger and Barry Windham as a top young babyface? 
Dave asks, I was afraid Luger would lose his steam like Nikita Koloff did, but believe me, in my wildest dreams, I didn't think he'd lose by early February. They said, I figured at worst he'd be a hot headliner at least through the early summer before slipping into the Nikita level, nothing stratosphere. Luger's already one of the boys and stuck in a tag team feed with Barry Wyndham against Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. I mean, I think as we're getting a little harsh on, Lu- yeah, on how Luger's well, being. Well, as we get into, I mean, Sting's now being stationed with Flair. So, of course, he's going to be more high profile. But Luger and Wyndham are feuding with Arn Tully, so, I mean, that's your big tag feud. And it's being positioned at a level above a lot of tag feuds. Would, and Luger I mean, and Wyndham are extremely hot. Yeah, Lauren, this is a promotion where that's could be a good position anyway, but it's posi- that tag title feud is positioned as a very big deal. And you're right, and, and they the, were very hot yeah. as a team. Yes. Um, now, that said, like the plan was not for Sting to be the top babyface, though. It was just for him to be Flair's challenger for a little while. But that makes you the top babyface. But it, it, he was supposed to be more of a stopgap challenger. Like when they did the clash, the plan was not necessarily for Flair to make him to the degree he did. The thing was, the the Flair special, do you know, going to the draw with the hot young baby face, had never been done on national TV before. No. So of course Sting got hot off of it. Like you really and think Sting about was it. Sting. And Sting was Sting, but you get what I'm saying, like. It's actually kind of amazing that they didn't foresee that. Yeah. And they do kind of sidetrack him for a while, too. Like, he's a, you know, he, he is a mid-card guy after that for quite a while. But it it really gets him going long term. Um, and that hasn't even happened yet. And we have more on Sting in a bit because of the whole Ric Flair night thing. Because that's his first big, like, angle to get him a singles push. Uh, also, by the way... Uh, that photo you posted from one of the Japanese magazines of Flair, yeah. Luger, and Sting together in this era, which, heck of a photo to take in this era, too. Holy steroids on Sting. This is the biggest he ever was after <laughs> uh, Blade Runners. Oh, yeah. Like, he looks gigantic there. Yeah. Luger's also in the best shape of his life there, too. Yeah. But Sting is huge here. There. Yeah. All right, Ole Anderson has several dates booked in the Carolinas besides this weekend the Omni, so he's back on at least a semi-regular basis. Probably to fill the slot left vacant by Nikita Koloff, who will be gone after the end of this coming weekend. Koloff will be on a six-week to two-month sabbatical. Okay, Ole, I does he even work TV? Uh, doesn't work TV, no. And with Nikita, this is when Mandy first gets sick, I presume? Uh, yeah. And he's growing his hair out. There's that, too. Well, those things kind of happened at the same time, didn't they? Yeah. But Landell tried to... Well, plus he gets off the gas, too, right? Yeah. But Landell tried to call in for work, but they wouldn't give him the time of day. Landell didn't even last for his entire Japan tour before pulling the disappearing act after just two weeks. Last word Dave has on him is he's starting back with Continental in early March. Well, I mean, he let them them, uh, high and dry in 86 with Dundee and then goes to Watts worst couple TVs for Watts and does the same for him but he had a lot of problems a lot of problems 
Which is so sad because he was so amazing. Yeah. What could have been? The divorce decrees for Michael Hayes and Rock and Roll Express Dr. Steve Williams are final, with apparently no chance for reconciliation. They all come back. Rock and Roll's claiming they've got a June start date with Titan. What we'll to wait and see on that one. And be trying to find any independent work they can until that time. Lots of people are calling the JCP offices about the rock and rolls and the company line for now is they aren't gone. They're just renegotiating. Hayes appears to have the world class, although he has made co- he's made contact with Titan. As are two or three other key personnel still at JCP, at least two of which are talking like they won't be here much longer. Williams still been going to work for Japan, although he should try and hook on world class for a spot duty. Just stay in shape because even though Doc is a stud athlete, laying off for three months and going to Japan doesn't seem wise because the conditioning needed to make it big in Japan. Well, he didn't yeah. have any problems with that, but Dave, right. So, with the rock and rolls, you kind of makes you wonder were they, I mean, are they telling the truth or were they told that or what do you think? I don't know. On one hand, Sean and Marty aren't there yet. No. But John and Marty are much bigger than Ricky, especially, and, and, and overall bigger frame guys than Robert, and not as much. Um, so Sean and Marty always would have been a better fit there. But I mean, but nothing like that happens. Now, when does Ricky return to Crockett? Or do uh, they both the, return at first? They both return to that Miami Clash. And when's that? That's when... June, when you're supposed to go on WF, and then Robert's gone within weeks. No, he's gone uh, during the Grand American Bash tour. So that's like, weeks. He's for, if they're there in June, that, two that's months. weeks. Two months. Two months. Okay. Do you, I mean, do you buy this was any kind of real thing? I don't know. I have Michael Hayes talking to WF at the time. I buy that, but he—they're uh, saying they have a June start date, but also. It, would they really have a start date four months out? I don't think so. Did, did WWF do business like that at all? In this not at that era, no. Nah. no. Like, yeah, this is not they're coming in for their run with Bruno. Like, so that seems, yeah. seems... Yeah, but why are they telling people this? I to, guess maybe, to, maybe... To get Crockett to offer them money that they don't have? Or I, maybe, I don't know. Actually, Actually wait a second. The... I just realized something. So, are... Are the rock and rolls not on a guaranteed contract when they leave? I doubt it. Well, wait, I just realized it's the balloon payments. They're not getting paid a guarantee regardless. So if they don't feel like they can get by on the payoffs, that's still a problem even with the guaranteed contract. Yeah. Ash of all the bad news, Dave's got to mention he thinks the booking is getting on the right track. The Road Warrior angle was great. And Dave truly believes he'll get over in a good way at the boss office. Not talking sellouts everywhere, but should deliver some good houses. Dave could be wrong about this. If he is, he'll be told about it. But to Dave, as someone who has a best friend who is a 500-pound bench presser, then the Greenboro, Greensboro weights were bogus as well. It appeared to Dave that they were doing 472 easily, even for guys who can legitimately bench press in the 550 range. But the number of plates appeared to be 365 and 600 to be 505. Road Wars be working with Warlord and Barbarian ladder matches, a wooden ladder with $50,000 on top of the ladder. Whoever came up with the idea of saying Animal broke the orbital bone in his eye came up with a good one. A technical term makes it sound more, so much more legit. He did break his orbital bone! 
Yeah. I guess we'll go ahead and play that now. That's the, that's the first thing that's just brought up. So let's uh, play the clips here. We have two clips about this. I forget. Does he actually suffer the injury in the angle, or did they use the angle to cover for it? No, it happened in the angle. Way fell on his face. That's right. Because, oh, and... And there's also a really close call where it also like almost like another way it almost hits him too, right? Yeah, and this is my favorite uh, animal era look here. Oh, the yellow butterfly. Well, just this hair, the hair face, the the hair paint era of this era is great. For oh, where it's the less pronounced mohawk. Yeah, in '88. Yeah. Also, this is hawk with the uh, the. What's well, hawk uh, being hawk? No, but I mean, I'm trying to figure out how you describe this face paint compared to the later face paint, to the more iconic face paint with the two sides. This is the the black with the yellow stripe. Yes. Weeks of bench press contest between the Road Warriors and the wager, of course, on the other side with Paul Jones and his man, fifty thousand dollars. Wait, was this on Worldwide or Pro? I was right there at ringside when it happened. It was. It was on. Well, it was long away. Pro, about I a long think. Time. The so, Greensboro Coliseum. So they just shot this in Ric Flair night at the same taping? No. So it would have been. Uh, it, it's one of them. I don't know. It's one of them. I can't tell. But they weren't the, the same, same taping. N- no, because okay. this is in Greensboro. And where Flair night, Ric Flair night was in uh, Raleigh. Oh, okay. It was a capacity crowd was there to see the situation. But what happened was a, a, a very shocking situation indeed. Let's join now the bench press contest uh, the, in progress, and then we're going to come back with a few more comments. Okay. 470 pounds to the Road Warriors. 475. 475. I hope they discounted the ringside seats on that side. Okay, Because they left a lot of space for the bench press contest. That was always like that, Vix. Oh, it was? Oh, yeah. Okay. I never noticed. Oh, yeah. Even Starcade? Yes. Okay, come on, Animal. Big one. How much weight did Tony say that is, allegedly? Yeah. 475. I don't think that's what Paul Jones, that's 475 to you. It doesn't look very easy to me. Looked like he barely got it. Looked like he was straining. That's 475. Okay. All right. Hey, Bob Marion. Well, you can do it. Can There's uh, Bob Marion. Yeah. All, right. All, right. All, right. All right. All right. All right. Give him a good spot. Give him a good spot. Come on. Come on. No paint on Warlord. Five hundred pounds. Five hundred pounds. Five hundred pounds. The clock's arms. Hey, this is your clock. My barrel looks tired. Hey, so you know that going six hundred? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go You can tell that we want to go to six hundred pounds right now. We don't want to mess around. Yes, for 500 pounds. 
500 pounds? Yeah, 500 pounds. Go Small drone. I've been a gambler all my life, and if anything that I've ever learned is that desperate money never wins. You're a desperate man, Paul Jones. It's going to 600 pounds, and quit wasting all these people's time. This is my bench press contest, and that's with my money in that bag over there. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm running this, and I want 500 pounds. And the best thing for you to do is go over there and pray for your guys. By the way, Hawk is wearing sweatpants. Animal appears to be wearing something that might be early Zubaz. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Zubaz proper is a thing yet, right? No. A 6'10", he said. So was the whole bench press contest just animal immortal? No, barbarian. I mean, animal and barbarian, too. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so, so that's what I'm asking. Hawk and... Hawk and Ward and Jesus. Okay, so... So, yeah, Koloff throws the chalk in their eyes. So we should be keeping our eye on it, right? Looks like it's happened yet. The animal's already selling like he's dead. Everyone's being more drawn out. Okay, now I'm curious to see it back, to see if we can spot where animal gets hurt. Oh, was he bleeding or was that just his face pain? That's blood. So big and powerful that they are invincible, but that shot right there around the ring proved that Something like that can really take a toll on them. I think at this point in time, we need to give a, a, a health report, a progress report on the animal. When when his head was rammed into the uh, the weights. Now remember, there's 600 pounds in the weights. You saw the weights go rolling away. That was from the from the impetus of his head hitting on the weights. It cracked the eye orbit around the bone structure around his eye that, that contains the eye. It cracked it. He's got some optic nerve damage, and the eye was driven back in his head a quarter of an inch. He was hospitalized in Greensboro. He's also seen uh, a specialist regarding his eye, but he has had some severe injury there from the blow after he hit the weights. And we saw what happened. The weight, 600 pounds, when his face hit them, it knocked them over. So you can imagine the impact. 
In a few more moments, we're going to come back. We're going to see some more tape uh, of this situation, and we're going to talk to the people involved and really responsible, Paul Jones. But right now, let's take this time out. Okay, I know we're going to see the follow-up from the angle. I am curious to just, I want to go back and see. Well, Ross just told you what happened. No, but I want to see what it looks like if he's, so are, is your so is the implication? Ross just told you what happened. No, but I'm saying is that shoot where he gets hurt? Yes. Okay, it's we're getting rammed into the weight. All right, I think he said a weight fell on him. That's why. Okay, so we get the chalk. I'll leave. I'll leave the sound off. Well, have a look at. It. Okay, so there's the chalk. Animal sits up. He's selling. We get the boot from Bar. Barbarian to animal. Okay, we don't get we don't really see him get run into the weights on camera. Or do we? You're not oh, there, there yet. Oh, there it is. Okay. And there it goes. And it was his I mean, left it, eye, right? Just like just like Ross said. Isn't there a plate that starts rolling and nearly hits him too? We just saw what we saw. Okay. I mean, yeah, he he went into that thing hard, so if he didn't get his hand up enough, then That'll do it. Well, at least they tried to make some money off of it. But... Alright, so now we'll go to Hawk and Ellering, and they're not happy about this, as uh, you would guess. Well, yeah. Oh, God, I, I, I scrolled down by mistake and I saw a whopper, but we'll get to that when we get to it in a minute. Paul Ellering and the Hawk of the Road Wars. It doesn't feel natural. Not to say Hawk and Animal. You know, David Crockett, in retrospect, I should have realized what we were dealing with. Not who, but what we were dealing with, and taking the appropriate steps for that, I blame myself. Now, it's obvious to everybody that was there that when the bar was loaded up to 600 pounds, an animal was ready to bench press it. Paul Jones had no confidence in his men whatsoever to do that weight, and they attacked us. It's obvious. Now, Animal's had surgery. He had a fractured orbital rim of the eye. And if desire meant anything at all, he would be here right now. So remember this, Paul Jones, he can't be here now. But on the 13th in Philadelphia, I give you my personal guarantee, he will be there. And we will defend our six-man titles with Dusty Rhodes, our partner. And as for your ladder matches, $50,000 is a lot of money. We know that. But it's not worth the price of a man's eyesight. So in the past, Paul Jones, we've played the game according to your rules. Now we're going to change the rules. And the new game is called revenge. Now I think Al Hawk has something to scream about. Warlord Barbarian! When you hurt my partner, you hurt me. He's a piece of me, and I'm a piece of him. And he's been there whenever I needed him. And now I'm going to be there when he needs me. The biggest damn mistake you ever made in your life was not just attacking us from behind in Greensboro, when the chips were down for you because we were going to press 600 pounds and you can't 
the biggest mistake you made is you didn't finish us off. You didn't kill us. You should have killed us. Because when you deal with the roadways and you don't finish the job, that means you leave an opening for us to finish it. Oh, God only knows how much hate I have in this heart of mine. And God only knows the pain you have to go through because of it. The biggest mistake anybody can ever make is messing with us and not finishing the job. And I got the bad feelings. I got the real bad feelings. I got the feelings that when all this is done, that the Legion of Doom will be where when ours is be, on top. I got a feeling we're gonna do some real bad things to you. And when we're done, the things we've done will be so bad, heaven won't take us, and hell will be afraid we're gonna take over, because we still snack on danger, and we'll always die on death, and we'll be dining on you and good. I wouldn't want to be you at all. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the ring. <laughs> you know, I feel like historically now Hawk has become pretty underrated as a promo. Yeah. I feel like he used to get a lot more praised, but isn't as much anymore, and I don't really know why. Just time passing. As, and especially as, like, the screaming, jacked-up pro wrestler type. Which he doesn't do in yeah. every promo, but it still is persona. Like, he yeah. made it his own. He cuts good promos. Great promos sometimes. And he was distinct and unique. And I just, I don't feel like he gets enough credit for that anymore. He was ripped off by a lot of people, too. I mean, genuinely, like... He has one of the most memorable trademark interview styles in wrestling history, by far. Yeah. Like, he's... That's what I was saying. He's imitated. That's what I'm saying. It's like, if the top level of, like, the most, you know, like, the real, like, trademark interview style, famous, whatever, is, like, Hogan, Flair, Dusty, if Hawk's not on their level, he's at the very next tier down. Yeah. And Animal wasn't bad on promos either. No. Well, speaking of, even though Sting certainly needs work on interviews, he's got an amazing rapport with the audience and can do some amazing things in the ring. And they truly believe he's the kind of guy who in about a year, someone could actually build a promotion around. His work is good already and great in spots and his charisma beats both Luger and Wyndham by a substantial margin. Yes, this is what we talk about. I mean, this is the thing with Sting is his rapport is because he comes off as so natural. Yeah. That he's not playing a character. Yes. 100%. Is this what you were talking about when I'm about to read? Yes. Eddie Gilbert was offered a spot in the varsity club, but apparently didn't want it. Thank you, Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Professionally known as hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> that, that makes no sense on any level whatsoever. What college would he uh, represent? I don't know, because he didn't go to college. <laughs> Like, what? It's a stable of college athletes. Even if Kevin Sullivan was not 
well known for it. Kevin Sullivan even was still a former college wrestler. Yeah. You know, which they didn't always mention on commentary, but did sometimes. Well, he was, but he was a games master, so. But I don't. He's get, putting together the group. Why is Eddie feeding this? <laughs> it's Eddie. He's talking out of his ass. We say it because we know their methods, especially. But like, Paul and Eddie really are much more obvious about it than other people. Well, yes. That's the story of our show. Yes, it is. I mean, I mean, they have become they have become the story of our show. Of course, they have. It, it, and the and the way the newsletters, uh, you know, couch out to them. Yeah, and you know, look, um, lost the plot in various ways in recent years. Uh, has fallen off the face of the earth, but like Bruce Mitchell always had it pegged. You know, from his first column in the Torch in '90, like he was not afraid to call out Wade and Dave and everyone else about how their relationships with Eddie and Paul were affecting things. Yeah, but anyway. And and again, like it's just insane that in a few months, all of a sudden, a territory that gets basically no coverage in the Observer, all of a sudden, is about to get this big section. All of a sudden, mm. with Eddie Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonder why. Funny how that works. All right. Uh, there will be no more mention of UWF and whatever unification matches were once in the cards will be taking place. Yeah. All right. The Omni. Oh, I had a card quick question, here. though. So, yeah. how long do, do they keep Power Pro Wrestling around, though? Uh, two months. Okay. So, by the end of February, it's done and it's replaced by Pro? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Okay. The Omni on January 31st to 16,002 fans. And we got a partial lineup here. Might return to retain the world title, TV title, more than that later, beating Nikita Koloff. Hawk and Ellen Ring, some for Animal beat the uh, Powers of Pain in the $50,000 ladder match. Dusty retained USA Way title beating Larry Zabisco by disqualification. Ole and Lex beat Arn and Tully by disqualification. And the match that drew the house, basically. Although Ole had stuff to do with it too, Ole and Luger's a team, but Ric Flair retained the world title over Sting. Did they announce the Ole thing far in advance? Yes. Or? Oh, Ole was. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Ole made his return on New Year's Day okay. up in Lex. And see, there's three things. You got Ole and that and doing that, and him, then him with Lex here, and then him, Lex, and Dusty as a six man in February. So, how much do you attribute this to Sting, and how much do you attribute this to Ole's return? I'd say um, Sting gets a you know majority of it. Sting and Flair, but well, also Oli, the ladder match off the hot angle too. Yeah, Oli does. Oli deserves his part of it, and yeah, ladder match. I'm sure, the, but sixteen thousand fans is at this time of the army is pretty stout, especially comparing what they did two nights later in Miami. Well, yeah, I mean, but nineteen hundred fans. Correct. Yeah, that's nineteen hundred fans. Yeah, that's not good. Um... With Dusty and Lex as a tag team main event in Florida, beating Flair and Tully. And the Hawk and Ella Ring beating Ivan Cole from the Warlord. And the best match on the card, Nikita over Rotunda by DQ. Barry Wendland went going to a draw with Zabisco. Ricky Santana over Kevin Sullivan by disqualification. And Bozo McGraw in the Mighty Yankee, number one. Jerry Gray under the hood. 
Dave was told it wasn't a good car for the most part. Nobody worked hard, especially hard on those Zabisco and Rotunda were over good as heels, and Luger had a great reception. I just did the math. Less than 12% of the crowd in Atlanta. <laughs> the sporting news a few weeks back ran a clip about Lala Alzado's sitcom Learning the Ropes, where Alzado plays a single parent who supplements his job as a school teacher by being a mass wrestler called The Maniac. Dr. Jeff Steve Williams originally doubled for Alzado and the early pilots, which was filmed just for Christmas. When Dot was wrestling Ric Flair, he injured his knee, landing wrong on a leap from the top rope. He came back heavily bandaged and limping for a match with Tully Blanchard. And that one, Tully was supposed to crack him hard over the back with a chair, but instead hit him in the head and bust him open. Dot then had his head patched up for a match with Arn Anderson, but finally his knee blew out. Arn then doubled for Alzado and teamed with Lex Luger against the Road Warriors. Arn fell from the ring and jammed his shoulder on the TV camera. This shit was cursed from the jump. Okay, I didn't know that. Are we assuming this is true, or are we assuming something got mixed up? I mean, I guess it is true. So that, and then it becomes a uh, Italian stallion for the rest of the show. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's Italian stallion the whole time they're taping in Canada, right? Yes. Taping this the is pilots in Canada. Yeah. yeah, this is the pilots. Well, it's not stuff pilot. like that. I mean, but they—it was more than one episode that had where the where the wrestling scenes were taped at Crockett shows, though. Yeah, well, they tape quite a bit. They tape in the, in the 88. No, but I'm saying it's not like there's a pilot and then everything else is, is the in the faux TBS studio in Toronto. No, 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 no. I know that. They tape in Columbus. Hmm. Steve Beverly talks about it in, uh, in summer 88 or something like that. Oh, you mean Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. is a good friend, Steve Beverly? Well, yeah. But yeah, they taped some in Columbus. So. All right. Well, we're going to close that with clips. So we've already done the Road Warriors Power Spain. Now let's look at Mike Rotunda winning the TV title from Nikita Koloff on uh, NWA Pro Wrestling here on our, during our week. Made his, his move. He took this giant opportunity. 
And he came up with a championship for the varsity club. Look at him, Barrett, right in the throw, right? It's a spike of some sort or some metal object. Right in the throw. Right in the throw to Nikita Koloff as the champion goes down. Rotundo's going to cover him. The referee then will return to the action in the ring. He will count out Koloff, and it's all over right here, fans, as we've got a new world television champion, Mike Rotunda. This is from Super Bouts. Oh. Yeah. So Super Bouts, by this point, is just stuff from the other shows. Yeah. Okay. Right, so graphic though that it's like it just says NWA World Championship. Yeah. And well, again, copyright Turner Broadcasting System Inc. Well, yeah, because it aired on Turner Broadcasting System Inc. No, but I'm saying with stuff from the syndicated show, even it's copyright Turner Broadcasting System. Because it's on Turner Broadcasting System Inc. The programming is. Well, so as we talked about this recently, so see, everything is airing aired, on there. That's what I'm saying. The the TBS shows. Apparently, the copyright was owned by Turner the whole time. Yeah. Which is why they own the Georgia footage, even though they didn't own that promotion. Why WWF does, I should say. Yes. Because I don't think they use it in the... I don't think they use old Georgia Championship Wrestling footage in the Crockett era on TBS, right? No, never. Yeah. So... Never. No. That stuff stuff never saw the light of day until that 92 clash, the 20th anniversary. The late 82, 83 stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, when did the Varsity Club get together anyway? This is it. They Sullivan had just and, and, so, Sullivan and Rotunda had started up together at the end of 87. And then Rick Steiner, this is his debut. Because, you know, you hear Bob Call say he's in his Michigan singlet. Okay. So this is the first appearance of both guys in the, in the colors of the colleges that they went to. No. Rotunda's already started. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Rotunda started the first of the year. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. But was it the Varsity Club until Rick was in there? Yes, it's Varsity Club. Okay. So they they had the name before it was a full stable. Yes. Okay. And also remember, Mike Rotunda's a double champion because he's still the Florida champion. At this time, yes. Although, do they even bring that up until they do the angle with Steiner? Um, yeah, it's like, talked about. Does he carry around both belts? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, though, it's time for the main attraction of the clips, because it is Ric Flair night on Worldwide. Yeah, so let's go to Raleigh, North Carolina, shall we? Dorton Arena. Entering the arena, Nature Boy Ric Flair and his entourage. And by the way, this is basically the cold open of the show. Yes. As we are have proclaimed this historic evening Ric Flair night here at the Dorton Arena here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And with our national television audience watching at home, we'll be presenting Ric Flair with the Wrestler of the Year Award in just a few moments. Is this PWI Wrestler of the Year or something else? It has been a very festive day. Something else. Here in the state capitol, as we but he see, was PWI Nature Boy right? Ric Flair, J.J. Dillon, and as I said, they're, they're a party, and quite a party we have Bob had Garner. during this day. Elliot Murnick of the Murnick family, the great promoters here in the National Wrestling Alliance, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, the 
been doing World a terrible job champions. shooting whatever this is so far. And ladies and gentlemen, at this time, for our fans here at the Dorton Arena oh, and the, the fans all the around the world, I'd like to bring oh, everybody is. Dallas, Texas, yeah. representing the National Wrestling Alliance, Rob Garner, for this very Tony and David are wearing tuxes, too. Rick, on behalf of Jim Crocker Promotions, National Wrestling Alliance, and NWA Pro Digest Magazine, it gives me a great deal of honor to present there you go. Wrestler okay. of the Year 1987, as voted on by the fans and promoters across the United States of America. Congratulations. All right, hey! By the promoters and fans. Congratulations, this award from the NWA Pro Wrestling Digest, Wrestler of the Year, Big trophy Nature too. Boy, Ric Flair. As I've said so many times, and I hear a little dissent out there, as I've said so many times in the past, learn to love it, because whether you like it or not, <laughs> it's the best thing going today. Is this the longest his hair ever was? No. It's very long here. No. Okay. When's the longest? This, I feel it's like it looks long, early 80s is longer. It's longer in um, 90. Well, it's le it's less quaffed in the early 80s. But it's longer in 90. Before he gets the haircut. Yes. Oh, yes, when we get uh, the ponytail and George Washington. Yeah, hair. that era. Yeah, and then he cuts his... He gets a haircut um, after that, but gets the big haircut later. Yes. So, yes, uh, that makes sense. Yes, the George Washington flair would be the... And the ponytail and all that would be the... Uh, would be the longest. You know, let me explain something. We could have been in New York City. We could have been in Chicago, L.A., anywhere the NWA goes, the four horsemen go. But this town right here, a little, little nostalgia, this town right here happens to be the place, the site of my first victory, my first championship belt, the Mid-Atlantic TV championship belt, which has grown to become the world television championship belt, was mine right here in Dorton Arena. And just like I did 12 years ago, after the victory party that night, we're going to tear down Raleigh tonight. As you can see, we are guests of Carl Elliott Murnick of Murnick Promotions, and as usual, the talent that hangs around the Murnicks is Grady. So ladies and gentlemen, it's a great honor to be here. It's a great honor to receive this award. And let me tell you one thing, as I've said so many times in the past, the Four Horsemen, the National Wrestling Alliance, and Jim Crocker Promotions are what's happening, and that's why we are number one. Our congratulations to Nature Boy Ric Flair. We hope to be talking to the Four Horsemen a little bit more and a little bit later in the hour. Hey, Jimbo, check this out one time, buddy. This is what being, come on in here, girls. This is what being a horseman's all about. Hey, Luger, remember Luger? <laughs> Ladies, it's, uh, it's getting awfully hot here, and we'll be back with more action. Precious, this is what being bodacious is all about, baby. We'll be right back after this. Don't you go away. So did they? Uh, oh, so they aired the bench press championship on TBS before it aired in syndication. Then, yes. Okay, because this says next week the bench press championship from Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Yep. How often did they do something like that? 
In this era, it happened. Because of the long lag on syndication. It was a two-week difference. Yeah, so they needed to get ahead for certain things. Mm-hmm. By airing it on PBS. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's continue, because this is all like one encompassing video here. Yes, this is... From uh, Monsoon uh, Classic. Yes. Friend of the show. Okay, David, it's a gala, as you can tell, and the party is going on. A gala. And we understand that because of what happened here in the ring, Dusty Rhodes and Beautiful Bobby have signed a no-disqualification match for the U.S. Heavyweight title next week. That's right. Next week, it'll be right here. It'll be right here on this program. Right now, though, in the ring, one great young athlete is named Sting. Do I skip through the match? Or right I mean, yeah. Great, great news about Dusty Rhodes signing that no-disqualification. Does Flair come out during the match? Or it ain't not? Flair. All right, here we go. Oh, so we're doing the 30-second squashes still. Great. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, David. That quickly, it's over with. And Sting is jacked. Sting backs in, and here he comes. Flies across the ring. And puts him down. God, look at how good the Stinger splash looked before he broke, blew out his knee. Sets him up. Hooks it. Stats sent to the Scorpion. Your winner, Sting. And now let's go to Tony. Okay, it is request once again. Sting is with us here in the ring, and another impressive win for this great athlete. Oh! You know, I've been back there listening, and I've been watching tuxedos and limousines and all that kind of garbage. Yeah, tuxedos and limos. just kind of makes me ill. I think I've had just about enough of it. I am a partier. Stinger does love to party, though. But only when it's time to party. As far as I'm concerned, the only time it is is for the world champion, Nature Boy, to get up here in the Stinger's face. He keeps looking into the wrong camera. Get back here, baby! I think I've had enough now. This is all getting real old, Flair, every week. Come on up! Well, once again, another challenge made to Ric Flair right here on this gala evening during your celebration to Sting, and I think someone is coming up towards the ring at this time. Well, this is the leader of the horsemen, James J. Dillon. Not what I intended. What I expected, though. Okay, James J. Dillon making his way to the ring. Beautiful women with him, and... JJ is drinking. Shot. We've tolerated you for a couple of weeks, that but tonight you showed absolutely yeah. no class whatsoever. Obviously, this is Mr. Flair's night. He's the toast of the town. He's a toast of. Obviously, this is Mr. Flair. Yeah, he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be drunk. Yes, I think he's playing drunk though. Yeah, he's supposed. To, I say, supposed to be drunk. Yes. Raleigh, yeah. he's the king here tonight, all day. Press conferences, the keys to the city, they give him an award tonight, and you pick tonight to come in here and shoot your mouth off. Why don't you, Joe, just get lost somewhere and show just a little bit of class? Let me ask you something. Is that some of Flair's talent right down there? Talk about the women. Yeah. 
Yeah, these, these are his ladies. They're looking pretty tough. I must admit they're looking tough. And it's kind of hard not to party right about now. Like I said, it's not time to party. So, you, you lovely little ladies. I'm at a loss for words right now. Because I want him up there. He's hiding behind his pretty women. And if you want to. You know what, though? That's a good cover. But this is Sting being natural. Yes, and like we've said a million times now, he's a better Sting in this... In terms of being like bombastic Sting, he is better before he's more polished. Now, in ter but in terms of like doing sit-down interviews and stuff, where he's more Steve, then he's better later. Yeah. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Like... He's he'd always been he was always really good in that setting. Like you watch that stuff now, where he's doing those sit down interviews. Like, well, him and Doctor Death are fighting a, a, the battle in this era of being tongue tied. And we're I mean, both of them and talk about it during promos. But it works for Sting. It works for Sting. Yes, it does not for Doc. No, it does not. Call yourself a man behind your bottle of champagne, there too, buddy. Oh. And he throws them. Throws it in Sting's face. JJ taking his wonderful version of the flare flop. But here's the horseman. Sting gets away, though. How often does that happen? It did.
Crowd program. Crack it. Do you hear that? I won't be on this program again until Sting is in the ring with a contract signed in his hand. An ultimatum from the world heavyweight champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair, along with the Four Horsemen fans. I there forgot that was only two segments. Yeah. It's basically the beginning and end of the show. But what a wonderfully booked and executed piece of business. And see, Flair and Sting had already wrestled in, 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 in town. So this is nothing new, but it's they wrestle without an angle. Yeah. They were, they were just doing house show matches with no angle attached. Now they got it. I mean, all, all the players' house show matches in this first part of 88 are called pretty much, right? Yeah, because he had no, he had no, uh, he had the, his feud was basically Luger, but they're not doing that. Yeah. So and, and Garvin's, and Garvin's done. He beat Garvin, so that's done. So that was his angle. All right. So he's working with Hayes, Brad Armstrong, Sting. Well, I mean, one. I mean, he's does the tags with the, with a lot of tag stuff, Dusty mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah, but so just tremendous though. Absolutely, and, and, and this is what propelled Sting, and this is the this is the angle that built the clash. Yeah, and you know, like we were saying, it is very rare that someone gets to outsmart and escape the horseman like that yeah so all right well yeah so we have promos from world championship wrestling following this for that saturday night from the syndicated tv airing earlier that day that's right so let's go so let's go to uh rick flair and jj on tbs talking about this there's the four horsemen graphic all right they say the four horsemen are the horsemen Rule wrestling, and that they do. The world tag team champion and the world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. You know, pretty soon it's going to be spring and it's going to be house cleaning time. And it looks like Paul Jones and his powers of pain have taken care of this myth of the Road Warriors. And I think the world tag team champions, Mr. Blanchard and Mr. Arn Anderson, have addressed the situation with his total package, Lex Luger, and his very small circle of friends, this Ole Anderson, Barry Windham, and whoever else wants to jump on the bandwagon. But there's this little matter of Sting that I think we need to discuss also. And Sting reminds me, champ, of, you know, there was a dog in my neighborhood back in Atlantic City, New Jersey, when I was growing up, called Fido. And Fido, boy, he was bad. Everybody was afraid of Fido, because you see what Fido used to do when the traffic went by? He would run out, and he would chase cars, and he would bark, and he would snarl, and he was real bad. And all of a sudden, one day, I said to myself, What's going to happen if Fido ever catches the car? And I think there's an analogy there with this thing. He's gone out. He's tried to bust up the party. He's tried to embarrass you. But maybe it hasn't occurred to him what's going to happen when he catches up with you and you stop and turn around. You know, James, James, there are times in my life when I wonder... When will someone ever walk across that road and really bring the world champion the challenge that he's thrived on his entire career? 
in that case of Sting, you know, all I got to do is look over here at all these people right here that are right here. They're here because they are intelligent wrestling fans. They have a choice to make. And they're here because they know that the NWA is number one. And they're here because they know the four horsemen, Arn Tully and Flair, are number one. Now all we got to do is talk to the promoters like yourself. You see, I'm the kind of guy, I don't want the easy money. I don't want to fight the bums. And Sting, you're a bum. You're a young, undertrained, overbearing punk that has run his mouth, made an attempt to be somewhere he'll never be. He made the mistake of laying his hands on a multi-million dollar product. He made the mistake of looking in that silly way he can look at some of the most beautiful women that hover around the nature boy day in and day out. Yeah. He made the gesture. So you see things, even though you're a bum, this is one fight I might take. You know, I like the vacation in Hawaii. That's where the Blanchers go. I'd like to be an Aspen skiing. But somebody's got to be here to do the fight. So you see, Ric Flair, the world champion, the man, woo, the franchise. And I'm talking about the horseman. The franchise will make it go round and round and sting some way, somehow, because I'm a man with a great heart. I'm going to see fit if J.J. thinks the time is right to give you that match. But, pal, please don't make the mistake of pushing your luck again. Because sooner or later, like J.J. said, I'm going to holler at that chauffeur, stop this cop! I'm going to jump out, I'm going to push the girls aside, I'm going to go, woo! And you being that little dog are going to run off into another yard because you really don't want to find out where you are. You think Luger does? You think Luger wants to walk that aisle? He can do this, and he can do this, but can he beat the best there is? Ole Anderson, a man I've grown to detest, some of the best of all. I am. The horsemen are the consummate wrestlers in this sport. The marquee says wrestling, not Hollywood, not cartoons, not gymnasium physique contests, not pretty faces, which all of us happen to have, but it says wrestling. And if you want to find out where you rank in the world of wrestling, come to the National Wrestling Alliance, come to the Four Horsemen, because after all, we have the genius, the mind, and David Crockett, Sometimes there's a dissatisfaction. Unfortunately, we have the three world championships. The world heavyweight champion, Rick Flair and J.J. Dillon. Listen, coming up next, you're going to see Lex Luger and Barry Windham. Next, Barry and Lex team up. All right, and let's go to...
Sting and his thoughts on this. Oh, Bob Riddle. I like him better than his son. <laughs> With us now, Sting, hey, Sting. Traps don't lie, brother. Nothing more than the party crasher himself. And I'm ready to crash some more parties. You know, I embarrass Flair like I always say now. And I can't think of a better thing to do right now than to party some more. So, Flair, I know you're in the building somewhere. So let me show you what a real party is all about. Come on, show me. See what you got, Ricky, baby. Get in my face. I guess he doesn't want to come. He's in He's not here, here somewhere. Do you walk around? I guess Rick might you think maybe he's afraid of you. Oh, I can imagine he's probably doing just a little bit of sweating back there. He'll probably end up... Same old story. Same old tired of coming out here. I don't have any champagne in my hand. There's no... You got a problem, pal. And what we have, and this phrase is overused... You have got a failure to understand, my friend, that you don't walk out here in front of the whole world. You keep your mouth shut, punk. You don't walk out here in front of the whole world and for one second try and intimate that you think you're ready for me. I will make that decision. I've said it a thousand times. I'm Ric Flair. I'm the world champion. You are a pumped up nothing happening. Overstuffed punk from the gym that doesn't know what it is. Don't wear alligator shoes. You understand? Ah, don't wear custom clothes. Don't ride limousines. I'm walking out here and I'm flying that you can be where I've been for five years. I'm the world champion, brother, and I'm addressing you as a punk whose mother and father didn't have the brains or the knowledge or the class in this life to even give you a name. Sting, what kind of a name? Here. 
<laughs> they play around with a chair. Stink at it. This is a very volatile situation. Wyndham Luger and Sting and the Four Horsemen. The blood is boiling hot right here. We gotta go. Don't dare go away. Don't go away. You'll want to see what's next. But how, I mean, this is what Dave's talking about with the bookings turning around. Because look who's standing in the ring. It's the top three young baby faces mm-hmm. against the horsemen. No Dusty to be found. When normally Dusty would be involved in this. Yes. That's it. They, they had things going on. They had things going on at various times in 88. And it just, they were just too deep in the hole. Keep it going. But anyway, all right, well, that is it for this week's show. Next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go to 1995, where we have one of those weeks of the WF where there's no Monday Night Raw, thanks to the Westminster Dog Show. So, But we'll have some clips from the syndicated television. As Bam Bam Bigelow has some things to say about Lawrence Taylor. We get an up-close interview with Stan Lane and Shinja. And then Lex Luger and Tatanka have an interesting match on the Action Zone. Plus, we'll have house show news and other notes from WWF. Uh, we go to the indie scene. We have an NWC show in Las Vegas. Bix. Featuring Terry Fulton against Virgil. Ooh. Plus, we'll have Sid Vicious returning to Memphis as a babyface. We have... Uh, in Smoking Mountain Wrestling, we'll have uh, the view with Bob Armstrong and the Gangsters getting hot and heavy. So we'll have that. Um, ECW have news on the Sandman and his health condition after suffering concussion at the ECW Arena, plus other ECW notes. We got uh, Victor Quinones running an IWA show in the Dominican Republic. This is uh, coming off of the original IWA Puerto Rico pilots in 94. Yes. Um, we had news about an uh, interesting story about Raja de Lisco Sr. From, from Mexico. Uh, Japanese stuff, of course, Japanese indies and, and all the stuff. And uh, WCW, we got Gene Oakland apologizing for a hotline report the previous week involving a dead wrestler. He, he apologized? I forgot about that. Okay. I'm we got w, WCW at the Toy Fair, where Hulk Hogan has a has a big thing going on there. Plus, we have some great video packages from uh, from Saturday Night featuring uh, Ric Flair, Sting, and a video on, Flair, on Vader and Hogan, where Hogan makes quite an interesting comment. Dave's thoughts on the DDP Dave Sullivan angle. And WCW uh, is in the market for uh, a cruiserweight title. We'll talk about that. And adding more pay-per-views to their schedule and how that's going to affect their business. And in New Japan, we have finally, 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 we are going to discuss New Japan's version of Raw is War television show. Featuring the double shot ICSing gun, New Japan Cork and Hall doubleheader, with Masa Saito being the bullet of woods. And since we're doing that, be our guest next week, making his return to the show after a long absence, Pogo Pete. 
from Death Valley Driver, Pete Stein, will be on to discuss that and other uh, things from Japan. It's been so long, I forgot we ever even had Pete on. Show number 19, I think it was, was the last time Pete was on. Jesus. Okay, I should probably make sure that goes up on Red Circle finally then. Yes, yeah, not on there, Picks. Yeah. It's not on there. So, yes, we will discuss that. And uh, I think that show is on Daily Motion. And, yes, it's uh, an amazing t- a New Japan television show. New Japan starting the Attitude Era, basically. <laughs> well, so had we we had played the clip before in a different week, but we never did the week. We, we didn't have the proper week, yes. Okay. So, so the Buddhas, Masaida, and just the insanity. Every single week. <laughs> And just and just uh, all the other stuff that was going on in that show too, which would with Ricky Choshu and Shiro Shinaka. this craziness, and Chono, Murder Inc. and, and everything. And the, te- so, the Tenzan uh, heel turn, right, is in the middle. That's of what I said. Yes, the Tenzan heel turns the beginning of it. Yes, so a lot going on next week on Between the Sheets, a fun <laughs> show. So is that the, that's the new record by far for longest time between appearances, right? Yes, I I would say so because that's. Uh... That's what eight years. Pretty much, yeah. Can you believe we've been doing the show that long? That's crazy. The show four is. I mean, next week is show four forty four. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. Well, next week should be a hoot. All right. So, big thanks as always to the rock of the show, and this is Chris saying so long from the Pete State of Georgia.